Well, listen up, scoot close to your host with the most. Chris Smith, as he boasts, we toast as we roast. Any little problem, and we'll fix it in post. Playing devil's advocate as he hits you with jokes. Who can it be sitting next to me? Adney, your baby's dad, and he's spitting comedy, magically scorn. Are you com- What'd you say, Adney? Uh, <laughs> you messed, messed up and tried to cover it. Oh, uh, you did too. It's all right. Keep no, going. No, no, I was joking about you, Adney. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Finish it. Shut I was making fun of the first time you messed up. All right. Well, listen up, scoop close to your host with the most. Chris Smith, as he boasts, we toast as we roast. Any little problem, man, we'll fix it in post. Playing devil's advocate as he hits you with jokes. Who can it be sitting next to me? Adney, your baby's dad, and he's spitting comedy, magically scoring. I got my book, wanna be, you're gonna be hit with a hook. I'll turn your face into a tragedy. Stevie B with the chemistry, dropping recipes and melodies, restlessly, especially using dark humor as his weaponry. Mentally haunting all your dirty thoughts like an entity, no empathy, just credibility. Discussing history, legacy, ethnicity, destiny, felonies, industry, jealousy, memory, pregnancies, tendencies, therapy, heavily, alcohol, a cast is the remedy. 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 The remedy. Welcome, 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 welcome. <gasps> I didn't even use the uh, computer and the lyrics. I, that, I know them by heart now, just by memory. To all our alkies, we all the love you guys guys i am and to all host. the people who saw stevie singing on his snapchat stupid hello stupid hello dude. hello to you i, I mean it, we <laughs> we are your hosts my name is chris smith to my right i got my name's adney and to my left my name is not adney or chris smith it is stevie august borghese that is me oh it's so cute that you have august in your name it like makes you seem like i don't know it's my middle, orange um my grandfather's orange? i'm kind of looking at him and he does look orange i'm in the like, certain lighting spray right tan now. That's orange. A, that's that's <laughs> <Adam's> <laughs> fucked up, dude. that's that's really mean you call me a tr- you call me trump right now dude i know it's like <laughs> hey your hair way better i know that way but, um, better and august, your eyebrows that's not a high bar shit. that's not a high bar the august, the august though he deserves a better compliment it's, than uh, that. <laughs> yeah I, w- I was trying to bring him down at the same yeah, time anybody's better him. looking when they, like in comparison to trump it's being that's cute by association <laughs> you know? it's like oh fucking okay so august that it's adding our both our both of our middle names because of our yeah chris if you actually listen to the podcast named, you would know that we're named after oh. our badass grandfather <laughs> I guess who chris, was a fucking beast chris, chris doesn't care for the podcast oh chris oh, doesn't listen to the podcast the fuck chris, doesn't, chris doesn't have the remedy the remedy guys <laughs> I, I, that's, that's an issue and he has no credibility either so uh, let's get, i have all the credibility let's get to Screw our special thanks do you have a special father has ethnicity but he oh, has no credibility. Do you have a special thanks chris i didn't look it up i fucked up just a thanks you don't, you don't have anyone to thank you <laughs> i can get a thanks I'm gonna thank. I want to thank you guys for being here tonight. No, I'm gonna <laughs> thank my lady, Rachel. I'm gonna thank my lady. Oh, you're so fucking for being douchey. just so amazing. And uh, you guys are gonna realize why she's so amazing later. What's her and last see, name? Adney's Adney's Tinder? Like doing Didn't you the say whole, her last like, name was Tinder? You know what's really funny about that is what? both of us have both of our names saved as Tinder. Like Chris Tinder. Rachel Tinder. I think that's everyone that's does. It's a great thing. I think everyone. Like knows. I even tried to suggest. I was like, uh, maybe we should switch it. She's like, no, I kind of like it. And I was like, you know what? I like it too. Isn't it always <laughs> weird when you have to like explain to me? What'd you guys meet? What'd you guys meet? And it's like, yeah, we met on a fuck site. <laughs> we did too. Like if anything, like really, oh, well, really she happens. talked about, you know, she had beautiful mouth skills. <laughs> <laughs> we met on narcotics and you know, you know, I, I just have bestest skill on my profile. I mean, she like, was like, what's the bestest skill? She, I was like, bitch, suck my dick. And she's like, of course. And like she wrote me and she goes, how big is your dick? I sent it to her and the rest is history. Just beautiful romantic history. I put, I fuck with the romance 
my profile. I fuck with romance. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's the shout out Adney can do. I um, do we get a shout out this week. A special thanks to uh, one of my best friends, Butters. Because oh. uh, last podcast, if you remember, I talked a lot of shit about her because she tried to correct me in a dickish way. <laughs> so I, I talked. So right after we recorded that episode, I commented on her Facebook and said, "Hey, dude, I gave you a shout out finally." She's like, "Oh, thanks." And then I just kept quiet for the next few days until she heard it. And then after she played it yesterday, she was all, "Thanks for the shout out, dick." <laughs> so all right, love you, butters. And um, she's actually because she's, she's been listening ever since the beginning. She's a big supporter. No, of the I podcast. do love butters, and, and I can't I, I, wait, dude. I, I cannot hate, wait till she's here. I for fucking the podcast. hate calling her butters. I don't know where that nickname came from or anything. I don't know we'll the backstory behind any of that. <laughs> like I know her as this other person, and you always refer to her as butters. I'm like, God, God. but I get it. Okay, go ahead, Steve. Um, I got to give a shout out to one of our good friends, uh, Danny Acuna. Um, Daniel, I have to give him a shout out, man. He's, oh, yeah. he listens Akuna. all the time. We are a part of the same group chat. Yes. But I mean, he really listens him and Adam, Adam, Adam will be on next week, you guys. But, um, Adam Daniel, is coming. Danny listens to the podcast, but he also shares it. And he shared it with uh, an ex-girlfriend of his who's like, ah, oh, she listened to one episode. She goes, I'm, I'm going to sit here and listen to seven of them right now. But, uh, yeah, Danny definitely has been uh, trying to help us get it out there. So Danny. Dude, yeah, big shout out to Danny. One up, un- homeboy. One up. Unfortunately, he's not going to be on the podcast because we don't need two brown guys, Danny. <laughs> okay. Only one. Only one. Because if we did, then everyone's going to be like, oh, that's that's a fucking brown guy podcast. It's yeah. a Mexican podcast. <laughs> well, we don't know what we Danny is. Might as well is. start getting some trumpets in here. We don't know what Danny is. Is that Mexican? <laughs> <laughs> they, think I, they think I'm Mexican. You're not Mexican? Uh, Let me get a chichilla, I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure we got Latvia's. I'm sure Latvia. Latvians have not given up on us I and wonder if fucking australia got, you know like it's always shout out to you guys there you go malaysia, to Perth, to Perth. malaysia. i wonder <laughs> if anybody got our references from last week there are shout outs the second shout outs let's not even talk about it okay you're gonna ruin right. the joke what? anyways we Wait, we need to get to something there's important people that listen to us that if they don't get that stop listening don't, don't say that don't do that please listen because most 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 might not i that. need attention <laughs> don't stop listening <laughs> I need to feel like I exist. Okay, so there was um, there's some big fights that happened this last week, man. Some oh, you need oh yeah, fights, guys. Luis Ortiz versus uh, Tony Thompson. <laughs> that you guys talking about? <laughs> oh nah. my gosh. I would, as much as I would love to cover every fight that happens, we're only trying to do the big fights on this podcast. We don't want to overwhelm the fans who don't like fighting. So, uh, UFC 196, first fight. We got to talk about it. Whew. One of my favorite fighters, Holly Holm. Really, the first fight was blah, blah, blah versus blah, blah, blah. And I'm only bringing this up because the UFC kind of fucked up with their card this week because they had two super fucking fights, super fights. And then their undercard was straight garbage. Like their undercard was so garbage. And by undercard, what I mean for all the people who aren't fans of MMA and all that. And who haven't skipped forward yet. (laughs) <laughs> is the people who fight before the big fight. So all the people who fought before kind of were mediocre. Mediocre. At best. So <laughs> that's why Adney Stevie says went, the Stevie first fight. Stevie went a fight. weird way with it. Because Adney is bringing it up to what we really want to talk about, which is uh, home versus Tate. 
Oh, one real quick point. That's something that uh, boxing started doing after the 90s, and it really had a really negative effect of, oh, we're giving you a superstar or two, so we don't have to care about the undercard because it's cheaper for us to give you shitty matchups. And it's like that's going to drive people away, or they're not going to pay attention. Or like you said before the podcast is they're going to be so like bored before the big fights. They're not going to be as excited when the big fights start. They're just going to want to watch the highlights at that point. you know. Yeah. So I think um, it is important for the UFC and boxing as well to have – Great undercards as well as their super fights. And I understand why it's because like, but Adney, bring us in. I understand why you would do that because like, well, I can't put this these this matchup or this particular fighter who has maybe a dull style. I can't put them on a regular telecast, so I have to put on a pay per view just to get their name out there. I understand that, but still, fuck you. Anyways, to my girl Holly Holm. Um, of course, the reason why I like her so much is because she was such a good boxer. In women's like, boxing, dominated. she was uh, thirty-three and two and three. Like that was her record. She held titles in three different weight classes. Three different weight classes. Three. And here's the thing: is like she fought um, a fighter named Mathis, I think, and got like just brutally beaten down. She lost by seventh round knockout in that fight. She got beaten bad. This is after she became the undisputed welterweight champion. She lost a brutal fight and wow. then came back and won the rematch by decision, clearly. So she got handed her ass to essentially in the first fight. And yeah. then the next fight, she fucking wins? Yeah. That's some Willie Pep shit. That's fantastic. And like she won fighter of the year two years in women's boxing. So automatically I'm like, I'm all about home. Then, of course, she beats Ronda. And that's like, holy shit, that's amazing. And but she, she did that. just beat Ronda. She, she did that. And what's funny is everyone looks at that fight and they say, oh, all they look at is the kick. That's all anyone keeps talking about. Or that most people keep talking about was the kick that did it. And completely negating everything that led to that. It's a chess game, fighting. It's You don't just go in there and start swinging like crazy. You set up your pieces. You slowly position your opponent into a place you want them to be. Then... It's checkmate. And Holm that is one kick, of the best at doing that. That like, kick was checkmate. And she's constantly in the middle of the ring, and she's pushing the pace, and she's and her making me. you either swing or she's going to be advancing. She's a great counter uh, counter puncher, and that's the thing is her movement – um, I love her move because a lot of MMA fighters do have kind of clumsy uh, lateral movement when they're moving around the octagon. This is true. But home glides around. She's on the balls of her feet. She's moving back and forth. She's do- she's get in and out, in and out. It's so and she does such a good job good. of leaning forward and step half stepping forward, and that draws your opponent in. She's setting up. She's like easy target kind of almost. A person is like instinctually wants to swing at her, and as soon as that happens, she's ready to bounce back and bam, then move every time. Boom, She's counter left, counter left, moving, move. Move to her right. Even, the, even in this Misha fight, she was constantly moving. From round one to round five, she was all over the fucking octagon. Yeah, and that's like uh, one of the, the first thing that I noticed when I watched this fight against Misha Tate was that it like the first round was a lot of posturing. It was a lot of, okay, like, she could not find the range on her left hand. And I feel like because Misha was kind of fainting, you know, and oh, Misha yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. also getting in there like super tight and she wasn't rushing in like Ronda. So when Ronda fought her, Ronda was rushing towards her. She was like a bull with a fucking uh, and a matador. matador. She's like a mat- yeah, matador. That's the guy. That- and what Misha did was the complete opposite of that. Is Misha was like, okay, well, I know now what not to do. So I'm not going to rush you. So Misha comes in there and she's fainting. And so Holly's still trying to find her range, you know? Yeah. She's trying to dial in that straight left hand, but the fact that Misha's not giving her that target, she's like, "Oh, I know how good of a counter puncher you are. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna because uh, I can stand up too. Maybe not as good as you, but I can frustrate you." 
And one a good thing to do with a counter puncher is to make them lead because they're le- they're less comfortable doing that. And so you're taking away their best because a lot of counter punchers can only create offense based off of yours. And while Holly knows she's a great counter puncher, she also knows that if she's not able to counterpunch and she's not that her opponent isn't coming forward then she understands okay i gotta bring the fight to them and not only does she understand that but she does she will bring the fight to you she did bring it and like uh the the um like her right jab because she's a southpaw so her right jab was so effective in this fight and it she was kept dying in it. that was the point. like her left hand, I think she landed like in the fourth or so. She landed a really good straight left. But for most of the fight, it was the hard, stiff jab that was doing damage right there and this, and like the sidekicks with her right leg. The sidekicks were so beautiful because she would go with like a left, right, and then she'll come up with like a left uppercut in the side. And then out of nowhere, she'll come with the fucking right low kick. Not like a right high kick to the head or right like oblique kick like right in your fucking yeah. either your shin or your femur you know those those Th- your fucking thigh like the, yeah, right those yeah. She pressure points shit. she yeah. threw a pretty some pretty good left kicks to the head which are like eye catching those are like flashy shots but it was those like those like those front kicks with her left to Misha's legs to her shins and then those right uh, the side kicks to uh, Misha's body that did I think they did the most damage was those sidekicks to the body? They did a lot. Yeah, body but, shots will fuck you up worse than even headshots, man. And like, like but we gotta say, quicker. like Misha in that second round took over, and she took over fast. I was letting you take over the Holly talk. I'll take over the Misha talk. Talk about with that second round, dude. Misha Tate, I think this fight proved that she might be maybe not the toughest girl, but one of the three, if not the two, toughest girls within the bantamweight division. Bantamweight division. 135 pounds. So these ladies are weighing 135 pounds, and Ronda has dominated Misha. Like, I can't even lie. Ronda, the first fight, dominated Misha. It wasn't a fight. It was three rounds, but what it proved was Misha was tough. So from the very first fight that she fought with Ronda, Ronda, the lady who was taking out people in 8 seconds, 12 seconds, 25 seconds, just annihilating her entire division, Misha... Before Holly was even there, was rounds with Rousey. Not one, not two, three. She even made it into the championship yeah, uh, rounds in the fourth round with yeah, Ronda in the wasn't second it fight. In the, yeah, wasn't it in the second fight like Misha was ahead on points? She was ahead on points, and she got caught because this is going to kind of lead into something else. Um, Misha is a great matchup for Holly Holm because Holly Holm is a striker, as we were just saying. Holly Holm is a kickboxer. Misha is a wrestler. So she went in there knowing that she needed to be patient. So Misha was patient, and what happened in the second round? She got her to the ground. The entire second round, from four, I want to say four minutes and like 35 seconds, for the entire rest yeah. of the round, it was, at was least Misha three minutes straight, at dominating least. on top. Like, Holly had no match for her. She couldn't do anything. She was Misha able to sat in side control and just wore her out. Just yeah. drained all of her she, energy. Like, she used all of her energy and all of her, Holly, I mean, all of her energy and all of her technique just to keep Misha from ending the fight. But she wasn't able to get on top of Misha and do damage on the ground at all. All she was able to do was keep Misha from ending it. And I, and like and I like you said it was wearing her down. It was but tiring her out for you later. You got to give it to Holly because she didn't resist. Though, 
during that well, second him. round where she is just getting beat up, she gets up after the fucking bells rung, goes over to a corner, and this is what I love, love about Holly's corner is they do not bullshit Holly. I have seen so many fucking talks where like the 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 coach or whatever, the coach or, yeah. or, or the trainer the is trainer, like, oh, yeah, you're doing right. great, champ. You're doing great, champ. And you're like, no, the champ just got her ass whooped. And they were like, Holly, do not let it go to the ground. You need to be keeping your range. You need to be firing your jab, blah, blah, you know, and that's what they were going over. And that's something that Rhonda is not doing to this day. Rhonda got straight outboxed. And you know what she said? I'm going to keep boxing Holly. If you keep boxing Holly, you will get knocked out every single time. Misha did not sit there and box Holly. She was she patient. Did, she but w- she did. She was on her feet. She, she was, was on her she, feet. She played it very smart she in that she was patient. Yeah. She her face. Like her, her patience and her feints were able to. That's how you throw off speed is with timing. And you can throw off timing with feints. But Holly wasn't using her feints well enough. And Misha was able to like. In order to get Holly to attack, she would act like she was going to come in to which – and as soon as Holly reacted, Misha was out of there. Ow. And it was frustrating her and it got into – I think it kind of started to get into Holly's head and Holly was wasting a little bit more energy. Even though I think she won the first, third, and fourth, and the fourth round I thought was dominant for Holly. Let's bring it all the way up to the beginning of the fifth round, and I agree with you, Adney. Misha won the second round, and I think Misha won the second round so handily that it was a 10-8 round. But – Holly won all the other rounds up to round five. Holly was just, she was just outclassing her as a striker, and Misha was trying to stand up. And it's not like she was trying to stand up like Ronda was trying to stand up, because Ronda was rushing forward, constantly swinging, being aggressive. No, Misha was chilling. She was like, okay, I understand what this is going to be, and this is, I'm going to grind you out. I'm going to grind you out. And I can't lie. Holly hit her with a couple fucking head kicks, and I was like, "Holy shit, she didn't fall down!" Like Misha, yeah, it was the has kind of like her, her hand was up, but the kick was strong. It still moved her around the octagon. The kicks, the force, the sheer force around it was just moving Misha around. And then there was that one uh, in the fourth. She landed that straight uh, front kick with her left. Just bam, hit Misha, and then followed up with a cross, jab, cross. The two crosses were like kind of grazing, but it was a fucking hard jab. It was right like in the, the jab. jab. It was just like, that was a dominant fourth round. And then, of course, that fifth round, and halfway into the fifth round, Misha got her. Just fucking Holly over. Describe the takedown, Chris. Describe that takedown and how she got it. Describe it. Everything. Holly overextends just a tiny bit, and it, I think it was with like a left hook. Yeah, it was, no, it was a straight left hand. Straight left. That's what it was. It was a straight the, left. The punch that she couldn't quite get dialed in all night. All night. And she fired it again, and Misha finally got it. 20 fucking three minutes into the fucking fight, Misha finally times it. She ducks under to the right, and she swarms her so fast that she is on Holly before. Wait, like, time Holly's out, time running. Out. I want to say real Holly's quick. Running. I want to say real quick that earlier in the fight, that exact same thing happened, but Misha didn't time it right, and she tried like uh, uh, Holly threw the left and went right over Misha's shoulder. Misha went for the takedown, but Holly defended it, was too it late. and, and matadored her, matadored yep. her away. And was like, oh, now you're over there. Now I'm backpedaling over here. I'm too quick. I'm too bouncy. But this time, Misha timed it perfectly. Go she on. got it, dude. And and the first thing Misha does is, so she's got her 
around her hips. Misha's got Holly around her hips. And the first thing she does, she steps that right foot forward, right behind that left foot of Holly's. And Holly goes Well, it was down. like, ho like uh, Holly was on her knees. And um, what Misha did was she put her right leg around Holly's right leg to keep her from being able to stand up. Yeah, she, 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 she You could see her. You could see her trying to lift her yeah. right leg up, but it was keep getting trying like stuck, forward. and she was like, ah, ah. Yeah, she was even <laughs> taking her knees, and she was like, um, like she had Holly's foot because Holly was like on her shin. She had her foot in between her knees, and when Holly was trying to push forward to get up with her hands, she kept grasping that fucking foot with like her, her knees, her, and she was keeping her that, down that, at her level. She wanted to keep joint, her on the ground. That joint that everyone has, that's like you know your foot. You know, you move it down, you move it up. She, she just had that in, like, the best. Misha was going down and, like, just, it was it was so amazing. The Brazilian jiu-jitsu on that girl, on that point right there, I was like, wow. Like, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the wrestling because Misha was already grinding her. She was shooting constantly. Like, the wrestling and, like, the ground game of Misha is what took her past the point that she needed to be at. So, anyways, Holly almost passes, but Misha says, nope. You're not passing nothing. And by this time, Misha is, like, on this bitch's back. Like, yeah. Holly thought she was coming, but Misha slid. She's underneath her. She's got Holly's back. She slides her left hand, her whole left arm, and she's going for the choke, right? Holly's like, nope, bitch, you ain't getting the choke. And Misha's almost got it. Like, it's almost cranked. She's got it. She's slowly sliding, and Holly's like, nope, fuck that. And Holly tries to flip her over her back. So at this point, Misha's literally on this bitch's back. And she's almost got this rear naked choke. And Holly flips her. No, bitch. You ain't getting that rear naked choke. I know what the fuck's going on <laughs> right now. And her grip was so strong, so tight, that she didn't fly over. She basically, that, like, Holly trying to throw her over just carried her momentum. And, like, Holly fell. Like, she her basically, Holly threw she herself Misha into that. Out, basically. Holly threw herself in that rear naked chokehold by throwing Misha over, and which brought her down, took Holly off balance. Misha's already locked and loaded. She was I feel already like Misha ready. already had the choke, so I really don't think no, no, she had the choke, but Holly, but Holly done. thought that she was gonna throw like, over Holly her shoulder. Holly already fucked up by letting Misha get a hold of yeah, her. Yeah, that's true. Which was something that everyone said, like, oh, if Holly lets Ronda get a hold of her, Holly lets. Well, that fight was all round two rounds, two rounds. We're in round five at a minute thirty in. Like this is the last fucking part of the fight. Misha already knows that she's down. She knows that she has to grind. She knows she's got to do something. What the fuck can she do? She gets an opportunity, and she seizes Holly's back. But Holly's still on her feet. It's like, oh, shit. Well, what if Holly elbows me or something? And Misha takes a chance, and she says, you know what? Fuck this fucking bitch. And she wraps her hooks in, and she just goes for it. And she only has one hook in, and she's reaching and reaching. And Holly's like, no, bitch. You ain't got shit. Oh, shit. This bitch might have something. Let me get this bitch off of me real fast. Goes to flick her off. Doesn't flick her off. They both go over. Boom. Almost like a front flip. Not really. It was like a front rollover. Yeah, it was a roll. And Misha's just on her back. Misha's got her in. Misha's not on her back. Misha's on Holly's, Holly's back. back. And she's just got her in the choke. And she finally slips it in and just gets that she final has, choke. But the has. best thing Holly is was Holly still is swinging. Swinging. Bitch, you are not knocking me out. I saw like, she threw like a couple of trying to throw elbows in her back. And then she was like... 
like she would not tap out. She was like, like I'm trying gonna to knock fight you it. out. Like, and like as she, she's she, she like her arms were out. Like no, no, Misha's arm, her bicep is in your throat. You're not getting out of this. But she was still swinging. Like Holly didn't last... try to like cut the cut the choke or anything. Like I feel like if Holly could have cut her own head off, she would have. <laughs> and said, <laughs> "Fuck it, we're off. still going." <laughs> like I can knock you out before I die. And like, she spasms. She does a quick little spasm and then she passes out. And it passes like, out. That, that's going out on your shield, quintessentially. That's, I don't care what happens to me. I'm not going to just give in. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction that I acknowledge that you won. I'm not, no, fuck you. Kill me. <laughs> you know? Literally. It's that same thing I've said before. It's, we're going to go to a place. We're going to go to this deep, dark place together, and we're going to stare into that abyss. And the question is, Who's gonna blink first? And I thought Holly that- refused to blink, and she lost, but she still refused to fucking blink. I fucked up because I set it up for everybody wrong. Uh, the setup was all wrong. But anyways, the the moral of the story is that Misha got this bitch's back, and Holly was like, "Uh, uh-huh, bitch, you're gonna have to kill me in order for <laughs> me to go down. Like that's the only way you're getting my belt. So if we're in the wild, Holly home." is literally dead right now. Oh, because she got choked out to the point where she... But I gotta bring it back to Annie's point. Like, that is so amazing, and it just really pays tribute to the type of fighter that you are, you know? You never give up. And not only after that, she walks onto the... After the show, after 196, it's a post-press conference, unlike Ronda... Now, I will give you a little hearsay because Rana got knocked the fuck out. So Rana I don't was know. like took a lot of punishment. I don't know yeah, if a Rana could have done the post in two rounds. But Holly literally got put to sleep. The bitch was asleep. It came to the post conference interview, which was absolutely Yeah, amazing. but she didn't take like she lost oxygen to her brain, but that's a lot less damaging than sustained punches to the head. Yeah, to where Wait, hold on. So, so for somebody who does, that's equivalent to getting it? knocked out with one shot, but getting knocked out in one shot isn't as damaging as sustained punishment. That's what kills people. Like I've said before, the reason brain why trauma. deaths happen in boxing all the time is because they're allowed. They just keep getting hit, and the fact that they have these big padded gloves on, they can take more punches than if they're just bare knuckle. It would end the fight quicker. So that's the difference. So right? yeah, it's that sustained. Punch of punches over and over again, rocking your brain back and forth, back and forth, plus the lacerations on her head. It's all that trauma over and over again. It's like getting tackled a hundred fucking times in a football game. It's way worse than just getting hit once and going to sleep. Because when you go to sleep once, it's it's over. It's like that. And she didn't take a lot of hits in the fight. She didn't. Like like Ronda did. Ronda took a lot of fucking Ronda shots. Took Not a just that lot kick. Those straight lefts were fucking beautiful. The straight the, the left forearm too cracked her. She was beat so bad that she went for a left hook, missed, and fell to her knees. You know how fucked up you have to be to do something like that. And even after that, the fucking her whole body shrugged. She was like. Just the defeat in her whole body. It was a lot worse for Ronda. I don't blame her for not going to the press conference because she was very visibly fucked up in that fight. I only brought it up because I know there's going to be people out there. They're like, oh, you guys talk about brain trauma so much. And like, oh, no, Holly Holm got fucking slapped, you know? Like, why isn't she? And that's why. You already gave a great description as to why Holly Holm doesn't have to go through the same type of stuff that uh, Ronda does. I also wanted to bring this up. Uh, it's the rock, paper, scissors effect. 
it's the reason why I didn't think that Holly was going to win this fight super easy. Um, it's the idea, like to define that it's, um, fighter A beats fighter B, fighter B beats fighter C. So you automatically assume, oh, well, A will beat C, but no, C beats A. And it's, that's what happened with these three fighters that we've talked about. And it's all about styles make fights. It's one of the oldest sayings in combat sports. Styles make fights. You have Ronda, who has not great stand-up, but amazing ground game. Horrible you have Holly, who doesn't have great ground game, but she has amazing stand-up game. But I wouldn't game. even put Holly's ground game at horrible as I'm not saying horrible. Ronda's I'm not for either. stand-up. Like, Ronda's stand-up is that like, bad. Both, both of them specialized in one aspect of the game or the other, while Misha was more in the middle. She's smack dab in the middle, man. She is. She's more evened out, and that's why, like, her style up against Ronda, like, Ronda was, like, her her stand-up was close enough to Ronda that Ronda was able to get close to her and grab her and get a hold of her and then take her to the ground, and she was able to dominate that way. But in the second fight, when they stood up more, it was harder for Ronda to get there when Misha focused more on, like, that. Then you have in Holly, who... A lot of people say, like, oh, the wrestler's automatic. As soon as the wrestler gets a hold of the, the boxer. But the thing is, every step you take forward towards me, I'm going to take one back. Exactly. I'm fleet of foot, too, motherfucker. I can sidestep and hit you at the same time. I can do that, and I can fucking rock you. And that's what Holly was able to do against Ronda because Ronda was so used to be getting a hold of people so fast. Just and then, charging them and just like, no, bitch, you're mine. Yeah, but you're not, not only are you charging on a striker, but you're charging at someone who's great at counterpunching, at seeing what you're going to do, laying a trap for you, and then springing the trap on you. She was tailor-made for Holly because she ran into all the Holly shots. Holly did the same thing that Floyd Mayweather has been doing for years, which is let you come in, wade you in, Show that target, ha- antagonize you. So as soon as you come in, boom, sh- lead with the cross, right on the right on the button, very accurate, and then duck and move. Holly did that the entire time against Ron. She kept moving, so Ronda could never get her fucking hands on her. And, and then that, so it was Ronda- a perfect style matchup for her. Then you have Misha come in, who's has much better stand up than Ronda, and so she was able to at least compete with Holly and keep the distance. Yeah, she was able to uh, narrow it down. Get close to Holly. That's what Ronda wasn't able to do. She was, she was able to get slowly. She didn't have to charge to get close. She was able to inch her way closer with her stand-up skills. And that's what led her to be able to take Holly down and to go for those takedowns as many times as she did. It was because of her more impressive stand-up game than Ronda. That's the idea of the styles make the fights. So you have these styles that are perfect for each other. And that's why you have like this round robin of you beat you, you beat you, I beat you beat me, that kind of thing. And so it really puts the bantamweight into this status of limbo because it's like, well, I think I think Holly beats Ronda almost every time unless it goes to like three rounds. I think if it gets after three rounds, Ronda can pull out some Holly stupid can get tired or after something exactly. But it, but that's the thing though. First three but that, rounds, that's kind of the thing though. Ronda has to be putting punishment on her in order to get her tired. The reason why she, she seemed to get a little bit winded in the fifth round of this fight, not a lot though. Got to say something about that. She did have a lot of energy left. But the reason why she was a little bit worn out was because Misha's mentally she was, she was mentally ground down by Misha always being there and always and frustrating her all 
Might was frustrating her mentally. And Misha never Plus got that ground game. And, and side, sidebar, she's also mentally fucked up because she's really ugly. Like yeah. her face really bothers me. Sorry, I'm gonna sit side. Like I said sidebar has nothing to do with the oh fight. Holly, Holly's face very pisses me off. But her body's rocking. No like one's really Adam attractive when they're right fighting. Now, Adam would be like, "No, fuck you guys." Like Holly Holm's so. That's hot. the thing though. Like no one's attractive when they're fighting. You are, Adney. Misha Tate was. When <laughs> no, I that's see you not true. Misha Tate, I'm like, damn, Adney. Misha Tate was getting hit in the hot, and I'm still like, hitting the hot? damn, that hit booty. Hitting the hot. Hitting the hot box. That's a new thing now. She's hitting the hot box. Hitting the hot. She was hitting the hot. Hitting in the She was getting hit in the hot box. I said getting hit hot. Um, so there was another crazy fight, wasn't there? Somebody else got knocked out. I'm sorry we're on this else, fight. Uh, the, but the ABC thing that Adney was talking about, what did you say? The no, rock, uh, paper, scissors effect. Oh, well, okay. ABC, rock, Round paper, robin. scissors. I wow. think the rock, paper, scissors more encapsulates the meaning of it. Because right. the way they beat each other in certain ways. Uh, but, like the, but, of course, the greatest fighters can overcome that. They can notice that someone's like, I have a, I have a difficult time with this style. But that style has a difficult time with a certain other kind of style. I'm going to practice doing that certain other kind of style, then use that to my advantage and beat that and beat that person. That is going to uh, it's going to be a hard time for me. That's what the greatest fighters are able to do: adjust. Yeah, even the greatest fighters in boxing, right? There's a lot yeah, of boxing that's what I'm really that, referring to. Oh, okay. <laughs> is um, like the greatest fighters, the ones who are rise to the cream of the crop are the ones who are able to adjust their styles to fight like Ray Leonard was able to so perfectly change his style like the like the reason why he's head and shoulders above like the 80s was because you have like Roberto Duran Tommy Hearns and Marvelous Marvin Hagler you have to say the Marvelous because he legally changed his name uh, uh, <laughs> but like those three wildly different you have like a uh, Duran was uh, Duran and Marvin Hagler both aggressive kind of brawlers but uh, Marvin was did have more of like he was like physically stronger and bigger. He had more of like a boxing mentality. He was a southpaw stuff like that. His style was different from Duran's. And then of course you have Tommy Hearns, who's this really tall fucking boxer with a lights out punch. And every time Leonard fought one of them, he was able to he changed his style in order to beat him. He brawled with Duran the first time, lost rematch. He specifically clowned. He boxed a little bit, but he did a lot of clowning and taunting just to f- mentally fuck with Duran and run around the ring a lot to try and wear Duran out because he knew that Duran had trouble uh, making weight because he partied in between fights. He's like, he's going to have a hard time making weight if I make the fight happen fast, which he did. Duran had to drain himself to get down to weight, and then Leonard just fucked with him over just the whole fight. He was behind on points, but he was fucking with Duran so bad, Duran ended up just giving up. That wasn't that, w- that wasn't Leonard's plan. Of course, his plan was to t- was to clown him for like until like late the he late tired, rounds, right? and then he like, was gonna then yeah. he was gonna put it on Duran. That was his plan, but it was to mentally frustrate him, and the mentally frustration thing worked. Then against Tommy Hearns, he's trying to box this guy. It's not fucking working because he's too, he's too good. He's too much. He has too long of range. He has too much power. So he decides to stop boxing. He's going to brawl. He's going to adjust his style. He's going to brawl. He beats Tommy Hearns by knockout. And then, of course, Marvin Hagler had a very particular style against him. Box, keep it cool. Didn't rally last 30 seconds. So, Great analogy. So, like, Adney just brought up the boxing analogy. Let's just bring it on to the rest of the card. So the rest of the card going to Adney's Conor great McGregor. Point. About styles. About and Nate Diaz, styles. dog. Nate fucking Diaz. Stockton, Stockton motherfucker! Stockton, California, dog. 209! 
It's funny because Adney, 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 Adney and I were born. Adney and I were born near Stockton, and that's a piece of shit place to live. Like Stockton. That's why like, I created great fighters. Yeah, Stockton. You're like, oh, this place sucks, dude. Stockton is such a great. It's like point. Stockton <laughs> and Lodi fighting. What, yeah, any, well, any at, fighting sport. Okay, wait, is, hold on. We can delve into this later. People. Let's just hold on. Let's knock out this fight real fast. Okay, so Conor McGregor is definitely the biggest star the USC has had, as right? a fighter. I feel like Ronda was able to be a bigger star because she was a woman, and I'm not. I'm not playing like oh, women get this or women get that. But she was the first real big woman star. So that's why Ronda just completely went off. Like into this, yeah, you had a like Gina Carano who star. got to a certain level, but Ron, no one. But Ronda, the fact that she was so devastating, they kept comparing her to Mike Tyson because she was cartoonishly destroying her opponent. 25 seconds. That's so rare. Nine seconds. That's 15 yeah. seconds. She's the fucking Mike that's Tyson for, of UFC. Yeah. That's rare for anything. For and the fact that it was a woman got so many people amazed. Like, wow. Not only is she... like, like, And she's getting guys who would normally... Like talk shit about female sports. These are like these bros who are like, fuck girls, fuck girls aren't funny, girls aren't smart, girls are lame. Like those kinds of guys are loving Ronda fights and they're going to bars to see Ronda fight. And it has such a crossover appeal. How could you not like get attention? How could you not have that star like that? Like So the, this this was the UFC's male version of Ronda and his name's Conor McGregor. Is he the highest paid uh, UFC fighter yeah. of all time, right? Definitely. Yeah. I would say of all time. And the closest one that will get to him will be Brock Lesnar because of the My revenue Brock Lesnar was able to pull from the WWE following that he already had. Anyways. The bill that Conor McGregor does is probably the reason he gets paid a lot. Conor has, has destroyed everybody that I have seen him at, whether it be UFC or not UFC, at 145. Well, this fight was at 170. Name one fighter, Adney, that you know, just in your boxing, like, Adney's amazing Adney's boxing, boxing knowledge. <laughs> Within three months, not two years or three years or anything like that, McGregor jumps from 145 to 170 after one fight. Two weeks, though, right? It was one two, fight. It was after two weeks, he had right? a three-month camp. You're yeah, talking you, about no, Diaz. No, no, no. Oh, okay. My bad. I'm talking about Diaz. Yeah. I thought you were talking about Diaz. I'm going on this point right here. Has there been a person in boxing that has jumped 25 pounds within three months? Oh, a successful, at least. <laughs> like, like, let's narrow it down a little more so you don't have to think so okay, much. Like, a okay. successful fighter um, who's been able to do that okay, so has taken how long, though? I got to say this. The closest we've, the closest boxing has come to that big of a weight jump so so soon. Henry Armstrong was the featherweight champion, okay, featherweight champion, and What's that the at that at the time the weight was between one twenty two and one thirty, right? I don't know what weight he was at when he won the title, but he won the title at featherweight. Right. Okay. Then so let's call it 125 just for the sake of the story. Yeah, 125. Then jumped up to welterweight, which right? is that at the time was 140 to 154. It's about 15. Right. So jumped up to there, won that title. Okay. And then moved down to lightweight, which is between 130 and 140. Okay. And won that. So three weight classes. That's pretty badass. Huge though. jumps. A big weight span within a small within a year though. It's pretty good. It was within a, it wasn't as big of a jump. First off, wasn't as big of a jump. It was close, really, really close to that weight. That the weight that Connor did, really close. But 
he did have a little more time to do it in. And he had fights in between. So the only reason I'm even bringing this point up is to just give everybody out there something, a reference. Okay, so within just the boxing community. By the way, that happened in the 40s. So, so and, just within the, like this one community, you know, like I don't have all the communities, like you know, the fighting communities. All that, I don't know. All the, I don't know all communities. Just within the boxing community, it took this guy a year to fluctuate between twenty pounds. Connor jumped up twenty five pounds in three months. No, I thought it was. Okay? I thought it was two weeks because he didn't know he was gonna jump. He didn't know he was gonna fight somebody else, right? I thought that was the issue. Okay, so. Here's he what was what, what, like wasn't he training to fight at 150 or something? Here's what happened. He was training. Okay, Connor. This is UFC 186. Connor is already the biggest star. This is the summary of the whole thing. Connor comes onto the scene. Connor's a fucking badass because Connor has by far the greatest mouth in UFC. Yeah. Hands fucking down. He's hilarious. I watched even his post conference interviews after. All that, and he's still hilarious. Connor is great. Connor is an entertainer, and I think even after. Connor is done with MMA. He is still going to be in your ear, whether it be like what Joe Rogan, the commentator. Oh my God! If he was, he, 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 he might Rogan's do a podcast. Spot. Like he took Joe McGregor spot. is that's never. His name. That's his like. Like McGregor shtick, is our is. generation now. Like you, if you're within the fighting community, McGregor is not going to leave. He is going to be there for as long as we are there. And if you don't like him, that fucking sucks because you should. <laughs> He's fucking hilarious. I have seen so many. Okay. His style. Fuck all the press concerts. Let's okay. Gotta get to the fight. We're already at fucking forty-five fucking minutes. Uh, let's get to the fight. Okay, so Connor comes in. Connor is the biggest deal in the UFC. He fucking laid out the champ that was the champ for ten fucking years. Laid him out. If you already know this, I apologize. Bummer for you. You're getting a recap. Anyways, so Connor comes into this fight and he jumps from one forty-five to one seventy. It's twenty-five fucking pounds within three months. Now, originally, what Connor was going to do is he said, I'm taking all the belts. I'm going to go to the 145 belt, and then I'm going to go to the 155 belt, and then I'm going to go to the 170 belt. I'm going to win all these belts, and I'm going to be the first UFC fighter that's ever been able to reign over three weight classes. I want to make history. I want to get the big bucks, and he is. He is getting the big bucks, and he is making history because he is doing stuff that nobody has done before. Didn't he also make more money than even Diaz on this fight? Like oh. he made, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. guaranteed. Even losing, I mean, even losing, he still. Well, yeah, like no, well, they, you get a, McGregor, you get a guaranteed the amount of money before the fight happens. It's like a purse. It's, it's there is like bonuses for certain things, but like you, like for a star is that big. It's like you're guaranteed. Like they do a purse bid. Like okay, so this much money is saved up that's going to be paid for these fights to happen. Connor, you get eighty percent of the money. Diaz, you get twenty percent of the money. I guarantee you, Connor was guaranteed like. Because he brings, million. he puts asses in seats. Million. Twelve million win, lose or draw. Twelve million. Prior to that, like he puts asses in seats. That's what he does. Has the biggest pay per view yeah. draw out of anybody. For a big name fight, what was the prior to that? Wasn't it like not it even was a million? It was Lesnar. It was UFC one hundred. It, like it was Brock Lesnar versus uh, Frank Mir, and it was around that that mark that you're talking like about. Like a million. Let's get dollars. to the fight. I just want to get to the fight. So what you had was. First round, so Nick Diaz is a lot bigger. He's a lot rich. He has the weight. He has the height. You, we got to give the card. Uh, but, okay, McGregor's 5'9". His reach is 78 inches. And then you have Diaz, who is six foot, and his reach was 
Uh, I think it, oh, I apologize. McGregor's reach was 75 inches and Diaz's reach was 79 inches. So there's a four inch difference. Three, Just three inches in height, four inches in reach. He was a lot bigger. And the first round was all Connor. He was all marking Connor. Diaz up. He was Boxing cutting the Diaz up by the end of the first round. And Diaz round. is a bigger guy. And Connor was literally he was landing boxing. A lot. Like, I don't want to call it boxing because it's not the same. Like, it's MMA boxing. It's not the same as Adney's He was boxing. out striking. Out striking. That's a way he was out, he was, But um, he was landing those straight lefts, left uppercuts, a few jabs. He was putting a lot of hands on Diaz and cutting him up bad. But Diaz took the shots easy. And he was rolling with the punches, most of all. He was rolling with those straight left hands. So it wasn't full on power. It was a more of a grazing shot. That's how you absorb punishment really easy is you turn with it. and uh, But at the end of that first round, a few things I have to note about that first round. First off, he was going with the straight left over the top and then he would come with the uppercut. The uppercut. And in the beginning, like he missed a couple times, then he dialed it in. He was landing a left uppercut. But my problem is a problem that I brought up to you, Chris, like a couple of weeks ago, was a lot of MMA fighters throw the uppercut from the outside. I remember you talking about that. It's something you're never supposed to do when you're standing when you're standing up fighting with someone, is because the the uppercut inherently generates the most power behind it, but it also it leaves, leaves you the most open. It's a double-edged sword. It's so like, within boxing, you're gonna get caught more times than not if you're throwing that up. If, if you throw from the outside, you're gonna get caught. You're if like, you throw from the happens. outside, that's why guys guys have to get close when the, it's it's all about infighting. The infighting, the uppercut is everything because you can go through the guard with it. Mike Tyson, one of his like best combinations that he was so successful with is he would wait till he was in close. He would get into your chest right hook to the body, and then bring it up to an uppercut through the guard. But he waited until he was that close to throw that. And that was important. And Connor was throwing it from wider, farther he out and farther so out. so far outside. By the end of that first round, not only was he throwing that left uppercut from way far and starting to miss with it, but most also very, very importantly, he was winded. He was gassed after round one. After round and one. those two factors, I think, well, that and the fact that Diaz was just taking those shots and not That's being hurt, those three up. factors, so I think, the are the most important. The same left straight that Connor caught Jose Aldo at 145 and knocked him out in 12 fucking seconds. 12 seconds. Fastest UFC match that's ever happened. Connor literally throws two punches. It was a right that was just throwing it to find his range. It was range, a range finder, yeah. And a left, and it dropped him. He it was a counter hit like Diaz with crazy, that same dude. left. It wasn't really the same left because that, that was a short counter left, but this time he was leading, and it followed after their jab. It was a straight punch. It wasn't like a short... So it technically was you're right, Adney. And, technically and like, you're right. He never connected. He didn't connect. Technically you're right. Full on with it. He was Diaz roll with it. And in that second round, his punches didn't have the same. Even just in the second, it it's, a, the it's only the if second Diaz round. Diaz didn't roll. If Aldo would have learned how to roll like Diaz, that's the thing. Though he charged in like he charged in with like Ronda would with Holly, and it was a charge in, and he wasn't being Nate was and being so a Diaz lot more. Diaz was patient. like, no fuck that. I'm not gonna charge. I'm from Stockton, bitch. You want a box? Let's fucking get slapped. Get slapped. That's how get he slapped. rolls. And not <laughs> only did he slap him once, not twice, but three times McGregor got Stockton slapped, homie. Okay, before we even go any further, 
I just want to say that I might not have predicted this fight, but I was against everybody else because everybody else was like, Connor's got this fight. This fight's over. Connor's got this wrapped in the bag. And I was the guy in everybody's ear that was like, I don't know, dude. I can see Diaz taking it with like, I don't know, a triangle in the second round. What happens? Diaz takes it with the rear naked choke in the second fucking round. Oh, so fuck everybody. <laughs> also, doesn't the Diaz brothers have like really good chins? Because everyone that I talk to, like yeah. I've worked that I don't really know. They're like, no, dude, Diaz, the Diaz brothers can take it on the fucking and part chin. Of that's that, what happens like when you grow up in yeah. Stockton and you're constantly no, and fucking fighting your entire fucking part life. Of that, part of that is the rolling with it too. It really helps. That's true. When you can roll with you're a right. shot, you're it, definitely it right. takes out so much and Diaz's so you can background actually, is box to the point if you can lean against like the ropes or the cage, whichever it may be, and let a guy come at you and punch you. And if you roll with him good, well enough, you can let the guy tee off on you and punch himself out to an extent. That's such a great point that you made because that literally happened in round one. Like, let's not fucking bullshit anybody right now. McGregor won that first round handedly. I wouldn't give him a 10-8 round because, like Adney said, Damn near, though. It was close. Like, it was close Diaz to a 10-8. Diaz <laughs> rolled with all those punches. So, yeah, he was getting connected. And, yeah, there are I certain think, couple shots where he gets fucking knocked, though. I think that's why, like, like he had so many abrasions and cuts is because the shots were kind of grazing. And if you graze with a shot, you're more likely to cut the skin. Um... Then more just like a straight on impact that creates more swelling than cuts. But uh, anyways, I wanted to get to this was the fact about him being winded and thrown uppercut from the up, uh, outside. Outside, so he the, uh, this, outside uppercut was his downfall. So I'm sorry, I from the, he's from the outside. Team. Connor's from the outside. His chin's in the air. God, like <laughs> and, he's not protecting. And his, his, and his hands are low. His hands are kind of low. They're near his chest, not near his, not up. Because he won that first round and so decidedly. So. Yeah, and he was kind of winded too, so that affects you how hard you can hold your arms. And he was doing that thing. He was like, he was fl- he wasn't shooting the jab. He was flicking it. He was doing a little like flick, flick, and then he would throw like a wide left hook up from the outside. And Diaz was able to time him. And as soon as he saw Connor just jerk, it's a, it's telegraphing. It's what it's called. It's when you do a slight. It has to. It can even be the slightest little movement to hint at what you're about to do and a fighter after seeing it a few times will pick up on it and react and that's what Diaz did he saw that little bit of movement like Connor dropping his left just for a second and about to torque the uppercut and he bam with a straight punch and just connected hard Connor didn't roll at all and it hurt Connor visibly you can see him, he goes whoa hold on, whoa I'm gonna back up I'm gonna take a few steps back <laughs> that was I think that's a great point that you just put up though in Diaz is still, even at 170, and Diaz did come in a little heavier than McGregor, McGregor still looked like the bigger guy. It looked like McGregor had more mass. It looked like if McGregor hit you, it's going to hurt more. He was harder. Like, he had a harder saying, body. Because Diaz understands boxing, and he understands how to roll. Yeah, McGregor might have been landing more shots, but Diaz was rolling with the punches. And so finally, when Diaz connected with that fucking money, left, straight, right fucking hook... It startled McGregor because McGregor wasn't rolling off of those punches like Diaz was rolling off of those. And like he and he didn't see it coming, and so it had much more effect and it hurt him. And that I I think that was the entire that changed. He didn't even fall. He didn't fall down or anything. That McGregor took a one two and but he staggered. He took a a step or two back. 
and I agree that was the complete change of the fight because he realized, legs. oh shit, Nate's gonna take all of my fucking punches, and apparently I can't take two of his. And, and that's Adney, a huge Adney's always mental said, factor. Adney's always said like your eyes are your defense. Your eyes are your defense. If you don't see it coming, you're gonna get hit. So fucking McGregor is basically saying or basically thinking he he thought he had the fight in the bag already. So he's not even really like kind of clowning a little bit. I mean, that's around. the first so time when I'm... he gets hit with from Diaz, then it's like like Adney said, "Oh shit, okay. Now, now okay, they might get I'm getting, you know, it needs to be a little bit more serious now. I can't be fucking around. I have to actually try to fight." I want to bring up one one quick more thing is that is the puncher's mentality. Someone who's spent their whole career hitting guys and them going to sleep, they're used to their power, and when that happens and you're hitting guy with everything you have and you're not having that effect, that can fuck you up in your head psychologically. So then you get a little bit discouraged. And if you get caught like he did, more discouraged. That's why when Diaz was able to take him down, the way he was on top of him and the way Connor like rolled over. I can't really describe the way he no, rolled dude, over. The way he rolled over, over seems you knew so... You over when Connor shot because, okay, Diaz catches him with a left and a right, but they keep standing up, and I think it goes for about 30 to 45 seconds more, but Diaz winds up catching him again. But what's crazy is within these 30 to 40 seconds, McGregor catches Diaz. Like, when they were standing up, if it would have never went to the ground, I would say that McGregor got the best of Diaz, and Diaz is the boxer, but it's because that Diaz is the boxer. He knows how to roll with the punches. He knows that he's going to take damage. Connor didn't realize he was going to take damage. This is the first fucking fight where Connor has actually gotten beat the fuck up. But he wasn't even getting beat up until Connor shot for the takedown. Why did Connor shoot for the takedown? Because Connor was getting boxed because it took Nate a solid round to find out his range. Why would it take a boxer to find out his range? Nate Diaz took this fight on 10 days notice. 10 fucking days. He was one he fights Nate Diaz fights at 155. 155 is his fighting range. He can fight at 170 and he can fight at 145 with camps he wasn't able to have this camp so Diaz even came in to the pref conference saying I'll fight you at 155 I don't give a fuck and McGregor because McGregor is who McGregor is said keep the weight I'll beat you at 170 and he took the fight oh, at shit. 170 I wonder if there would have been a difference if he would have kept it at 155 only 10 pounds instead of 25 we could go into an entire conversation about me thinking that about McGregor... weight drain weight drain is a whole it's a long yeah, it's a whole other thing we got right now JR we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna really, wrap this yeah, up we spent right a lot now. of time on our intro that really ate at the we're gonna talk. wrap this up right <laughs> now and just say that the reason why McGregor lost is because McGregor was too confident and I'm gonna say the I don't, main factor I'm not gonna say the con- I'm gonna say it was a factor Okay, you're right. I will say A factor. I think the number one factor of why McGregor lost is because he thought he was tougher than Nate, and Nate showed him different. He's like, no, you aren't tougher. Give me your best shot, and Nate ate it. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. Ate Connor's best shot, the same shot that took out Aldo, that took out Mendez, that took out all these other guys that he is annihilating at 145. He hit Diaz with that same shot multiple times, and Diaz said, you ain't shit. I'm Be not surprised, than motherfuckers. Me. Stockton, bitch. And then Nate wound up getting a fucking nice roll. So I don't even think that we fucking ended the fight. Let's end the fight. Let's wrap this up. So Connor shoots. 
and Connor doesn't get it because Connor's tired when he finally shoots. He's tired, he's beat up, he shoots, and it's just not a it's not a great takedown attempt. And Nate is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so Nate straight just ninjas him essentially. Connor's even like on top at one point and Nate ninjas him and you'll see it in like Three to five seconds that Nate goes from on his back with Connor on top of him to Nate completely mounting Connor. And Connor is getting beat up. And Nate's throwing left and a right and a left. And Connor's like, no, fuck you. And he tries to hip escape. And he rolls. And Connor rolls to his back. And he gives Nate his back. And as soon as he gave Nate his back, Nate goes for the rear naked choke, right? He almost has it, but he doesn't quite have it. Connor's tucking in that chin. And Nate, because he's a badass, fires a right fucking hook right to this motherfucker's chin. Boop! Bops his chin up, he sinks the choke, locks it, and it was over. So the greatest, or not the greatest, but the most hyped UFC fighter jumps 25 pounds and loses. And then the first thing anybody has to say is how much of a shitty fucking fighter Conor McGregor is. So, why are people sitting here telling me that Connor sucks? Oh, you suck for jumping 25 fucking pounds? Really? I I really got to say dude, these anyone who's saying that just doesn't understand the fight game one iota. Uh, so many people don't. They really fucking don't understand there's so many factors that go into fighting every fight, especially this fight where you have yeah, Nate Diaz came in on very short notice, you got to give him props, but God but him, Connor did, like you said, he was cut, he was already so close to what to the fighting when he was supposed to be at. He's like, you keep the weight, you. I don't want you to be drained because he was out. Yeah. He this guy is so fucking ballsy. Like he's just he's so, I he's so much confidence in himself. Like no, I'll I can fight anyone anytime anywhere. 25. And the fact these people are people who haven't even watched the entire fight are saying that he sucks. Like, you have no right to say one of these people sucks. Because he wasn't invincible, really? He sucks? You're a moron. You don't know the fight game. Plain and fucking simple. Like, he wasn't even losing the fucking fight, dude. He jumped 25 fucking pounds, and then he was literally out striking a fucking boxer. And, dude, and losses fucking happen. Every great fighter loses. Like, that's just what I... It, what matters is how you come back after the loss. Is this going to ruin Connor? Is his confidence going to be magically gone? Or is he going to get it back? Is he going to come back stronger? Is he going to get a rematch with Nate? Is he going to beat him next time? Even Muhammad Ali, who everyone, yeah, everyone, people who haven't even seen him fight, will say, yeah, he's the greatest. Uh, you they never Eddie, even fucking you seen one Eddie, fucking fight. You don't even have an opinion. I don't believe. Fuck you. <laughs> so not you, Chris, but those people. I'm like, yeah, and you know what? Ali lost Bear five me. times. Five times in his career he lost. But the important thing is, when he lost, like to Joe Frazier, he came back and won. When he lost to Ken Norton, he came back and he won. That's what's important. All the Sugar Ray Robinson, the greatest boxer that ever fucking lived, he lost to Lamada. He lost to Gene Fulmer. He lost to Carmen Basilio. He came back and beat those guys later. That's what's important. And these fucking people, I hate my most hated thing is when people are like, that you get for talking shit. That's what happens when you talk shit. Is it? Is that what happens when you, is that, do you have a lot of experience? Are you a fighter? <laughs> do you get a lot of fights? Do you know what happens when you talk shit? No, you moron. Like, I hate people talk shit about people who talk shit. It's like, you talk shit right now. 
It's like you're the guy on the couch eating your fucking Cheetos. Like, oh, well, if you would have done that, like, dude, why do you think he's the biggest star in the sport? Is because he talks. Same with Ronda. Part of the reason she was so big is because they both talked. It creates interest from the like you, you idiotic casual fan would have not paid attention to her or him unless they talked all this shit. And that's why you got interested. You're a fucking hypocrite. You're a goddamn moron. You need to stop talking. If you have these stupid thoughts in your head, keep them in your head. You need to realize you're ignorant of the sport. And keep that shit to yourself because talking shit is what got these people on the map. And it doesn't mean they're a bad fighter because they lost once. I just mentioned Muhammad Ali. He was the Louisville lip. He was known for fucking talking. He would lose, right? And he'd be talking. His first fight against Ken Norton, he got his jaw broken. He's in the hospital with his jaw wired shut. Oh, come on, back. I want to beat Ken Norton. Oh, come on, Like, Talking is part of the game because you it's that you're trying to get in your opponent's head. You're trying to get them off your game. You're trying to let them see how confident you are so it throws them off. Talking shit is not a bad fucking thing. It's just part of the game, and that doesn't mean you're going to lose. Yeah, he talks shit, and look how many fights they both won in a row from talking shit. Then they finally lose one out of, what, 12? And that's what happens when you talk and shit. Really? Yeah. If talking shit leads you to a 12 and one record, I'm talking shit all day. <laughs> I'll talk shit all day and night. And I'm not even a fan. I, I don't watch much sports at all. And I'm very interested in watching Conor McGregor talk and fight. That goes to show you that he's even appealing to the people who are not normal fans. That's what I'm saying. The casual fans. And in he, order to get casual fans interested, they had to talk that shit. Because that's what gets these casual fans out of their fucking seats. Even HBO's 24-7, uh, when that first came on, you had... Um, uh, Oscar De La Hoya and it was uh, Floyd Mayweather and it was the perfect evil versus good you had uh, the Oscar Golden De La Hoya. Boy his had, nickname had, is the Golden Boy <laughs> Oscar De La Hoya represented as this like as this family man as this like oh that's the guy that everyone this pretty boy family for. man and then yeah. you had Floyd coming along talking hella shit so you have the evil and good and it's like it's a build up and I'm not even if I'm a casual fan of boxing as well I know more about boxing than I do UFC because of Adney but I recognize that even at a young age when I watched that fight which was what 2008 2007 Seven. I knew it was around something like that. But there you go. It's the evil versus good. It, it's a buildup. All right. It's, we got to wrap this up. Jesus versus We're at an Satan. hour. We're at an you hour. Know. You know, and I'm sure there's so many fucking people that just don't even give a fuck about People are probably going to skip this part. But um, we're going to go. We're going to throw it over to uh, Chris's dating corner over here. Just, ooh. Ah. Mmm. Chris's dating corner. <laughs> like, so what's up? Uh, I what's can't going even stop with, uh, laughing because. <laughs> so, Chris, Chris, what's going on Hold with on. your uh, dating so corner? So, for so long, you've been giving us horror stories on this podcast, and it's our favorite part. Definitely my favorite part oh, of the podcast so is when you tell mm, me so sweet. and the listeners it. these horrible, horrible life experiences. But the, you started this podcast by thanking a girl. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that you don't have a horror story. You have something good to say. And I'm, I'm so just going to – I'm going to take – shut up. I'm going to take that as my cue to go to sleep. I'm going oh, to take a minute. No, because it's actually an amazing – it's not like, oh, you know, we we went on a date and then, you know, we had, we had dinner and then, you know, well, I tried and uh, she said no and, but you know. Th- these people have seen you. Our listeners have seen you from – the bottom of the ditches being pissed off <laughs> screaming, screaming at us into the mic and screaming at our fans Chris going, cannot like, get any luck dude and then well they, Chris got luck they, they, they see Chris. your arc like they've witnessed your character arc and it's exciting and it's so crazy <laughs> because I literally I literally went from like not getting anything at all not even and, like, being stoked about a fucking text to the complete opposite I'm like bitch don't even text me. Don't take that literal, Rachel. 
I enjoy you. Anyway, the fucking story, you mom. Dude, you guys aren't ready for the story. All right. <laughs> so we already talked he about dicks out She needed she okay, so the what well, like um so the last cast the where was I? Where was I? I the issue know. you had an issue with the um I was having sexual I problems I because I couldn't I know, so shut up. <laughs> I was having sexual issues because I couldn't get her off. There were we were having a good time, but I was having a hard time fulfilling her needs, or so I thought. Yeah, and you were having a hard time getting apple juice at three a.m. in the morning. Too. Oh my I gosh, am. the dude still comes in. For the apple juice. No, no, the apple, juice, no the apple juice no. is another podcast. <laughs> That's but still a problem. Even though the last one, like, no, that the, problem hasn't gone away. But the last <laughs> episode was the issue of uh, not getting not getting this certain person off, but also um, having the issue with uh, f- photographs. But you've worked that out. You've uh, you're working on that. You listen to the cast. She listens to the podcast. So I had to flesh all of my garbage out on air with you guys because mm-hmm. it allows me to think about things from a different perspective because you guys helped me and my listeners helped me i had a couple emails you know thank you for listening. it's very therapeutic the way a stand-up comedian talks about their personal life on stage and it helps them compared to like if i'm trying to have this Way same conversation <laughs> with her i can't like it's just it's not the same so i think that we're both benefiting from the me talking about it on here, but she completely killed it this last week, dude. I can't, I have no complaints. So here's what happened. She listened to the blowjob cast, right? And she's like, uh, no, I don't give 12s. Oh, that's what it was. I'm that's what you brought it. up. You talked about the blowjob Well, situation. there was multiple things. There's multiple things. Yeah, yeah, but but that was one of them. That's one of them. So that was the first thing she hit me up about. And she's like, no, fuck you. Let me prove myself. You're going to call me a 12 on fucking on... Uh, and I'm like, what do you mean prove yourself? And she's like, I'm just going to blow you. And I was like, well, it has to be a pure blow. And she's like, obviously, we are not going to have sex tonight. And I was like, you think you can give me a blowjob without fucking me? And she's like, duh. And I was like, good luck. <laughs> there you go. And so uh, she gets to give me a blowjob. And this time, it's not like the other times where it's like the routine shit. No, she like... Puts me on the fucking mattress, takes all my clothes off. Like, I don't take my clothes off. I'm not slowly taking. No, she like rips my fucking clothes off. She puts me fucking down. Sounds like a rape. And she's like, I am getting at least a 20. And then just goes down. And she's getting that. What's that enthusiasm, homeboy? It's immediately enthusiasm is off the fucking charts. Like, she took me from the living room into the room. And at first, Going back to what we were saying, I hate being in the room, right? Oh, man, fuck the room. As soon as I came in that house, every single one of that her ex's pictures were gone. No Ooh. way. Gone, Dude, bro. Rachel, you are the... F- Dude, at least she... It, I mean, yes, we, we, that was the issue of like, okay, listen, it's hard. You can't bring this up because it's something she's dealing with. But for her, that shows comfortability with you. That shows that she actually... You mean more to her... In a sense, like this relationship means something. You're not just another guy. You're I'm not, not just, just fucking. You're not her. just another guy. You're not just fucking her. You guys are hanging all the time, yeah. but she's willing to go above me on. She found out that you had an issue, and she's willing to help you work with you through that yeah. issue. She's That's working awesome. towards. She's working for you because I think she feels you're working for her. And then yeah. she lit me up with like, "How dare you talk about 
Well, not how dare you, because I already, she already cleaned it new, but she was like, so now do you feel comfortable with talking to me about the shit that you need to talk to me about before you go to your fucking friends? Nope. And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it did. It did. That little thing that she proved to me, like, she listened to the podcast. I had fucking complaints. The first thing I fucking go, I go into the house, that picture's gone. I go into the fucking kitchen, the whiteboard, gone. I go into the room, picture's gone. Everything is fucking gone. Gone. And I was like, alright, that means... So, just with that right there, it took it from being casual to serious. Now, we haven't claimed it. I, I don't sit here and say I'm dating her, but I do because say she's getting, my lady. You don't want to just... You don't want to rush into anything. It's always a build-up. You have to put each other through certain scenarios before you can actually date someone. I hate the idea of rushing into a fucking relationship. Like we talked about on another podcast, codependency is very unhealthy. Fucking, you can't serial date. You can't Stevie Hella called a girl out on date. Facebook for doing that. Some no, girl no, changed her Facebook status. And so wait, why did you even, where did you even come up with this concept of serial dating? Oh, well, ser- well, serial dating is the idea of just jumping from relationship to relationship just because it's like you need somebody. It's codependency. That's bad for your mental health because it means that you're not comfortable alone. You can't yeah, be by you're yourself. Afraid, you're afraid if you get to know yourself, you won't like you. Yeah. You need someone constantly there showering you with affection. What if so I you don't feel need good me? What about if I'm yourself? completely content with myself, but I just need that other person? You is that need. still codependency? No, you, you just said you need, need another person, so yeah. you're a piece of shit. No, listen, why, do you need on, another, why do you need that other person, Chris? I do need another why? person. Why do you always need one? If you break I'm up, I'm not depending on her. That's no, 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 we're talking about serial dating. No, yeah, serial, serial dating. Codependent doesn't mean we're talking about wanting to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. We're talking about breaking up with someone and then a couple of days later, someone else. Then we break up with them, but a couple days later, love. getting with someone with them. Someone you claim you love. Like this girl has yeah, actually saying, said it. She stated maybe six times within like a year and a half. I have witnessed her. I love this guy. I love this. And it's like, that's the thing. You're, you know, No, you don't. It's lust. You are lusting after this person. I wouldn't say it's lust. Her. I say it definitely infatuation. Okay, lust is like what I had with Kat. Last podcast. That oh, was yeah, lust. Okay, okay. Uh, infatuation is definitely like you love the idea of this person, what they could be, and what you like about them. You love those things, but not everything of and like, this, just this who they image are. image that you've pulled up. Oh no, this yeah, is yeah. that person. You're putting the pusher on a pedestal. Yeah, but not only that, but that's oh, not, she's not doing it. <laughs> I feel like she's not doing it because she's infatuated with these people. I just feel like she's doing it because she's afraid to be alone. And that comes back to mental health. I think you're absolutely because right. Because I dude. always say that how can someone love you if you don't love yourself? It's impossible. It is impossible for someone to love you if you're not comfortable with yourself and you are, you like need somebody because you have to get, you need that, um, that, what is it, what is it called? When we, when we like hearing like you did a good job, um, when someone gives you feedback, basically, we talked right, about right. this before. Like compliments? At work. No, at work, you know. Recognition. Um, recognition. And, uh, you need that constant recognition of no, you are special. You know, we all have that in some sort of way. You are special. You are good. I feel like she I mean, just, I have it. I don't want to sit here and no, say I don't. I have, have that it. as well. I, I, have I like a little bit of that. I talk about myself. I like getting recognition back. It's nice. I don't. I used to do it more for other people, but I do it more for myself now. But that's Basically, her. their self-esteem is this crumbling bridge, and they need you to stand under that bridge and hold it up all day, every day. And when you get tired and you can no longer do it, 
you're the bad guy. What? You're I can't, letting like, me crumble. I can't, like, switch someone <laughs> out. You know, like, let me get a switch. Yeah, that's what. That's the exact same thing. Is when you get she's tired and want to leave, she kicks she's you out switching. and brings a new guy. What? No, she's switching. Switch and come back though. Like I'm not. Hey, if she's cool with that, whatever. That happens too. A lot of these people will have somebody and say they love the second person, and then go back to the first person saying they love that first person. The thing is, she was madly in love with this. This one's super serious. It was a guy with a child. She has two kids herself, and. Oh, this guy's the one, you know, and then they break up and it was not even like three weeks that she was like posting all this stuff, you know, about being alone or just like stupid things about being single, single mom and like all these dumb posts about I'll eat pizza by myself and all this I'm stuff. I'm proud to be and single. Then she I'm super strong. Right back into another no relationship. And yet the next one's like, uh. Next one's right around the corner <laughs> and right around the corner and right around the corner. She's constantly jumping from dick to dick. It's codependency. And she the fact that, the fact that she's making this way too specific um it does apply on the general yeah, outlook, to anybody right? yeah to i want to say like the fact that she, that person is con- or uh, all these people constantly post on social media proud of being single a hunt like a post a day about proud of being single i could do this on my own then they get relationship they're constantly posting the person they're with Tom, always saying they love them always pictures always this because they need everyone else to believe they're happy. Yeah. They need everyone else to believe their life is awesome. They want everyone to congrats. Oh, congrats, congrats. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, I look up to you. Oh, you're inspiring. You're doing it on your own. That's inspiring. And, and I All you think about is your kid. All you think about is being you. That's amazing. Oh, you're in love. That's fucking great. They need that shower of affection and appreciation or else they feel empty inside and they can't be who they are without it. And I could touch uh, – like I had a problem with an ex of mine. I'm not going to say who, but she was actually texting – a friend or a relative, whatever, um, a brother or a sister, whatever you want to have. And I'm not going to say who, constantly telling this person, I am happy. How are you doing? And the person would answer back, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. Well, I'm happy on this side. I hope you let, you know, you let Stevie know that I'm happy on this side, please. Like, it was almost like I am telling this person I'm happy. I'm very happy. Now I'm truly in love and saying, basically trying to get, this person that I know to let me know that, hey, your ex, very, very happy. Just, and it's like, they need that. They want you to know. They want everybody to know that they're happy. But the thing is, if you constantly have to reassure somebody you're king, then you're not king. Which, coming back to <laughs> Chris's <laughs> corner. Not, sorry, what's the exact quote? I apologize. I was paraphrasing. <laughs> Any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. And that's exactly what it is. Anybody who has to say that I am, I am truly happy. Like, oh, occasionally post, like, man, this is... Like once we got the podcast started and once we were just flowing everything, I posted and said, "This is this is probably the happiest I've ever been. I am very content with my life right now." And that was like a one-time post. I never post that. I never constantly remind people that I'm happy. I'm always making fun of myself online because that's funny. Um, but and posting had, douchey selfies of like your hair kind of messed up. You're all, yeah, look at me in my coffee. Whatever, mug. dude. And if I, I had hair like his, <laughs> I would do the same thing. But I, I would don't. too. But whatever. <laughs> and I even put and I even post and I even say douchey selfie. Like, <laughs> yeah, you put that caveat to try to no, like, you do no, it like no, be, yeah. I'm, I'm totally. I'm covering my ass. Exactly. I'm covering hey, my hey, ass. Hey, gotta <laughs> cover your ass. But it still, it still works. I posted one selfie in the past, like five months and that selfie was mainly Chris. Like, <laughs> it was only half my face. Most of it was Chris in the background it's funny cause yelling I always, at me. I would always talk shit on selfies. I've never posted selfies. But like once you're single and stuff, you know. You but I do post douchey gym videos, so it's okay. I love your gym videos. I post videos. pictures That's of me fine. reading. Okay, so I'm a douche as Back well. to Chris's corner. Back we to have, corner. I want to know about her stamina. You what didn't talk about her really stamina. What really coming up on is the fact that she is willing to, 
And we have come to this place that we are willing to do almost anything for each other. Which leads in to the great Chris's Corner. So, I'm there. <laughs> She's listened to the podcast. She knows that I have frustration. She's a legitimate fan, too. She's a legitimate She also fan. knows that she gave a 12-er. So, and, and that's... That was hurting her. She did not like that at all. Like, that was the first thing that she said to me. She was like, fuck that, fuck you, I'm going to do better. Not, fuck that, fuck you, you're not getting a blowjob anymore. It was the complete opposite because I feel like it can go either way yes, with some can. girls. Yeah, it can. Some girls will get fucking pissed off. And she went the opposite way. How is that not bonus points right there for her blowjob? Like, I feel like that was bonus points for enthusiasm. Like, it automatically shot up to a five. Enthusiasm five. Not only was there that, but as soon as I get there, the kid finally goes into the room. The kid is always around. Let me... Let it be known that it's not a problem for me. It's not like I'm sitting here saying, the kid's always around and I hate it. No, it's cool. He listen, I well, enjoy the, kid the listen little to the guy. podcast and he's like, mom, you're going to give him, <laughs> he's like, mom, you're going to give him a 19 pointer, huh? Uh, so mom, I'm going to go ahead and go to bed. Mom, how come you only do 12? Mom, what's, <laughs> a, what's a 12 and why are you giving those? I'm going to go to bed. You give Chris, you give, you give Papa Chris or Pappy Chris a 19 mom, and mom. I'll wake up, I'll wake him I up at 3am for apple juice, but mom, from, from I, want apple juice. I want apple juice. Make sure you give Chris 12. Apple juice and 12. It's always apple juice. It doesn't matter. I can, it doesn't matter what it is. He can sleep with us and he'll wake up at fucking 430. He can sleep without us and he's going to fucking wake up at 430. But if I'm not there, the motherfucker sleeps all night. Oh, nice. Ooh. I don't think he's so. I think, it's he obvious. I think he has a list when he's saying asshole Jews, and you just think you want Jews. <laughs> I think I know Jews. Asshole Jews. Asshole Jews. And you're like, holy shit, this kid's. I think up. I know what's happening here, but no. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wait. Let's hear it. No, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till I have more evidence. Okay. So that's a thing. That's a thing. He keeps coming up. So, anyways. He doesn't want another fucking brother. We're at the stage. We're at the stage where I am frustrated because I wasn't able to get this girl off. And not only was I not able to get her off, but she told me I wasn't able to get her off. And then she was like, okay, well, here's what you should do. And she gave me little pointers here and there. But then I went with our approach, and I was like, well, I don't think you even know what you want. And I played that (laughs) douchebag role, and I fucked up. (laughs) And I was like, well, you're constantly using your vibrator. And she's like, you know what? Fuck the vibrator then. Fuck the vibrator. I'm not gonna use the vibrator anymore. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That that's that's. If you insist. (laughs) That's awesome for me. And bringing that around like a week ago because this podcast is a week behind. Uh, I'm not gonna use the vibrator, but I did bring Michael J. Fox in. But that was a contribute. I have to add it. I have to say that that was a contributing factor to why because she stopped using the vibrator. Two or three days before this even happened, before the sex story that I'm going to tell you guys even happened. So finally, okay. I bring over movies, dude. I love movies. We love movies. We always watch fucking movies. That's the reason we started this podcast. She doesn't have cable. She doesn't have cable or anything like that. She's got the little antenna and shit. And the funny thing is, is she can afford cable. She's just never fucking there. She doesn't need cable. You know, she doesn't want it. 
That's good. She shouldn't I fucking be that. sitting her kid in front of a TV hey, to watch cable I get anyway. That. Okay, I think that's you awesome. You know what? That is awesome, except there is a DVD player and a TV in the room that never shuts off, which I do think contributes to him waking up at 3 fucking 30 every fucking night. I think if the room was completely fucking silent, then at 4.30 when he wakes up, he's not going to want to go to his mom. He'll wake up, go back to sleep. I think that is a contributing point, but that's not what I want to get started on. We can come back to that. I want to... Start about the amazing fucking sex that we had. No, so you I was it having so much. I was having sexual frustrations with her before. I was like, okay, well, I can't get you off. You know, like we're sitting here and I'm using a fucking vibrator and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Like, what do I need to get you off? And she was like, I do not know. Let me talk to some friends. You know, and she went around fishing a little bit. And what happened is we both realized that I was sexually frustrated. She wasn't frustrated. She sat there and told me that she enjoyed it. She loves that when when we have sex, you know, and she's telling me all this stuff, but it was hurting me because I needed her to get fulfilled. So how do I, I need to know that she's getting fulfilled? And it's one thing for her to be like, oh, I'm getting fulfilled or, oh, I'm coming <laughs> to no, lie to you. Yeah. I need to know. And there's a difference when they're lying to you and when they know. You can tell. You, when they're actually orgasming and when they're not, you know. It, it there's really a very is... specific, like a tremble is part of it. Exactly. There's a high pitch part of it. There's a, a heat in their chest, a redness. And so Ooh, I'm sitting there, okay, flushness. how do I get when they that? Wake up, that's a, certain, a certain contortion. Like, I, I know they're coming when they wake up. Her. At this <laughs> moment, like, that's how I know they're coming. Like, they wake up and I'm like, you're orgasming, aren't you, right now? <laughs> and she's like, what's your name? And get the fuck off me. <laughs> and I was like, I am getting off on you. Whatever. So, whatever. Oh, so at this my. point, that's where I'm at. I'm like, okay, so I'm not even having fun anymore. Chris just stole Fuck my beer her. for this story. I'm like, yo, okay, yeah. <laughs> Chris, like, he's done. No, he's he's taking the he leans over, takes my he beer, deserves it. and he brings it over to him. And it's like, what can you do, man? He has an awesome story. You kind of have to drink my fucking beer. And so she knows that I am frustrated. like, And, and she knows that I have already kind of figured out her faking an orgasm. And it, well, that would even kind of made me more mad. But she didn't even say she faked it. And that's actually never even been addressed. I, I'm, I know she faked one. I know she faked one. But this isn't about the fake one. This is about the real one. Okay, so how did I get this girl who can only orgasm with a vibrator, only, throughout all the sexual partners she's had. Let's call it 15. 15 sexual partners that she's had so far, she has never been able to have a vaginal orgasm from these fucking people. Times three. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so what are they doing? And I'm sitting here thinking, and we have these talks. That's why this girl is so... Did you take my advice? Did you nickname your dick That's why this girl is so fucking cool is because we can talk about all this shit, the shit that I'm able to talk to you guys about that I didn't think that I was able to talk to her about, I am, which kind of fucked me up. I didn't realize that I was able to talk to her like a dude without her calling me dude and being my friend. You're she's comfortable, that's how you're it comfortable around her with and girl, she's comfortable around you. But, but with a girl and you're that fucking comfortable Even if you're already kind of dating, friends. you have to be, you have to fucking walk on eggshells because they can get really, really offended yeah. by the slightest fucking thing. That's such you're, a great No point. matter how such delicate you try to put it, you know. They could be pissed off. And Wait, so why I are you talking to her about everything? And I was like, really? Do you really want it? And she's like, yeah. And she's starting to pick and prod me. You she's know? Like, honesty. You want you want to preach honesty, Chris Smith? Well, hit me with some fucking honesty. And she's least... like, okay, give me truth bombs. And so I gave truth bombs. I did, bombs. bitch. You got a 12. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't like it. Okay. And so, okay. So the first thing that even happens when I get over there, boom. Kids asleep. This is all just a big old preface to she what I'm advice. even she talking to you guys about. Finally, the sex talk. Finally, oh the God. sex talk is happening. Okay. So, I'm on the couch. 
I put on the fucking movie. We both fucking know we're not going to watch the fucking movie. <laughs> what movie was it, though, by the way? Ex Machina, which is uh, actually a great movie. Okay, and wanna, we can go on, like, how you say it, Ex Machina, Ex Machina. No, Ex Machina. Machina. You're the one that said it right the first time, Chris. So. I just don't want to be that guy that mispronounces shit. Okay, so anyways. It doesn't even matter. You didn't watch it anyway. Uh, I have watched it before, though. No, and that's the only reason I got time. it is because I knew it was an amazing movie. Shout out, Oscar Riser. Yeah, if you do really want to watch it, this is like an actually really great movie to watch. Anyways, she's like, I'm giving you a 20, at least a 20. If I don't reach a 20, we're not going to have sex. And so she just starts going to town. We're watching the movie. Scenarios played out. That's kind I'm of blackmailing you into boosting her numbers. She's on the top. And not only that, but that's me. Like, I like blowjobs more than anything, so I would have just been like, still a 12. Even if she got hella good, I'd be like, still a 12. You, get, so, you should keep doing it. Suck my funny. dick in the morning. Suck my dick when I come back next week. I, I mean, I, I just love getting blowjobs. That's my favorite thing. So, so I would have lied. <laughs> kids finally in the room. We're watching a movie. Five fucking minutes, not even. The fucking previews are still coming up. She starts blowing me. And I was like, okay, well, I kind of knew this was coming up. Like, she had already geared me up that I am going to suck your dick and I'm going to get in the 20s. And then she was like, if I don't get in the 20s, we're not going to have sex. <laughs> hey, Rachel, Adney and I think you're 11, so hit us up. You know what I'm <laughs> Dr. Dadney needs to know the numbers. Really? Chris could, Chris could. Chris is biased. <laughs> if you don't even... Okay, well, I'm biased. Adam is, like, ultra-biased. Yeah. Okay, okay, Des just texted me and said, you better not be asking girls for blowjobs on the podcast. So, uh, so, no way. Uh, oh, that's the first thing that we've heard about Des. Oh Jesus God. Christ. Oh Addie doesn't say shit back, about Back Des. to your story. Back to your story. I'll talk so, shit about her one day. Don't you worry. You won't. I will. Whatever. I'll Des, talk mad shit about my Des? girlfriend. I love... I, I do enjoy you, Des. You're awesome. You are amazing. She doesn't listen to the podcast, so it doesn't matter. Just like she does listen, she just fucking takes forever because she sucks just like <laughs> rachel there are, are ways that you can improve and i think that okay we're gonna get into a really touchy subject that is not chris's corner but i think that that will help to adney's relationship with her because i do think that uh, adney has certain complaints that he will not vocalize which i understand why but there are Certain things that you can work on, just like I'm sure there's certain things that Adney can work on, and you guys can make it better. But the whole like, uh, we're not gonna browse around it kind of thing is hurtful. It is hurtful, and that's all I'm gonna say. And that wasn't a lot of information or anything like that. Let's get back to the sex corner. <laughs> but let's go back to the sex corner. So I know that I can't get this girl off with simple shit. I can't sit there and rub her vagina and put a porno on, you know. So. I'm like, go to the room, and I start heating up some chocolate. I went to the store beforehand, no, no, and Chris I bought, tells me, yeah, hey, I did, hey, I did, because I, I need some chocolate. I'm about help. to melt some chocolate on her, and then like five minutes later, he goes, hey, how do I melt some chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> how do I melt chocolate? Well, because I, gotta, I looked hold up on. the recipe. Hold on, there's a reason why Stevie said it in that voice that, hey, hey. Because this was at like three in the morning, <laughs> it's like, it's middle of the night, hella late. Text, my phone's lighting up. I'm passed out. Hey, hey, hey! It's like Chris. Chris came into a room full of fucking like. Uh, it's like a. He walked into a slumber party and he sees like he's got to make his pass, make his way past all these women on the ground to see me at the computer with headphones on. Like, hey, test me on the shoulder. Hey, hey, you listening? Um, how do I melt chocolate? It's like everyone else on the group chat is sleeping, but Chris needs my opinion. Doesn't write me personally. Just writes on the group chat, hoping that nobody else's phone goes off. But uh, I was like, he, he's gonna put it in the microwave. But I was like, no, man, Bam 
Marie. Bain Marie is like get a thing it of boiling water. It was the double water. boil thing. It's double boil, yeah. That it's was Marie. what it was. Right I was like, I was so like, boil really the water. This whole thing is put I was the like, bowl on top with the fucking chocolate, and then you melt the chocolate in the bowl. The bowl has to be obviously wider than the fucking the uh, pot of boiling water, and the steam melts the chocolate. Boom, easy money. And so I'm sitting there, and I was like, oh okay. And the, but the pot that I put on the boiling water. It was like a really fragile pot that I didn't realize because I'm not a kitchen dude. But she came out because she's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you starting my stove? Why are you in my shit? Which is understandable. I get that. My chef like, oh. friend told me I could do this. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm heating up this chocolate. I'm going to fucking pour it on you. That's what's happening. And she's like, you ain't pouring that on me. Uh, yeah, I am. That's the only reason I bought the fucking chocolate. I- I'm pouring it on you. Now, you ain't pouring that on me. How hot do you want it to be? That's literally what the conversation got down to because she was adamant about me. Not like, wait, how hot? Like, how sexy do you want she this to like, be? She was like, no. Or how fucking boiling hot do you it want this to be? It depends on the chocolate. Some like, chocolate she has... didn't want it on her at all. She was, was like, I hate to be sticky hot. shit. Like, syrup, pancakes. That's not my jam. I don't fuck around with sticky shit. And you want to sit here and drape sticky shit all over my vagina? And I was like, mm, what yeah. Do you think, what do you think I is? <laughs> sticky shit. My cum is sticky shit. And she was like, well, cum's different. And actually, this story is leading up to the whole cum thing. I, uh, it's going to get here. It's going to yeah. get there, the cum thing. Cause yeah. I, you yeah, got yeah. it? You got it? Continue. Hurry up. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's going to happen. And she was like, no, it's not, blah, blah, blah. She goes to take a shower. She's out. And then we just start, you know, foreplay. Bam. We're on the couch. The movie's playing. Kids in the room. Foreplay is going on. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. The Ex heat is on. Fucking in the she starts giving me a blowjob. She's ready. She's she had already started giving me a blowjob beforehand. So this is my second blowjob at this point. The first one ended because I ended it and I got up and I started to make the chocolate. Now, does that, <laughs> does that reflect on her giving me a bla- a bad blowjob? I don't no. think it does. No. I think that no. I was so preoccupied with wanting to get her off that she could have gave me a 25 and it still wouldn't have worked because I was so focused on getting her off that I didn't give a shit if I was getting off and I was literally trying to not get my off. But a true 25 or would have taken you out of your game. Just throw that out there. You right. You right. But yeah, you and wanted, it wasn't you wanted that chocolate though. You wanted that chocolate. I wanted that. Chocolate. I tried it before and it was just too much. It was like I, I'm not I used to. That I don't chocolate. like this much chocolate. It's too chocolatey. Can we stop? <laughs> like that's how it works. Wait, you yourself was like it's too much chocolate, or your girl? Was no, like, I was like because I was pouring chocolate on my teeth hurt. Gross. How much chocolate my, did you my pour? Teeth on? Hurt. Wait, too on, much. Honey? Okay, before, <laughs> before we even get into how much chocolate you pour on her, let me just fucking finish my story. Okay, so. We're boiling the chocolate. I don't know why, but I get this another idea in my head, and I was like, okay, well, I know I've heard from people that ice cubes also do something. And if you go, <laughs> they do something. If you I go from something. like extreme cold to extreme hot, maybe that'll do something too. Like, yeah, I'm honestly thinking of any, anything, frosting. anything that I can do that's break gonna get this that girl shit. off. You can't just buy, you so break yeah. mugs by doing that. So yeah, I'm melting the chocolate, and yeah. I pull out an ice cube too. So, chocolate's melted. I grab a strawberry. <laughs> Just one. Because I also understand that one, we're going to bang out right now. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to dip all these strawberries in this chocolate. Well, not for her because I wanted chocolate. <laughs> strawberries. <laughs> strawberries, yeah. I went to a baby shower the other day and they had a chocolate fountain. 
Yeah. You, you don't want to be all full of like, It's good that you did one <laughs> strawberry before you start a bang because you don't want to be like, oh, I'm hella full of chocolate and strawberries exactly. right now. <laughs> like, but I knew I was going to want one. So I brought a strawberry with me at least. <laughs> you laid on the nightstand. <laughs> so That's for later. This, brought, this brought, brings us to our uh, our sponsor, um, Sherry's Berries. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry's Berries out there. So I bring her in the room. I, I don't bring the pot in because like it's like a pot, you know, like 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 what you bring. Nothing sexy about a pot. Exactly, no. you know, like a pot you you'd make ramen or noodles. Yeah, you don't want to bring that. So I bring it in like a little sexy cup unless you want to do some of the handles. Because she's a like, real mom and she's got her shit. She is a real woman. She's got her shit unlocked, so she's even got the little fucking dipping cups and shit. So I'm literally able to put it into like a dipping cup that that looks fancy and gets she's got strawberry ramekins. She's already in the room. She's She's ready to go. I come in there. I'm fucking stoked because she knows what the fuck's going down right now. Yeah, chocolate and strawberries on board. Chocolate's <laughs> happening. Haven't told her about the ice cube yet. So, <laughs> we're going this is my to ace up to sleep. Uh-huh. This is my trump card to suck uh-huh. ice cube. I start eating away. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sucking it. I'm licking it. Don't I'm tell me you spit the ice cube in her vagina. I'm rubbing all the fucking her thighs. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting it. <laughs> And then I bring the, I bring the ice cube over first because I know she was thinking about the chocolate. So I bring the ice cube over She was getting ready first. for heat. Feel I give her a little bit of it. But I don't give her too much because she already told me before I even started with the chocolate, like, don't overdo it. Don't overdo it because I have a very sensitive vagina. So if you're going to do any of, the, any of either of them, you have to be... Precise, kind of like I have a very fat vagina, and if you pour some chocolate on it, it will eat the rest of your chocolate and strawberries. It has a mind of its own. Don't feed my vagina after midnight. I don't give a shit. I'll admit it because it is a a gremlin fat. Vagina. It is a bigger vagina, but it's also a beautiful vagina. I love her vagina. Nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with a meaty vagina. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger though. I don't, I don't like the more. super thin, like little no small lips. The Homer vagina. ones, no like Homer Simpson. I don't face. want the no lip vagina. I want to like. I hate those. I don't want pastrami either. But, but yeah, no, you know. pastrami's rough. But no, hers. It's, it's, it's that it's middle a, ground. It's that. It's that perfect it's medium. The, it's in the middle I like ground. the. I like the uh, the even medium of the vagina. And so, I do the ice cube. Boop. But I just dap it on there. I just dap it on there. Like, oh, you like a little bit of a tease? Boop. And then I start sucking it again. <laughs> start fingering. Ooh, girl. And I tap it on there again. Ooh, and I leave it on there for about five seconds. Ooh, yeah, I'm fingering her the whole fucking time. And then I start getting faster. Faster. And I take the ice cube off and faster and faster and faster. And then I slow down and I really get deep. And then I bring that ice cube back. Bring that ice cube Ooh. back. Ooh, girl. And the ice bring that ice cube back off. strong. <laughs> and I speed it up a little bit and I take it out. I take it out. Oh, and then I bring the hot chocolate over. Oh, you want the hot chocolate? Put it on there. And I put too much. <gasps> oh, you I put was too like, much? Oh, there's too much. And she was already like, I don't like a bunch of sticky shit. So at this point, I'm slurping. <sighs> Uh-huh. Inhaling chocolate, like, oh no, I don't want to get her sticky. He's but adjusting his game plan. So rich. Yeah. Uh-huh. Stevie, Stevie, so rich. Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, what did I do? <laughs> I shouldn't have bought all this chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I bought too much chocolate. Do you realize my joke I was gonna do? Sorry. <laughs> what are you gonna say? I don't even remember. And so I'm slurping up the chocolate. It's starting to like, because I didn't like directly put it on her vagina because I don't know. I felt like that was wrong. Like she did say like, hey, don't like directly. Don't feed my vagina after midnight. We know know, she said that. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's like, like I also like, 
if we're if you're gonna put a bunch of hot chocolate on my dick, like how about you just put it on the head at first to just see how it feels, how yeah. you're gonna suck it off, if there's gonna be a lot of cleanup. So there was already kind of a lot of other shit in our brains. So I just poured a little bit on there at first. And I slurped that shit up like it was a fucking ice fucking cream sickle. Like so well. And she's over here giving 25ers on the podcast. She didn't give a shit. <laughs> she was like, all right, dip more of that on there. So then we started going from hot to cold. So I'm fingering her all at the same time. I'm still fingering her. Boom, put a little bit of hot Dude, on there. I'm <laughs> wet right now, and I Slip bet she's up. wet too. Look at all up. You know, I'm sucking, I'm sucking. Maybe something. You're probably I'm making Adam hard. And then, bam, put the ice cube on there. And then I start alternating. Hot, cold, hot, cold, as I'm sucking, as I'm sucking, hot, cold, hot, cold, and then she's getting ramped up, hot, cold, hot, cold, I'm about to come, no, you're not, like, you said that you've never, and I did it, I did, I even stopped in the middle of what I was, no, no, you said, and she's like, you fucking now said, now I gotta start over, yeah. now I gotta start over, <laughs> fuck that, whatever, baby. dude, you're such a liar, I kid, I burned it, yeah, <laughs> grandma, fucking water, grandma, fucking water, so I had to completely restart all over again. So restart, 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 restart. Uh, but okay, so we're there again, right? She's almost there. She's almost <laughs> yeah, like, there. Hold on, I got another ice cube. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go melt more chocolate. Right here. I'll be back in twenty minutes. Now. Twenty minutes. Going to get more chocolate. Gotta get more strawberry, and I'm gonna go get more ice. Okay? And then I got her finally, and I feel her entire body start to tense up. And then she does that, like, oh, that movement where she all goes up. And yet you know that the you possession? have no control over her anymore. The possession and one? She's just going to do it. Exactly. The demonic possession. She's yeah. going to do whatever that she needs to do. And just, that is one of the most fulfilling fucking feelings that I have had. That is. I worked, dude. Like, I, I used hot. I used cold. I went fast. I went slow. I rubbed on the fucking clit. I didn't rub on the clit. I was trying it all. I didn't add him. I tried to smooth silver talk to get her all amped up and then fucking give Dude, it to her. What's that like? Because I've never made a girl orgasm ever. Like, there's, it just hasn't happened. Um, You're eventually, lying. Eventually, it'll happen. Ladies. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm very proud of you, man. That is fucking awesome. No, it was a very accomplishing feeling because she, afterwards, so it's all done. She sits there and she's like, that's never happened before. Like, what do you mean? You haven't orgasmed before? No, I've never had a man make me orgasm Without before. a toy. Dude. That was by far the most Suck it, Skynet. High five. Suck it, everybody. Okay, we just gave... I don't even have a donkey tip. <laughs> no donkey tip. We just gave anything. podcast high fives. You guys can't see it because we're not visual, but we high five, hey. Chris. High five. Hey, Chris. Come on, that's a good high corner, five, man. High five. I that's use a great hot corner. chocolate. I suck in her There's pussy, very few like... things as fulfilling as a girl who is, like, she says she can't really get off. To get her off, there's so few things as accomplishing as a man to be like, I did it. Like, I feel like I could be Sweating. a boxing champion. And holding I still... the, yeah, you're basically sitting there <laughs> holding your belt going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck you. I did Ugh. I did it. Dude, that's Amazing. so awesome, man. Congratulations, so dude. Thank you. Oh, oh, I'm so proud of Chris. God damn. To quote Vince Lombardi, <laughs> I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. <laughs> oh, wait, I feel there's a- no greater fulfillment, no better achievement that man in a man's life than laying exhausted on the field of battle. Victorious. That's oh, so... Exhausted. 
Awesome. Did you fucking? Also, any given Sunday, that's why I landed. Did you did you do the fucking uh, marathon thing when you were done? Did you run into the to her son's bedroom screaming Nike, Nike? <laughs> did you put band-aids on your nipples so they wouldn't shave? <laughs> like, oh man. He's referencing Greek mythology, everyone. Yeah, but they probably don't know where a marathon. They don't know about the, the city of they marathon. Yeah, and they don't know where the marathon. What is it? Twenty six point something miles. Let's get to let's get to uh something that we alluded to last podcast that I really want to talk about. Uh, something that Stevie actually knows a lot about. My um, book suggestion, right? Was it? Was, wasn't last that? week's book suggestion was the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. The reason why we brought that up is because this series, like many many other things from Stephen King, is being adapted. This one's being adapted into a huge, big budget, less cocaine movie though, series, like most of his other stuff. <laughs> a lot of cocaine with the adaption. This is cocaine right in in like in between, but this is his. Before drugs and after drugs and all in between, uh, this you know. I'm really excited. I haven't read the books, but I know who was casted. Um, I do like I like the fucking all Stephen King adaptation movies, and uh, I'm really excited for this. But I'm gonna move this over and let Stevie fucking take control of this segment because he knows a lot about this shit. So, so please. Let us know what the what. Why is this series of books important? So What's this a- is important. Well, let me just say like I how how many. I feel like out of all my genres on my library, Stephen King's probably holding more sections on uh, on my library. I have he has more shelf space. Yeah, more shelf space for what? Stephen King books. Even but part though, of that is the fact he's so prolific. Yeah, um, I yeah, Stephen King's amazing. What makes this different? So if I were to ask somebody, Stephen King, uh, what kind of writer is he? You all would tell me he's a horror writer. Every single person, horror writer. That's or, what he's famous for. Even though he's or suspense, he's I think done suspense. Well, suspense thriller. Don't ruin the you could point, say Chris. Thriller, you could say suspense. <laughs> but I mean, that's his main niche. That's Stephen King. He is. The, that's his main Frederick Nietzsche, yeah, right? He's the father. Of, yeah, father of horror. <laughs> but now, what makes Call this back. Dark Tower series different is it's dark fantasy. It's not horror. This, and I fucking love fantasy. So the, Me the too. first book, Me too. I fuck, I fuck with fantasy. <laughs> I fuck with fantasy. So um, the first book is actually called The Gunslinger, and this book was written, um, it was like on giant thick cardboard green paper during his senior year in college. He actually didn't even think the book was gonna be famous, which it's really not in comparison to the other six books. There's, I think he did eight altogether. He did two, like kind of like spinoffs of the series. Um, but he did not think that this book would even go out and be popular, The Gunslinger. And the book actually doesn't really connect to the series. He didn't really know where he was going with it when he wrote The Gunslinger. In the beginning, you you realize in the book that there's so many things in the past that he's not touching on, the main character, Roland, and there's a bunch of things in the future which he leaves off a cliffhanger. So you're like, what the fuck is going on with this book? Now, it took him 12 and a half years to write this series, which is a lot better than uh, George R. R. Martin, who's already been doing it 19 years. Hold on. Just so for our moviegoers out there, Stephen King had a part in or did write Shawshank and The Shining? Those are both his books, yeah. Shawshank was a short story in one of his uh, short story collections. The Shining is his, that's like one of his first books ever written. And we talked about two of the greatest movies. Well, look look at Carrie. Carrie is his fourth book written up. He used to write as Richard uh, Bachman. Richard Bachman was his alias before he became Stephen King. I didn't know that. So he has a bunch of others written under Richard Bachman. But Carrie was his fourth book written, first book published. He actually 
threw away what he had written. Uh, Tabitha King. Tabitha King is his wife. I'm not sure if he was that was his wife at the time or his girlfriend. But he threw away the scene that was the um the tampon scene in the book. They're throwing tampons at your main fucking protagonist, Carrie, and uh, he wrote it and he threw it in the trash. And his wife dug it out and she goes, "No, you're gonna finish this." Wow. And that is one of the fucking most influential horror movies of all time and books. And that story is like very like pro women. Uh, ask type story, and this is written in the fucking seventies. Um, I think nineteen seventy was the actual gunslinger. So besides those other books, sorry, I mean, sorry, I fucked you no, up. No, I'm sorry. Fine. No, you so, derailed the conversation. Uh, I did. We're talking fucking about asshole. So what? What the gunslinger is? So just so you, uh, let me explain the plot. So the dark, the dark tower series tells the story of Roland Deschain. Uh, which is Midworld's last gunslinger who is traveling southeast across Midworld's post-apocalyptic landscape, searching for the powerful but elusive magical edifice known as the Dark Tower. So the Dark Tower is time this out, giant... Time out. I got a time out. Right there. You have so many... That's hat upon hat upon hat in a great way, though. Okay, so I like I said a second ago, like Chris said a ago, I fucking love fantasy probably the reason why I love Game of Thrones so much. So you have that. Like he says, the magical thing. There's a magic element to everything going on. There's a kind of de-evolution going on where it's kind of, we're going back to that kind of era, but at the same time, we have post-apocalypse. Everyone loves that genre. That's a huge genre of film. Those movies do really fucking well. Mad Max, for example, (laughs) was fucking amazing. And it was post, like there's so many great post-apocalyptic movies that everyone loves. Then you got the western element, yeah, it's, dude. It's, spaghetti, it's a spaghetti it's a, western meets dark fantasy and meets um, like magic, uh, like it's science all those fiction. Com- it's it's all a bunch. And which it which by the way, like if you haven't seen the spaghetti westerns by um, what was his name? Sergio, the Italian director, Sergio right? Was, I can't remember his name. I want to say Sergio Leone, but I think that's wrong. Anyways, the Clint Eastwood fucking movies about Good, the, the man. Ugly. It was a trilogy of the man with no name. You never learn his name. It was a fistful of dollars, which they tried to do a shitty remake with Bruce Willis. It was a, like a loose remake, which was it was called The Last Man Standing. It was okay, but fistful of dollars, incredible movie. Then they had for a few dollars more incredible and then of course the good bad and ugly which, which is oh, a dude. fucking masterpiece and one. what's funny is like basically if you just remade those movies but instead of Clint Eastwood you have Boba Fett you have the three best Star Wars movies ever made I'm getting off track though that's a, this is an incredible thing you got going on go on what, what is the Dark Tower specifically so, okay, the Dark Tower specifically um, in the book is well just what it is to Stephen King is Basically, his rise to fame, it's almost like his career. Going to the Dark Towers, him, to him, it's the idea of climbing the ladder in his career. That's his success. The, the Dark the Tower peak. is his success, the peak of his career. It's a metaphor, then. Yeah, but the Dark Tower actually is so <laughs> located in the Yeah, fa- Chris. Listen, so <laughs> located in the Fae region. So this is what it exactly is. So located in the Fey region of N-World, amid a sea of singing roses, the Dark Tower is the nexus point of the time-space continuum. It is the heart of all worlds. And that's when the sci-fi worlds. shit gets in there. It is the heart of all worlds. But it is also under threat. Someone or something is using the evil technology of the great old ones to destroy it. So like I said, Gunslinger, we wrote it in the senior year in college. It was like, this is my first book kind of thing. And throughout his career, eight, like 12, well, 12 and a half years he took to write 
all of, uh, 12 and a half years total, I believe, or... And this is a guy who writes Wait, a new write book every book? month. No, 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 no. You know, this guy is so prolific. He writes books like they're nothing. Oh, I have an idea. Well, Boom. And so he's no, a month he later. That's a book. Genre within first, the books that he's when writing. When he first wrote the Gunslinger all the way to the end, it was a lot longer. But um, I think when he first started picking it back up, it was like twelve and a half years, something like that, to where him to, to like the second book, the Drawing of Three. So he got this, to book seven. Did this book slowly get? written throughout when he's writing his other books yes, as well. Yes, so he's, he does multiple books a year. So Stephen King said the only way to, I'm paraphrasing, he says the only way to become a writer is to write, which is a stupid line, but I mean, it's true. The only way to do something is to do it. Go for it. Like, you, you know, you're going to suck. Yeah, everyone sucks at the beginning, but <laughs> the only way to get better at it is to continue to do it. You I've seen some write. of the worst stories that I've ever written by Stephen King and their short stories, but I've also seen the complete opposite. I mean, I think maybe saying the worst stories I've written is an, an exaggeration, exaggeration, but at the same time, I understand the point that he is getting to because I have literally watched him flesh out I guess I think, it, I think is it's it important. figuratively or is it literally? Yeah, I think it's figuratively. Like he's flushed out like all <laughs> his ideas. All he's trying, like I, he's trying. He has all these ideas going through his head constantly. So he's right. He's forcing himself to write every day to get everything out. And through all these books that he's written, he's learning what works and what doesn't work. And he's getting better with each book. Like uh, Elliot Scott Fitzgerald, who wrote The Great Gatsby. He wrote a bunch of books before. Yeah, F. Bef- Scott Fitzgerald. F- F- I'm sorry. F. Scott Fitzgerald. I, I don't know what I was thinking of. Elliot, I don't. Yeah, but what was I thinking of? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yes, that I'm was. A, his, I'm not a great, liter- I'm not a great literature historian. Anyways, but Adney's the smartest one on the podcast. I'm just lucky. Don't say I that's stupid. That's a, that's a <laughs> stupid wrong thing. That's a that's a that's a wrong thing to say. I don't just, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. Keep. Anyways, he wrote he wrote a bunch he wrote a bunch of books similar to The Great Gatsby, and they were all similar to that. Then he got The Great Gatsby, one of the greatest novels ever, and then after that, it was nothing ever like that again. It was basically he was building up to something. He was trying things until he learned what he wanted to do, until he knew he had it right. And it's similar writing process to Stephen King. It's like he's trying all these ideas, and he's slowly he's like, oh, wait, now I have it all together. Now I can make the second book perfect. Yeah, some will did catch. that, yeah. and then he waited and did all these other all these other books. Some of them were great. Some of them were okay yeah, he until some- he worked. Told yeah. them, oh, now I got the perfect thing for book three, and he kept doing that. And this, these books are his masterpiece. Yeah, they, this series is him. It, it's he's he made sure that these are the, okay. These are the books I can't fuck up. So like, he this did a is bunch his memoir of, essentially. Has, then sort of, yeah. It's a it's an analogy for his memoir for his struggle through cocaine, through through drugs, through partying, through his. Lowest of lows and his highest of highs. So it, this it book, essentially doesn't have an end, right? Until like he it, dies. No, it does have an end. Well, he's out. He's added on two more books, I believe. One's called the uh, Looking Through the Key. Wait, wait, or hold on. Okay, hold so on. So he ends it with seven books. Okay, he ends it with seven books. But he's the guy's old as fuck. He's like he's old as fuck. But he's, does it end with like the dude dying? You have to. I'm not gonna give away the fucking ending. It's seven okay, books. This I'm not is the biggest away. thing that I have. You can't make someone die and then bring them back. Okay. TV right. shows Unless you're George Martin. Game of Thrones Books does it. do it. Okay. And that's one I'm of the biggest away. infuriating things for yeah. me as a okay. I understand that because I because comics do that. They're notorious. Comics are notorious for doing that. And it's annoying to me. 
But there are certain if somebody builds up to something being if it from the beginning something is built up to a resurrection of a character can be justified. But Stevie's not saying that that happens. So this is a conversation for a different podcast, and we need to move on. We cannot talk about this right now. This is a different podcast. Get back so, uh, to Stevie. This is the reason I'm. We want to talk about this. So it is Stephen King's masterpiece. He's done some shitty books. He's done some great books. He's been one of the most influential figures in film as well as literature for any fucking horror fan. I mean, look at we talked on about Stephen King's It. That if you don't know what that is, you're not a horror fan. If you don't know Pennywise the Dancing Clown and Tim Curry playing that character, sorry, you don't know horror. How can you call yourself a horror fan if you don't know Cujo? If you don't know The Shining? Um, now in these books, Stephen King actually, so during his, like I said, this, these are spanned out along his career. Now, at one point he was at his vacation home in Maine and he got fucking hit from behind. Someone fucking ran him over on accident by being distracted. Stephen King almost fucking died. And this is before he had finished the book. And after that happened, he had gotten written a letter by a cancer woman who basically asked him for the ending. Not only that, but he got... Another letter from a guy on death row, and he said, "Listen, I'll take this with me to my grave. If you can just, I'm, I'm gonna be put to death. They're gonna put me. Or they're gonna inject me, and I'm gonna die. Please, if you could tell me what happens to Roland, if you could tell me what happens to Eddie, Eddie Dean, if you could tell me what happens to uh, Susanna, I've gotta know the ending." And Stephen King wrote them and said, "Listen, I'm sorry. I don't even know the ending. I don't know where this story is going because this is my career. The story. I my think good. that is the I don't best know, way of writing. I don't know where ways. this is going. I don't know the ending that I'm gonna spit. It could be a million different things." And he was honest with them, and it at least he fucking told him that. Um, but one person during... So Stephen King went on tour for a book called Buick 8. And during his tour, uh, one of the fans walked up. A uh, fan walked up, told him. He says, listen, the, when I heard about your accent, I felt you know, I felt horrible. You're, I'm a big fan of yours. But the second thing that came to my head was, there goes the tower. It's tilting. It's falling. Aw, shit. He's never going to finish it now. And Stephen King, that Dude. right there, made him realize that he had to finish the series. But and just that, that idea, I can picture like a, the, the biopic of Stephen King, yeah. of him like that being the thing that inspired, like in Dewey Cox, how like guilty, That's guilty as charged, charged. Yeah. guilty, guilty as charged, <laughs> like that moment of Stephen King going, write a song right now, Dewey, <laughs> Stephen King going. Oh my god, the tower tilted it breaks. Yeah, so that, that kid gave him that idea of like, the tower, I thought the tower was done, that's it, the story's not gonna get finished. And there's been times where that has happened, like uh, the, the the wheel, what is it called? Um, oh, In the sky god. keeps on turning? No, no. Um, <laughs> the Wheel of Time, I think the Wheel of Time series, so there's a Wheel of Time series, like 14 books, I can't, Jordan uh, something, I can't remember the, Robert Jordan, but I, I feel like he either died or his son took over, I can't remember, but even uh, uh, Tolkien, Tolkien had a bunch of stuff written just on paper, and his son actually went and collected it all. And dude, his like backstory for story. Lord of the Rings, I think, is more interesting than the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, his as good as Lord of the Rings is, like the fucking shit that he made up to build up to it. Oh, I'm get. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but so at least Stephen King finished this. We're still waiting on George R. R. Martin. We just got the. I just read a thing on January. George said, "Listen, I can't beat the deadline." Game of Thrones is going to be out. Season 6 is going to be out before the book is done. I'm sorry. It's been 20 years. 1990, August 12th, I believe, 1996, George R. R. Martin wrote the first Game a Game of Thrones. Same year as Pokemon. The last one he written. The last one was, was the last July, one he wrote. July I apologize. of 2011. 
is uh, Dance with Dragons. That's the last publishing the last, of the last book that came out. Yeah, but he's written a bunch of other stuff by then. But that was the last of that series of a song of he fire. He takes and ice. the exact opposite approach as Stephen King. His is I'm only gonna write when I absolutely feel inspired. I'm not gonna make myself write every day and do all the stuff flush all out. I'm gonna wait until the, are you I feel li- are you really trying to say that George doesn't know what's already going to happen? He I think he does. I definitely like, he's kind of alluded to the fact he knows how he wants to end it, but he. Like, for certain characters, not the whole story. He has a certain idea of how he wants his series to end, but he doesn't know how he's going to get there. And he said but many times in the past that okay. while he's writing, he doesn't think it all out because he just makes a decision without the repercussions. He's like, oh, this is best for the story. I'm going to do this. And then he's like, oh, fuck. How the fuck am I going to go after that? How the, What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And then he forces himself to be super creative. Um, so, and, and I'll give you an example for me. So Adney knows my entire story. The book that I've been writing, Adney, I've, I sat Adney down or here we drank and I told him the entire story of what I want. I gave him the basic outline, the brainstorm, the timeline, but it's like but a synopsis. It, it's not, yeah, oh, but writing it is way fucking different, dude. So when I sit down and write, I have gone back and I've fucking put, added a lot of dialogue. I've switched scenes. I've, I've put new characters, everything. So you never know until you're sitting down and fucking writing. You can have your whole story set up, ready to go. But once you're sitting down and you're writing, shit can change on the drop of fucking... 95% of writing is rewriting. Yeah. I know how I want to end my story. My story ending is fucking good. And Addy's like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. It's a fucking gnarly ending. But the fitting everything in there like actually like stretching out the story and putting in the dialogue and adding the characters and and adding the scenes a lot fucking different man so you can think you think you have an idea in your head but man it can change at any fucking second you change parallel thinking you come up with new ideas you're sitting there like oh dude i gotta add that and sometimes it's just an experience like you you get a new experience in the middle of writing yeah and that that makes you want to add something more of yourself take the story completely somewhere different the same thing happens while we're podcasting there will be times where uh someone will say something and then fucking i go off on this tangent and I'm like no like this is a tangent and I sit here and I do a bunch of fucking crazy (laughs) shit (laughs) (laughs) but the same can be said for Adney the same can be said for you Uh, I feel like that's that whole thing creative thinking someone says an idea and you automatically think it's something like oh no that's a good idea and it makes you think it's something else sidebars we do sidebars I want to get to so the reason so the reason no the reason that we are bringing this up so the story is basically, it touches a lot on race. The series touches on race so fucking much. And book two especially, The Drawing of Three, uh, Roland finds three doors, and each door leads to New York City in a different era. One leads to 1987, where he meets Eddie Dean. Another leads to 1964, where he meets his main uh, female character lead, and she's a black woman, but she's dealing with racism. So now... The reason that we brought this up is because Idris Elba, a fan of, we are all a fan That's of Idris Elba, <laughs> which Adney is the biggest fan, um, he's taking the spot of Roland. Now, in the book and in the um, graphic novels, Roland's a white guy. He's, it's a spaghetti western. It's, it's you know, it's almost like, hold on, it's not, There's a, gonna be it's people... not America. It's not America spaghetti western. Like, this is, you know, black people are this, you know, they're slaves or, or, or you know, anything like that. But... It is, it's a different universe. It's a different universe. But Stephen King even says that, you know. Yeah, he tweeted about it. He, like, he had a public statement basically of saying, 
I have like I actually like the idea. Like you could like the character can be anything you want it to be. This is a great actor. That's what's important is this person is talented and I think they would be good fit for the role. The most important thing that's involved is like I think it would be a great movie. I'm I'm all yeah. for it. I'm all for and it. The fact that's that it's not it's not American. It's not Earth. It's not an American spaghetti western. So you don't have to make it a white protagonist because it's like oh white guy through the, you know it's like yeah, white guy maybe in this universe white people are enslaved. I feel you like even people know. are gonna make an <laughs> argument as to well. We're being so PC right now, and Idris is so hot that they're only going to hire him because he's so hot right now. I have a really, I really need to get this out of, people only seem to get mad, and there's only ever an uproar, when a white character in literature or whatever is associated with a different race, but never the opposite. It's never the fucking opposite. My favorite example, because of course, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a huge, huge fan of the Batman and all Batman comics and all Batman media. One of my favorite characters in the Batman mythos isn't everyone's favorite character, but one of mine is Bane. Bane is Hispanic. We're talking about the same Bane. The same Bane. Played by Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yeah. Tom Hardy played Bane. In the last fucking Batman movie. So you have a problem with that. Right? I mean, okay. I, I mean, do. It's, it's like a, I a, do. a two-bladed sword. Double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. I apologize. I really do like what Tom Hardy did, and I thought it was interesting and good, but it still shits in the face of what Bane is. In the comics, Bane was uh, basically inspired by the like the Mexican wrestlers, that kind of thing. That's what he was inspired by. But a lot of it was he's from a fictitious like because all the in the DC universe all the places are fictitious, but he's from a South American country. His his father was a was a, a failed revolutionist and was put in prison. Bane grew up in one of the worst prisons in the world. He had to learn to fight in order to survive. He murdered at a young age. He became a great fighter. He became in a brilliant strategist he educated himself in the prison library as best as he could he was a chess player this is a guy who he sell he's basically batman without the money which makes him kind of better than batman because unlike bruce wayne he didn't have the financial backing or the support of an alfred he was all on his own he had this fucked up life his entire life was incredible just shit and he was forced into a program called the Venom program where they checked this, like, you know, the steroid on him, which turned him into the monster that he is, and he escaped. But although it gave him superhuman powers, he became addicted to it. It's, it's a heroin kind of parallel. What? Why was he white? He was, like, in the movies, you mean? Yeah. Because why, people why, why suck. Why would they make him white and not? Exa- that's my question. My, and that, that thing is, but he's basically he, in the comics, and all, he's Hispanic, and he like he comes to Gotham. Basically, he's a mercenary, like in the movies, and everything. But he comes to Gotham for that the, makes me so listen mad. To me. This reason why he's so interesting is because he's so smart and he's so physically imposing, and he finds out about Batman and he goes to Gotham just to challenge him because he's all fucking machismo. He's I want to prove machismo. I'm better. I want to prove I'm the best human. I want to prove I'm like the. I need to prove myself to myself, not to anyone else, but to myself. I need to beat the Batman. That's why he goes to Gotham. He analyzes the Batman and beats him that way. And he's and he has a thick fucking accent, by the way, guys. But yet, he's been in two fucking movies. Two live-action movies. Both time, he was a fucking white dude. 
No, That's actually. okay. No backlash. No one argues. No one says a fucking thing. But I as didn't soon, know. I didn't know. That's the fucking problem, though, is that no one, like, even the hard, like, everyone said, like, the hardcore comic community, these fucking assholes, I'm a part of it, but whatever, these fucking dickheads are like, what? You're going to make fucking... Peter Parker, not white. You're going to make the Kingpin black. You're going to make Catwoman black. You're destroying the character. These characters are made a certain way. And, you're, and you're changing the character, and you're changing who they are. You're disrespecting years of comic book history. But those same people do not speak up a fucking whisper when a Hispanic character is played by a white guy twice in two different movies. Which is Fuck you, dude. That, so that argument of it needs to be this fucking race, no. Unless that character is intrinsically connected to the race, unless their race is a, is like most of that person's character arc and it's a huge part of it, like Black Panther, for example, unless it's that, unless it's that connected to their origin and who they are as a character, fuck you. The race isn't that important and you need to shut the fuck up and respect the fact that Idris Elba is an amazing actor. Yeah, so him, <laughs> So, but that's the only issue. So I, I love that Idris Elba got casted. I Hold love on. That, I love that Steven. Hold on. What? That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. No, I didn't go in because he's right. Okay. And no, I, it is and right. I understand. Right. I understand that you're trying to get to your point, and I get that. But the point that Adney really made is something that we should talk about, dude. Like, to, well, we talked about this prior of time. Uh, prior okay, podcast, what I'm really and we're trying still to talking about is, it. Is, is, this is completely off script, and uh, we didn't think about this, talk about this at all. But, okay, so why. Is it, does it really boil down to, oh, because the dudes that are voting for the Oscars are 65 and up? No, because the dudes that are voting for the Oscars aren't making the movies. So it really comes well, down. Well, you get backlash, like Adney said, through comic book fans. Or through How it's a societal, it's a no, societal it's, racism it's, at, a, it's, at a basic level. It, it's, it's, all all these, it's like these fucking assholes, these motherfuckers are saying, well... 90% of lead actors are white. I'm comfortable with that. I'm used to that. And the minute you change it, I'm offended. But it's okay for me to feel like I'm not being represented, but it's not okay for you to feel you're not represented. It's not a blatant, out in the open, I'm burning a cross on your fucking sidewalk, racist. It's not that bad. It's not wearing a white sheet. It's not wearing a Nazi band. It's, it's not that keyboard blatant. Racism. Racism. It's keyboard racism. That's friend. a good term. It's a fucking subtle racism. It's a subtle no I'm more important. Cater to me, not to them. I just don't even. I don't even realize how the studios can think that that's like a thing, and that they uh, recruit people or they cast actors. Like, oh no, you like you have to be white. You have to be this. Like, like you said, it's, I'm it depends at the point on the right now where I do not give a fuck about your race, and especially if it comes down to a comic book character that's already established as a Hispanic character, and then you change him. That's fucking fucking garbage dude why are yeah. we changing characters race well, no 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 because no. you can no so th there you go well that's we just said the thing that, that okay so we said we don't care that they changed these other characters from white to black to hispanic whatever but then once in hispanic you know people get pissed off that these these white characters got changed like Andy said these yeah, white characters man. got changed to fucking black to you know to everything they get pissed off but then when a Hispanic character gets changed it's nothing but even I, I don't give a fuck if it's a black character in a book and if or in a, in a fucking black character in a comic book or in a book and they get changed to white 
that I don't care, but as long as everybody gets their due, as long as everybody gets the fucking round corner of you can change whichever character, whatever color you want. You know, it's you can't. It's what I said. It doesn't matter if you change the color as long as their race isn't part of their character arc. If it's not a huge part of who they are, like even the mystique thing is, her race is mutant. She's blue skinned with red hair. Her whole arc is learning to deal with that and to accept it and love herself for the way she looks and not try to hide that under a human disguise. And the fact that Jennifer Lawrence is resisting behind the scenes to wear the makeup on her face you don't want to wear the naked bodysuit i don't care wear all the all the clothes you want in the world have the blue face so your character arc means something but when you take that off you're an asshole that's the that's the same thing it's the fucking color of your skin if it's intrinsic in your character and part of who you are then it's important then you need to keep to the source material other than that fuck you which leads into right what Stevie was trying to say about the whole entire actor and the so, actor yeah, arc Idris of Elba, the yeah. So Idris Elba playing Roland, the only issue is their main person, Susanna, she's black. He takes this girl from the night from 1964, brings her into his world. She has a split personality. She's schizophrenic. Her, she's a sweet, sweet girl when she's Susanna, and then she goes to Detta, and she's fucking aggressive as fuck. Like, like, uh-uh, fuck you, nigga. Like, crazy, crazy, like anti-white. Like, fucking, like, anti-white, like a motherfucker. Racism on a completely different level from black to white. So this is going to be what's crazy about this fucking adaptation. That's the whole reason I wanted to bring it up. Is because how are they going to deal with that character? Because that's all a part of her character arc. That's a part of her schizophrenia. So she's a racist? Yes, she's racist towards white people. She has schizophrenia. Like I said, she's uh, Susanna at one point, and then she's Detta. When she switches, she switches roles, and she gets fucking super racist. If you're a black person who's an adult in the 60s, you're going to hate white people. I mean, come on! All the shit they this put you through. This is before the end of fucking civil rights movement. This is 1964. You're not allowed to eat four. here. You're not allowed to go to the bathroom here. Segregation, go to like a motherfucker. There. She's been dealing it since she was a kid. It explains that in the book. She's a kid. She gets smacked in the head with a fucking rock, and it would cause her to have this fucking split personality. And the split personality, may it's two different fucking people. It's one very very sweet girl, like I said, and one fucking just insane horrific human being. And she just has so much hatred. But she is a product of... Hatred for white people. But yes, she is a product. She is a product of what she went through. And I think to say horrific, unless she's like grabbing white people because they're white and then skinning them (laughs) alive. No, she's fucking spitting in their face. like, like. Oh, yeah. That's such equal. No, but, That's so much worse okay. than what white people put her through. But these two people are treating Roland and Eddie. Like, Eddie's in love with her. So you find out in the book. They actually get together. But... They're not treating her harmful at all. Yes, she's used to her era. Yes, she's used to where she got taken out from because Eddie's from 1987. She's from 1964. Like I said, Roland goes to these doors in The Drawing of Three and brings these characters back to his yes, world. 87. So this motherfucker's but, already in love with Sugar Ray Leonard. So yeah, he's all about the So it's crazy. Um, But you had a point you want to I, I actually have an idea of how that – because it's like, okay, so the white – the main character is white. He meets his black one from the 60s. They're changing the color. So the white, the main character is no longer white. He's black. But the female still has to be from the 60s in order to be relevant. But they're, but they're going to – she can't be black still because it's not going to have the same dynamic. It's not going to have that racial tension. It has not the racial tension. You might as well put them as – I'm saying make her white. She has dual personalities, right? 
why not make her the typical racist white person from fucking Mississippi, but also the Bernie Sanders white person who's also fighting for civil rights. Make her have that dual personality of... Does one, that person exist? Is that a real person? She has, she has, dual, she has schizophrenia. So she has... He's put in the book, she has two personalities. One, she's nice. One, she's mean. You can still have that if they change the race to where she's like... Oh, I think you people are just fine. You people are just okay. You are okay. I don't care about you. And then the next scene, she's like, "You goddamn niggers, get out! Get don't be there." <laughs> you can have good. that. You can you can still do that if you switch. Like even though they changed the lead actor's race, you can switch that person's race and still make them the same thing. Because in the book, she has animosity towards Roland. If you if she's still black, she's not gonna have the same animosity because it's not gonna be the racist, the racial animosity. It's not gonna be the same. It's gonna be they're gonna have to artificially create a different kind of animosity. She's gonna have to be mad like, oh, I hate you because you're friends with a white person. That's not gonna be as intense as if she was white. If she's white at first, she's like, I am okay with you, but then she switches personality to Detta, and all of a sudden she's this racist, horrible fuck who's like sews fucking sheets into clan outfits so my the reason we brought this up i have i just i want to know what they're going to do with it i love the fact that they got idris elba to play roland but i just want to see where they're going it's going to be something new now because now the character roles are switched and i'm just i'm excited to see what stephen king's going to put because warner brothers actually took this on at first they were going to do a series like game of thrones and they wanted to change a lot of things and stephen king He's, he, a lot of his other movies, people have changed a lot. Like the ABC, I think it was ABC or CBS adaptation. They of did a lot it, of versions of that. Of show. It, like they Storm fucking, of the Century and shit yeah. like that. So they take all these uh, under the dome. They take all these and they switch up a lot of things. But this is the one thing Stephen King was not letting up on. He was like, "Fuck that! If you're gonna take this, my masterpiece, my fucking uh, analogy for my career." I'm going to be a part of this. I'm he finally sure stood his fucking ground. Stood his ground like for finally? this. No, for this one. Okay, you could buy him out. You could buy out anybody. But this is the one thing. He's like, listen, basically, Wait, I, have enough, saying... I have enough money. No, he just basically... Can like, you, can you buy money. Stephen out King with this one? Not with this one, I don't think. I hope I not. think with this... I, hope I think with Because this, like Stevie said, this, this is his baby. This is his... Everything. He's put all, so all, much yeah. of himself. This is like... His version of an autobiography. He ties in every single book that he's done. Like, so many different characters from his books and just places in the books. He brings it into this universe. Like I said, the, the Dark Tower is uh, a place for the space-time continuum. You can get to any place in the world. It's like a time machine kind of thing. You can get to any place in the world, anywhere he wants to go. The, the His world that he's at. So he ties in everything that he created. It's basically one universe through this one universe that he created he's able to touch upon every fucking piece of literature that he has written i'm excited i am um, what's the sour sc- uh sorry what's the series called again the dark tower series That's just so it. everyone knows that series look forward to now, it. i'm excited to see who directs it now um I don't know, like, I don't even know who's going to direct it yet. I know the actors that are going to be in it. But I'm scared that's going to be a shitty director. Hopefully they, add, um, uh, hopefully they add a great director. I'm hoping. 
But if not, because we, we do know some shitty directors that have done good things. There are some shitty directors out there that have done some good things. Right? I mean, Adney, you know, we some of our favorite Adney's, directors Adney's are at, shitty directors. Or what he's are got you, great ones. I want to start with one that's going to really kind of not like be like a horrible director where everybody can kind of just brush aside it. Like, oh, no, that's, that's like a horrible director or whatever. Actually, the guy that I'm talking about is Judd Apatow. And John Apatow has actually, like, when you look at his filmology, roster, has yeah. a great roster. Look at his writing great credits. It's roster. phenomenal. It's actually, okay, so this is where me and Annie were trying to have this conversation earlier. It's like, okay, so what are we trying to bring up? Like, what are we trying to nail on this topic? Is it bad directing or is it bad writing? And what Annie was trying to nail on is it, it was both. And I'll give him that. The the the, the my whole the person that my idea was movie making. It's someone who makes movies. What I wanted to do because my main thing about this is there's so much shit talking on the internet. You hear you can go anywhere on any website and people are talking shit about movies, movie makers. It's all shit. It's just a raining shit. And we talked a lot of shit about the Oscars. I think justifiably, but still, I don't. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like to talk shit. I would rather talk about things that I like because that's when I feel the passion. Anybody could talk. That's shit. when I have fun. Is when I talk about something that I like. And I thought it would be fun. It'd be an interesting exercise to pick a movie maker. That we don't like. Each of us pick one. We really do not like their work. We don't like what they do. But to find one gem, and all the mountain of shit found one good thing in it, and talk about why we like that thing, and I think that is—I think it's important to really find the good and the bad. Like you said it's a good exercise, and we're supposed to like things. Like Adney is, gives the best explanation for nerdism I've ever heard in my life, and he says, "I like to like things." I, we do. Which we like that to credit like goes to fucking Dan Harmon and the Russo brothers who write Community because they have Abed say that in the show because like they make fun of him for being a nerd. He's like, oh, I guess I, I like just to. I just like like to, I like to like things. Troy and Abed in and the mood, and I, and I, 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 con- quote, I connected man. with that so hard. It's like, that, yeah, that what is on so what's many wrong? Levels, so many that's, that's all ner- that's all nerdism, nerdism is is liking something intensely. So Chris, you said. You don't like Judd Apatow. Like, that's kind of a controversy thing because a lot of people love Judd Apatow. I like him. I love his wife, Leslie Mann. Top 10. That's, <laughs> different, that's a different conversation. Anyways, you don't like what he does. You don't like him as a movie maker, but you do have one movie you want to defend. What movie is that? So this is the whole entire premise that I had a really hard time with getting on board. <laughs> because I, I don't watch shit that I don't like. So I had a really hard time coming up with this concept. So I I, I had to go and watch shit that I didn't like <laughs> in order to find a gem that I did like. And then I started going into this guy's stuff. And what I noticed is I thought that I wasn't going to like him as a, as a writer. What I wound up finding is I love... Judd Apatow as a writer, but I hate him as a director. Judd Apatow has wrote Freaks and Geeks from 1999. Freaks and Geeks. And then, after Freaks and Geeks, you have 40-Year-Old Virgin. You have after Undeclared, too. That was in between. Undeclared. But. Knocked Up. Fun with Dick and Jane. Walk Hard. Pineapple Express. Funny People. I actually like that movie. 
Aziz and You have okay forty girls and love. And so with writing, I love it. I absolutely love what he's doing with the writing. It makes sense because he has a formula. It makes sense. I understand the writing. All those movies are the same formula. They're appealing to the same audience, too. It's not like a wide range audience. It's this certain stoner audience, which is fine. I like those movies. I like Bad Apple Express. I, like, I love 40. I wouldn't Kirby. say all of them are two stoners. Funny People is like a is like a movie made for comics. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. It's an homage towards I actually, I, That's why I really like that movie. Adam Sandler basically plays himself. Yeah. But that's, Which we're is not why talking about funny people. Funny people is actually the one. That's that, the one. That's the one. I oh picked. yeah, cool. That's the one that yeah, I dude. absolutely loved, and it was the one that was kind of different than Amy, all of the Amy other plazas in it. Or uh, April uh, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Blah, 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 blah. Aubrey Plaza. I fucking yeah, love dude. Aubrey I'm Plaza, on board man. with you, dude. I really like. I do like. I, I, like, I like all of his movies, but I really yeah because this really is. It seemed like he said, I'm not going to appeal to the stoner crowd. I'm not going to appeal to the mass media crowd. I want to make a movie for comics. I'm friends with a lot of stand-ups, and I want to make a movie that speaks to them. And that's what this movie was. It really was of, this is what it's like to do comedy, that fucking drudgery. That You got like eight guys living in a house together because they can't make it because comedy is a hard fucking route. Dude, it really is. And you got one guy who makes it on some shitty TV show that just destroys the art of comedy. That show really is every Nickelodeon show of, we're going to take comedy and shit all over it. And he makes all this money, and they're all resentful of him. Like, you destroyed who you were. You're not doing who you are, and yet you're making all this money. And then there's the extreme version that Adam Sandler plays, which is him in real life, basically, of... I was this comic, people liked me, and I went crazy with it, and I was making these shitty movies just for the money, and now he's this miserable fuck. He has no friends. He lost the love of his life. He has nothing but this money, and he can have these one-night stands. He can fuck all these girls, but he's not happy. Mental health, my friends. Mental fucking health. And Which I is why love that's that the movie, dude. best fucking... Because like, I, that's th- his career, it seems like. Exactly. Because look at all the shit. I like... <laughs> I like Adam's old Adam Sandler. I love I like Little Nicky. It's I love that movie. I I still love Billy Madison. Happy Gilmore holds up. You argue cannot it. argue you can, against Happy. You can argue against every. Ad- I'll argue against Little Nicky being good. I'll, I'll argue, argue against, against Little Nicky as well. Especially Billy Madison. That's a horrible movie. Agreed. Every Adam Sandler movie you except, can argue against. Ex- Waterboy, all of them except for Happy Gilmore. Dude, that you is cannot the, touch Happy Gilmore. I'm sorry, man. That movie is fucking. It's on my top three. One of the greatest sports movies yeah. of all time. Can of we agree? It's not like, my best dude, movie. it is fantastic oh, because it's not him. It's not a movie. It's, so good. it's not Adam Sandler being funny. The, like the he's comedian. Not, he's no. not being Adam Sandler. He's not being the guy who does the honey voices. He's not being that guy. He's being. He's taken to another level. He's an angry ass motherfucker who he's suffering in life, who has a secret skill that doesn't realize he has. Okay, but this is not about Adam Sandler. Sorry, this is about Judd Apatow. (laughs) This the Funny People movie, dude. And the reason why Funny People was so amazing, and Annie kind of already nailed it. I'm sorry, I hijacked your thing. It's it's, (laughs) and then that's completely fine. He already nailed it. But okay, so. Adney just told all you guys as to why Judd is amazing, and I am going to tell you all the reason why he is not. <laughs> what is- <laughs> we weren't supposed to shut up, people. That's not what I this know, is about. I know, I know, okay? You're right. And so I'm only going to go into one movie. I'm only going to go into one and what? explain the reason why I 
really hate it is because <gasps> he follows the same exact formula for every movie unless he's writing it. When he's directing the movie, they're all the same fucking thing. Cookie it's cutter. That cliche. Cookie cutter. Oh, yeah. cookie cutter houses. Exactly. Cookie and I houses. cannot. And, and not only does he. No, he ma- he he has like the perfect cookie cutter and like he gets actors that like are the perfect dough and everything and he literally is able to make this product that seems like a great product but then when you actually sit down and you watch it you realize that this is just bullshit the same shit being fed over and over well you're f- coming from a filmmaker's perspective because you went to film school so you see what most don't get to see Every, everyone loves rehash shit it's rehash rehash people you know want people say they want things new but then they truly go and pay for shit that's been if rehashed it ain't broke, don't fix it yeah if it ain't broke don't fix it that's you know that's great fucking point but with those movies, like you said, especially it's the same movie over and over, and he it has these great actors. Me, man. But it, it starts to. Kill I gotta me. say though, I mean, I do like his movies, but I also fucking hate Judd Apatow See? because because he married Leslie Mann. <laughs> and I'm so fucking Different jealous. Different reason than you hate him, Chris. That's literally no, a personal thinks, reason. That's a very hard creative reason. Fuck him. That's like, a personal. And he's like, and he's like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Great director, great writer, but dude, <laughs> married one of my fucking top have ten. Married, married my top I, I, ten. I, but have you That's seen fucking hilarious? See dude. any of her movies? She's fucking hilarious. First off, she's super goddamn funny. Right there. Oh, look, look can we date? <laughs> right there, she's so funny, but also she's adorable. She's in adorable, all of his movies, right? And she's, she's gorgeous. In, she's in all of his movies, and that's why I kind of hate yeah. her. Is because he writes these stupid, specific roles. That's like I okay, think that's well, because it's all about him. Because he's like this ugly guy who got with the hot chick. All his him. movies are the ugly guy for some over some crazy <laughs> fucking experiences. Somehow got the hot chick. Holy shit, that's crazy. Knocked up. He's putting himself in it. No, that's. Like, he Dude, that explains it. Like, it I don't perfectly. have to say anything That explains more. it Adney perfectly. Wrong. Adney killed it. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Stevie, who's Whatever. your shitty director? Who's your Who's shitty movie maker? You're such an asshole, son. <laughs> no, you, Chris. No, that was solid, though. You, that was, no, yeah. Definitely solid. I, I fucking... No, I'm dead serious. Like, that was I'm a sorry, good fucking Chris. pick. Um, but, yeah, I like his movies. Fuck you. Uh, Fuck Judd Apatow. <laughs> <laughs> so I went I went a different route. So this I love isn't it. this isn't You're beautiful, Adam. This isn't it. necessarily my favorite movie, but this is a movie that um I picked It doesn't have to be. I picked because of the influence it had on the world. Not necessarily just what? like this is like a It's a big <laughs> statement to make there, buddy. This is and Let I'll explain fucking why. So I have chosen Willem Friedkin as my director. William Friedkin, you might probably don't know him none of you guys name his um, shitty movies don't even look it up chris because you're gonna they listen do, to my dude, you're point. not gonna let no, me fact check right now fucking fact that's fact a problem no, okay you need to know my t- fucking tell t- what's their shit what are the shitty movies so, first off he's best known for the french connection i don't really know what that movie is i've never it was seen it that. really was a huge i know what it is, is but i have not seen it but fuck that okay. so if you aren't you gonna let me fact check you need to tell me okay so calm he's down. getting to it fucking bury the lead chris well, i'm also saying for the fans as well because we're all God, okay. you're burying my lead man you're, you're uh, this is get, important get to it get to it so listen what movie that he directed you don't know any other movie you barely even know this guy's name he directed the Exorcist. Nah. 
No. Oh. Okay. No. Wait, but what, like, what, but what shitty movies did he... Why do you not no, like him? Which version of The Exorcist? Oh, he, he created The Sorcerer with, um, uh, was it Al Pacino? Year. Very shitty. 78? Was no, it the first Exorcist. Yeah. The original Exorcist. I want to know. No, we have to establish why this person's a bad movie maker. He's a bad you name, to know you that. name two really good ones. You need only to explain two, why they're only bad. Only two that he's done. Every other movie that he's done, if you look up the ratings, the Sorcerer fucking flopped. Every movie after the after the Exorcist was a flop. He actually went to Broadway and started writing for Broadway because his directing style, everything it. Those movies started flopping after the seventies. He, he did shitty. I think he did. He did maybe a couple others that were okay, but his films that he did after The Exorcist, they were not good. The Sorcerer got very bad ratings. Later on in life, people went back and said, "Okay, it's an okay movie." But a lot of the other stuff that he did were also like they almost seemed like independent, like B movies. If you look up the names of these other movies that he's movies. done, if you look up the other names of these movies that he's done, they're not. They didn't influence the world like he did with The Exorcist. There are movies that you're like, I've never even seen that. What the fuck? I've never even heard of that. So basically, he peaked early and then had shit Very afterwards. Pe- so early. if you were to look at the is last, is it a peak though? If you were to look, if you were to look at the last like twenty years, you'd say this is one of the shittiest direct movie makers you ever. Would look at his first two, or first two. No, like no, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, if you look at the last twenty years of what this guy's done on his filmography, you say, wow, this guy only makes shit. But if you look a little bit further and a little bit harder, you find The Exorcist. You find a couple gems. Now, There's a couple gems, but out of the whole wide range of all his movies, it's all it's all basically shit. I think what he's trying to help your point no, to I, you get to why this is no. Get, I, why is The Exorcist great? So The Exorcist is great. Now uh, let me give you a little backstory. Uh, the Exorcist was written in 1971 by William Peter Blatty as a novel, which was inspired by a 1949 demonic possession. Uh, that he heard about while he was at Georgetown University. Now, Blatty wrote the screenplay, couldn't find anybody to fucking take on the movie, and then William Friedkin came along and took on the fucking film. So, let me let me say, like, guess, okay, so the movie, or the book was written in 71. The movie came out in 73. Do you guys want to guess the date that they brought out the movie? Tell us. Tell us. Tell Did you ready us? December, December 26th. <sighs> December 26th, 1973, the day after Christmas. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, and this is in the 70s. So during the screening, newspapers reported viewers fainting during the fucking screening of the movie. In San Francisco, you had moviegoers, moviegoers chasing and running up to the fucking screen during the demonic possessions and trying to fucking like literally stab the fucking screen because they were trying to kill the demon that's being portrayed on the film. Like they were going nuts. A woman actually in Boston also came out 20 minutes later. She was like, they had, she had to get dragged out and carried out. And she just kept repeating, I paid $4 for this. I couldn't last 20 minutes. I paid $4 for this. I couldn't last 20 minutes. Now when we watch it, obviously the exorcist is not that bad. People in the 70s were stupid. I think yeah. is what you're so trying to learn. It's not that, it's not that bad now going back. <laughs> Going back, it's not you know you look. This at is seventy three, dude. This is post to Godfather one when we saw a horse head in a in a yeah. bed. So and so check this out. It came out in December 26, nineteen seventy three. By March of seventy four, six million tickets in the United States were sold. The horror <sighs> movie had begun to sweep the fucking world. 
and uh, liberal Hollywood was not fucking ready for The Exorcist at all. Dude, the, no one was ready yeah, for that the, shit. No dude, one was do you, ready like, for what, the what, what horror movies came out before that? Do we even know? Can we even think of it, a fucking horror was, movie? Like, that was the stepping stone for horror genre in general. And uh, as well, well we so, had Frankenstein. Well, I mean, that was pretty bad. Stupid. Like, okay, we did have the Wolfman. Yeah, those uh, dumb ones. Okay, those ones that are like dumb ones. Wait, hold listen, on. Okay, listen, the classics. Right no, now. listen. You're talking to the horror fucking fan. Yeah, but those you're disrespecting classics. film history. Okay, okay. that's will, the problem Chris is having is bad. that they're dumb if you look at them through the lens of everything you've seen. As now, the apologize. normal viewer, and we are not the normal it's viewer. It's I apologize. Stone. I they're appreciate like, if, like you ways. said. Like if we watch Exorcist now, it's gonna look dumb, but it is important. We're yeah. talking terminology. So those movies were important. Those are the classic horrors so that's give me all get. the I'm just like Joe Rogan the fact that I love the werewolf mythology I think it's amazing <laughs> I think it's cause it's that same of it's that like the drunk guy of after this certain time I'm a different thing I'm someone else I'm, I'm a, a horrible thing it's no. I'm ripping my like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But so I apologize. So yes, as a horror fan, you have to give homage towards the beginning. You have, like I said, I've thrown it to H.P. Lovecraft. I've thrown it to Poe on the podcast, even Stephen King. So you gotta, of course, respect Frankenstein's monster. You gotta respect Dracula, um, Nosferatu, uh, Eraser, and all these other like fucking crazy influential horror characters, creatures from the Black Lagoon. But I'm saying you going back and watch them now. It's like yeah, it's not scary compared it's to hard. what we have I, nowadays. I have watched uh, Creatures of the Black Lagoon. Uh, like a, like before, and I was just like, eh. so have you guys <laughs> watched Casablanca? Yeah, I've had it's one of Adney's favorite movies. I, ha- it is I own not it. Great. Though. I disagree with you a hundred and a million percent. I think Casablanca is a fucking terrific That's film because you love it. But we're not oh, talking about can't. Casablanca right now. Okay, okay. okay. okay I'm not talking about that. We're getting <laughs> we off could track. literally have an entire hour discussion. Yeah, we could. <laughs> so I'm just gonna talk about how great Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> I'm down to go with you on that route. I'm. Down. Have you seen Petrified Forest? Okay, stop. Have you seen Petrified Forest? Just stop. Sorry. So. William Peter Blatty's novel, as well as William Friedkin directing this movie, they changed the game for horror forever. Like, this was the beginning of something insane. Now, here's a quote taken from History Today when, it, when the movie first came out. It says, The Exorcist touched on issues that were all too alive for the world of 1973. This was not a coincidence. It was more than a product of its time. It actively sought to shape that time. Like the carved demon's head unearthed in the prologue, the exorcist was an image of evil against evil, end quote. And that explains what that movie was. And William Freakin didn't, didn't direct too many great movies after that, but the exorcist will stand the fucking test of time for the horror genre in general. And that's, that's why what... I have to have him as my director for didn't do the greatest movies, but he directed the movie that everybody knows that that gave birth to horror and pushed it in a fucking further direction. So I had to do that as my my uh, director. Go ahead, Adney. That's like so much that your pick has way more gravitas than mine's gonna be. That's I'm, why I didn't do the gravity thing. I'm gonna go back to uh, uh, silliness. If we can't, that transition is gonna be. Apologize, hard. I went serious with my shit. It's exciting though. I was excited for the. Yeah, Mr. Fucking mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe, is <laughs> Pennywise, <laughs> fucking up my fucking Aegis Elba as Ganondorf. <laughs> I should have fucking so stabbed. Should have stabbed you. It's like every two. Let me go last. You brilliant. Even at the wedding. Brilliant. Let me go last. Bastard. <laughs> 
All right, so for my movie maker, who's shit, um, I picked Dennis Dugan. You guys know who that is? I don't even know. I have no idea. Let me. (laughs) Okay. So this is gonna be fun. I think this is a really good thing. So, for people who don't know, I'm Chris Dugan is. What would would you do to introduce them? Let me tell you this motherfucker's. Let's start. Let's start warm. I'm gonna gonna warm you up to hit to the shit. I'm gonna gonna warm you up. Here's look. We're dipping our toes in. National security. Bad movie. The movie? Horrible movie. Oh, was that with, with Martin Lawrence? Martin Lawrence, Martin Lawrence and uh, okay, Steve Zahn. Okay, keep going. It's pretty bad. Next one? Pretty bad, too. Benchwarmers. Ah. You have Rob Schneider as your main badass protagonist. You're an idiot. Stupid movie about guys going full retard. Stupid. <laughs> Getting a little worse next time. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh, a lot worse. Man. Let's, go, let's go a step further. Let's go a step further. Don't mess with the Zohan. Oh, oh my god, god dude, dude you nailed really, it. You're dude. done. Just We're not stop. done. That We're not done. The worst. Like, these Shut are up. so bad. Shh. Don't tell me he meant he did the guru. Don't tell me he did the guru. Shh. Love guru. Well, the writing. Ta- calm it down. Calm it down. Calm it down. Calm it down. I'm not done yet. Jack and Jill. I fucking ah! I guess Jack and Jill, dude. I almost, t- I almost tipped over hold my on, seat right hold now. On, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. His. Are you ready for this? This is gonna knock Don't your tell fucking. Me it's up, so. This is gonna knock your fucking socks off, dude. Are you fucking ready, kid? Because yeah. I'm gonna say some things, and you're gonna get fucking amazed, dude. <clears throat> Grown ups one and two. I, Both uh, of them. I knew it. I knew you were gonna. Both. Say that. No, one and two. Those movies are fucking horrible. Both of them, dude. They have slapstick in them. No, not at all. Those the are worst all kind. Derp, derp comedies. Those it's all, all fucking. Hey, derp. look, I farted. Isn't that funny? I fell on the stairs, bro. I fell on the <laughs> It's the hot girl. It's the hot chick. It's fucking animal. It's all those fucking Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider is the character. Adam Sandler is fucking Rob Schneider in the ass. And <laughs> As they, get, they get stuck together. Okay, what kind out. of wild and crazy, wacky thing do they do together? Okay, so like, time out. Rated PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Stevie Gilder, dude. That's good. <laughs> Anyways, we all can agree that those movies are all shit. If you don't agree, I'm I'm wow, I'm so Say sorry it. for you. I'm Say really it. sorry for you. If you don't agree, tune out. Tune out the podcast. Don't tune out. I mean, keep tuning in I mean, and rate, rate us on iTunes. iTunes. Rate us on <laughs> iTunes, of course. <laughs> but uh, those are all shit. Those are bad, objectively bad movies. Yes. They're not funny. There's no jokes in those movies. It's just stupid stupidity. But the reason I'm bringing him up, the reason I'm going to say, no, hold on. Let's not hate on him too much. He made a film. Very important film, I'm going to say. Stevie, and I'm sure I know 100% you're going to agree with me. You know what he made? Saving Silverman. No way. (laughs) What? What? Are you kidding me? Jack Black? Dude, are you fucking uh, Ar- so, uh, uh what the, no 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 what's his name um Arlie Irving is that that's his name? not okay Arlie he, Irving is that um, the character Arlie Irving Arlie Irving he also made um I, this wasn't my main point but we touched on it a minute ago a little while ago so I have to bring it up he also directed Happy Gilmore oh my <laughs> God, dude 
I gotta give it to this guy. He's, I love Saving Silverman. <gasps> saving Silverman, saving but Silverman listen, is one of my dude, favorite so, movies. Dude, but he sucks the fucking Arby sauce off of his finger. <laughs> I was done, dude. Okay, I was but done. the cast, I had the cast jack- is so. It's the like cast the, is one perfect. of the biggest parts of that movie. Neil fucking Diamond. I love Neil Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. My the reason why I picked this director, okay, the reason or the reason why I'm this movie, I'm defending it. My reasoning for why this movie is good is coming in. Such an awesome movie. I fucking love it. Dude, I fucking love it. And uh, okay, that's all I got. So anyway, (laughs) that's that's enough. That's enough reasoning. Solid reason. So great reason. Let's let's go switch it up. So we did our shitty directors. Now we're gonna talk about uh, beloved directors that we really appreciate. Chris, you go first. Who's your director you want to talk about? All right. Well, since I talk about him almost every fucking week, every other fucking week. (laughs) I'm gonna go with Tarantino. I was thinking about Scorsese or Tarantino because it's it's for me. Oh, it's dude. neck and neck with those you two. You said like, you talk about him every week. I thought you were gonna say Chris Smith. Chris Smith. <laughs> Great favorite. director. If you see Shell Shock, I mean, check it out. I mean, no big deal. Check, check Chris out, homeboy. I mean, no, I, dude, I'm, I'm out here. I'm out I'm, here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out here. You fucking douchebag. I'm just out here. I'm just out here, dude. We're recording things. Oh, out here no, recording things. I'm really glad you. Uh, dude, that you mentioned Marty Scorsese because I really wanted, like, when I was, you know, t- thinking about this category, Martin Scorsese was in my mind because I love him so much. I love all of his fucking movies. I didn't pick him, but he was definitely on my mind. But yeah, glad that you just. I'm glad that his name was just mentioned in this podcast. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> an amazing director. He's directed some of the best, just like Quentin. But the reason why I'm gonna pick Quentin, I think that Scorsese has director. Uh, skills that Quentin doesn't necessarily have, but I think Quentin has writing skills. Absolutely that agree. Scorsese doesn't necessarily have, and so one of my favorites are, is definitely uh, Reservoir Dogs because Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs is set in one location, and that's also why I loved Hateful Eight well, so much. Scenes, like I could rail off all these fucking movies that I love, but I'm gonna take it back to Reservoir Dogs and just break it down to why I love Tarantino as a director slash screenplay writer is the fact that he can sit in one location for two fucking hours and make it interesting. There's humor in it. There's dark grittiness to it. There's anger. There's sadness. Like, it, it raises emotion, yeah. all of the emotions, and you're in one fucking room. And it's not a room that's, like, very decorative or anything. It was a fucking warehouse. Like, like Dude, I, I really got to say, like, so many movies... Like, they have to lean on uh, special effects and spectacle. They have to have something, oh, we're losing the audience. We have to do something crazy right now to, to make sure to make sure we have their attention. Oh, we got to just throw, oh, we're doing The Matrix. This is a really philosophical move. We have something to say. But, oh, wait, I'm worried we're going to lose the audience attention with this fucking, uh, with all this dialogue. So I'm going to throw in squid robots. No, but Addy, Addy, well, listen to this. No, but Addy, listen to this. A uh, uh, 16-wheeler, okay, spins out of control. And it's like, and it's like, like that's, that's dialogue, right? Isn't that, that's, isn't that what dialogue is? That's supposed to be, that's writing, that's good writing, yeah, right? that's good writing. You know, limbs flare, no, limbs but, flare. But that's my thing. I is that kill people in my movies, Adney, on Michael Bay. People I, do I almost think, die. I was like, Lady Gaga keeps making music, and Michael Bay keeps making movies. There is no God. There that's is that's no the God. best argument, AC Star movie. Yeah, that's my but, atheist um, argument. Anyways, like I was saying, is they movies always have to do that because, like Chris said, that dialogue is usually trash. 
and they're not that like it gets so boring they have to do the spectacle but quentin tarantino has this way with dialogue which we've talked about before too is i think the two best dialogue writers are quentin and aaron sorkin and so quentin has a great talent of just making a one location movie where there's nothing really ha- you can say nothing really happens they're just talking if you're in it idiot not paying attention. <laughs> but if you actually listen, like if you actually watch the movie, the the dialogue is so interesting and the characters are so interesting. Everything they do is so good that it just draws you in and you don't it never you never loses your attention. And this is just with then those those are the movies that it's really hard to do it, like I said, in these one locations. So it's really hard. Your dialogue has to be amazing if you're gonna keep an audience um, attracted to the entire movie. But then you have movies like Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, um what else do we got? Inglorious Bastards, dude. That's Inglorious Bastards. That's my favorite so Quentin Tarantino movie. There's dude. Inglorious Bastards is a. Is, I think those movies. I think uh, Inglorious Bastards is like a perfect blend of, like you got like the Hateful Eight and you have um, Reservoir Dogs on one end of the spectrum, which is like nothing really happens, but there's so much great dialogue that it's still incredibly interesting. And then you have like Kill Bill, which is this super cartoonish, like comic booky violence where there's constant, Straight constant violence. action. It oh, never lets so up. It's awesome. so f- the dialogue is still fucking awesome, of course, but there's just it's so action heavy. And, and then you got the thing. Then you have then you have Inglorious Bastards, which is right in the middle of there, where you have like these long stretches of just dialogue. All the scenes with Christopher Waltz, like I remember Sorry. watching the movie for the first and like the first time I watched it, like oh my god. Like so that when he goes to the French guy's house and he's so calm and he's like seems really polite and his demeanor's really nice. You're like a little cordial guy, but there's <laughs> something nice about guy. him. There's just something about him that creeps you out and makes you feel uneasy. It might be the fact that he has a swastika on his arm, but I really think it's more than that. <laughs> what he's saying, how he's saying it, then directing like the way the camera like pans around. I think that is just a, that, and you have that, and then like. The next scene, you have Brad Pitt either scalping a guy or you have Eli Roth just unloading an MP40 into a fucking Hitler's <laughs> face and it's exploding everywhere. Like, like so, yeah. Dude. He balances, yeah, he balances the Tarantino's action. Tarantino's so good. Tarantino's What's funny amazing. about Inglorious Passion is Tarantino, took, it took him a long time from when he started writing it to when he actually started filming it because he created a character that he was like, once he wrote Christoph Waltz's character, he says, I just wrote myself into a corner. I cannot find a guy at all that can write or that can uh, speak all these different languages that can act out this how I want it to be acted. He basically almost gave up on the project because he couldn't figure out who the fuck could play this role. And then at the table reading, Christoph Waltz mesmerized everybody. They were like, that is... Just like we said, perfect casting. Crystal, there's nobody else. And I think nobody else can play Tarantino that character. Is also a great director is casting. He does not cast based on your fucking skin color. You can be black, white, Mexican, Puerto Rican. Sometimes he makes roles just for black guys. Hey, more power to you, Quentin. Sometimes oh. he brought a uh, Lucy Liu. Boom, what's up? Diversity much? But the <laughs> only problem with Quentin Tarantino, have you ever heard him talk to black people? No. Yeah. It's watch very, it, watch very, it interview. Very, he has no. <laughs> 
no idea on how to talk to black no people. Idea. No, dude, he gets jive as fuck. He was jive. on BET and he was like, nah, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> Stop, come on, brother. Come on, brother. You know, it's 70s jive. It's like he was trying. It's like he's trying so hard. It's almost as if he realizes how many times he said the N word in all his movies and he feels uneasy around every black person so he's actually wanting to make sure I'm cool. Whenever I talk to someone at my work that is uh, that's from Mexico, it, it my my dialect kind of changes a little bit. Oh. I, I kind of like do Spanglish. I'm like, no, I'm of course, cabrón. Shit, yeah, you know. Like, I don't do it. It's, it's like a way of connecting Man, every time I go them. and get Chinese, I start going, oh, uh, chicken and a beef. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, just, that's just racist. That's just fucked up. That's just that's just, it's true, though. I'm not going to oh, lie. Oh, can I get some of oh, that chicken? You do that? That's just offensive as well, fuck. Well, she asks me first, and I'm like, yeah. Because what, he's, what Stevie's <laughs> saying is he basically, he'll say a Spanish word, but he does it with the accent, like how you're probably supposed to say that Spanish word. So that's different oh, so than using just a just using a fucking <laughs> breakfast at Tiffany's accent to say chicken and rice. Okay, I'm the asshole. My bad. If you were saying like actual like words and like from like Mandarin or Cantonese no, and you use that it. accent, that'd be a, that'd be different. <laughs> that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, but, but but I mean, there's no. I mean, he's talking to a black people from America so the only he thinks it like no your language is jive right it's like it's like it's like he watched the movie Airplane before he met any black guy and he goes this is how they talk to each other cause there's like I speak jive in the movie Airplane it's classic comedic you the only way to know comedy is to watch the old comedy movies that are really good, Mel Brooks. But Airplane is a big one. It's not the funniest when you go back. You're like, it ah, took it's, me it's a okay. couple times to watch it. I'm not going to lie. But the jive scene is so fucking good. No, I speak jive. It's like, <laughs> dude, holy shit. But that's how he talks to people. It's so funny because no, Adney and I watched it. We were like, oh, the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? He talks to people like that? Quentin it's like, it's like Shaft. He's like a Shaft's, weird guy. Shaft's soul. Went into Tarantino. He just loves Shaft. I think I think he loves that movie. He wants to be Shaft. Because that's why he. That's probably why he makes a lot of cool black characters. Because he wants to be a badass. He wants, he wants to, to be, be black. black. I think yeah. that's like what you said, and like you said, like he just casts black characters all the time. He makes characters that are for that are black, and like I think that is best epitomized in Pulp Fiction, which like it's hard for me to pick a favorite ter- favorite uh, Tarantino movie, but that's probably it. Because you have not only do you have Samuel L. Jackson's character who's black, he's from Inglewood, but it's never like there's really not any like hardcore like we're gonna discuss racism. There is like a little bit like at the end where Quentin Tarantino says nigger <laughs> to Sam Jackson at the mind situation. But for most of the part, it's just no, this is a bad this is one of the best hitmen that this in this uh organization he just happens to be black that's not a big part oh yeah he's black oh this uh this fucking guy one of the guys that he's uh, going after he happens to be black oh and by the way the head of this entire organization one of the baddest dudes in this movie Marcella just happens Wallace, to be black with, a, with, a, with Uma Thurman as his wife like that's pretty like that's not and a very common thing to do they don't touch on the racism of it there is but no, then he like, goes the exact opposite way and he does something like Django where it is really based course, upon race and all yeah, that yeah that was him attacking it just like it's, how he did it goes to me accrediting him again why he's my favorite like Hateful he can go eight, from one thing. spectrum to the complete other spectrum and make it great in both fucking spectrums like, Hateful Eight it's almost the side the, the whole the racism back so he touches a lot more on the movie you just said 
with uh, Django. That's right. like pure, like, okay, this is the hatred that went along with the 1800, or, you know, just uh, black people being oppressed. But then you get a movie like Hateful Eight, where, yes, that is a part of it, but it's not the story. It's a part of the ride. It's almost like a sidebar upon yeah, the it's story. A part of, oh, this is a thing. Like, so, yeah, you get to know this character, and also you get to know, like, the attitude some of the other characters have towards him, but that's not the main point. What happened, like, this story, Hateful Eight, is about a certain thing, and, like, it's not going to be just about race. Like, we're going to have yeah. a black character because this guy's a good actor and the character would be interesting. Yeah. Like, no, that's no. the reason why he had him in there. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. no, no we got me talking politics. I'm going to lean my head right over here. <laughs> <laughs> you got me talking politics. Uh, if you can make me laugh like fucking that in a fucking scene where it's just like a fucking Seriously? horse carriage. You're and, laughing at racism, actors. Chris. <laughs> like, it's just so good. So I got to give it up to Tarantino. I don't, dude, people, like even, I love Cracks with my favorite fucking podcast so informative uh, they're the reason I wanted to do a podcast they are the reason I'm getting diving more into pop culture luckily Adney showed me them but they did have like they did kind of give Quentin Tarantino shit for Hateful Eight oh it just dragged on it was long but I dude I seen the movie twice I pirated it Hopefully, um, FBI. My name is Chris Smith. <laughs> I, pirate, I pirate everything. Chris Smith. My address, my address is 6-3. Um, but after even pirating the movie and seeing it twice, I still paid and went and seen it in theaters to support Quentin. Oh, I'm going to buy it for it's sure. Like, I, have, you know. I do have one question. Okay, I want you to name, if you can, it's, I know it's going to be hard, name your favorite Tarantino movie and your least favorite Tarantino movie. Okay, my favorite's Django. Django's number one? Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love Django so fucking much. And I would say my least favorite is Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Jackie man. Brown. I actually haven't seen. That's like the one I haven't seen. I even seen from Dusk Till Dawn multiple times. <laughs> but I haven't seen. Okay. Uh, Jackie Brown for me really was just, movie, um, I, it just didn't seem like, a, like you said, a Tarantino movie. It was about like, just this woman and it was like drugs and everything but it just it didn't have that Tarantino feel to it there wasn't a lot of killing there wasn't like it was just kind of like low-key I, I thought it was like I remember like the only thing I've only seen like the trailer I don't know like the VHS of Last Action Hero which I think is still an amazing movie I don't care what critics so say I. but um I remember always watching that movie as a kid and in the like the trailers for it was like a trailer for Jackie Brown and it was just like a fuck it, like there was a in that there was like a girl with a, in a bikini just shooting a machine gun, and Samuel L. Jackson over like an, a voiceover going, "Yeah, for Tech Nine, for when you have to absolutely kill every motherfucker in the room." Uh, I know substitutes or some shit like that. Uh, I can't. I don't remember that scene to be honest with you. In the movie, probably wasn't even in the movie. They probably uh, cut it out or something. What about you, Adney? Do you want to name your favorite, or do you want me to go name my favorite a Tarantino? Tarantino movie? Uh, and my least favorite. We can have uh, yeah, a whole episode just, of Tarantino. Let's go into your favorite director. We should just, yeah, we, so like, mine's yeah. Tarantino. So for so for when you do yours, well, oh, you t at the end tell us your favorite and your yeah, least. that's a good. Well, yeah, let me just yeah. say, Grindhouse sucked. Yeah, Grindhouse. Sucked. I didn't like Grindhouse. I I, I didn't really. There's really well, there's like two movies connected. That there's Death Proof and then there's Grindhouse was directed. Wait, no, Death Proof was directed by Tarantino. Yeah, he admitted that that was his worst movie. Yeah, there you go. That's what I meant. But I actually enjoyed it because first, it's Kurt Russell's awesome and everything, and I don't care what you say. Kurt Russell. I'm so glad he put him in eight point. It's fucking sweet. 
Alright, so go on and talk about uh, who's, who's yours. So, I went, um, usually, you know, I usually go for horror, which is fucking <clears throat> just the niche, the thing that I love. But I actually went this time for, of course, which we already know, uh, comedy. Trey Parker is my favorite director of all time. Um, I just, I connect. Such a good fucking choice, dude. He's amazing. I love, dude, everything he makes is fucking gold. He's, gold. He's the reason that I love comedy. It's Explain like, to the people who he is. He so, don't know who he is. People Orgasmo. don't know who Trey Parker is. People don't know who Trey Parker is. He is the writer, creator of South Park. Okay, that's the main thing that people were, are going to know. Co-creator. Uh, co- sorry, co-creator. Him and Matt Stone. Don't ignore Matt Best Stone. friends. <laughs> Best friends, I apologize. Um, but yes, he is... Uh, usually in any movie that he does with Matt Stone, co-creation or not, um, Trey is usually the director. Matt Stone and him are both writers. So they they create the proje- project, but Trey is always giving direction um, as the movie goes. Same thing with Team America. Uh, you have Orgasmo. But you know what? I'm going to take it back to uh, the beginning of uh, Trey Parker's career. So... Trey Parker has created some of the most influential comedies of all time. Uh, but, but how we got his start was in college, him and Matt created The Spirit of Christmas, which was uh, basically the beginning of South Park. You have uh, Jesus and Santa. It's, it's giving the idea of what Christmas is. And they also bring Brian, Brian Boitano in. And uh, <clears throat> the boys are look a lot different. And even Cartman's character. It's so much worse animation. Yeah, Cartman's character is named Kenny. Nah. Like, if you want, you're like, what the fuck? So Cartman's character is Kenny. They switch the names as they actually make the show later on in years. Uh, but the first thing they ever did was um, they created this film, an independent film called Cannibal the Musical, which is about a guy named Alfred Packer who was uh, traveling across um, Colorado territory with a uh, territory with a bunch of gold miners and stuff like that. They were basically just mining for gold and they ended up getting stuck in the snow and lost and there was cannibalism that happened and they basically blamed this guy, uh, Alfred Packer, because always There's, you know, cannibalism that happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you gotta brush over cannibalism, okay? Uh, but basically uh, Alfred Backer was blamed for eating all the people that he was with and they were going to hang him but then they were like oh well w- the place that you did it at is not a part it's it's a uh, basically independent ground sort of thing it's almost like um, international waters mm. so he the law was not okay for him to be hung so he got away with it but I mean it's it's a funny funny fucking movie uh, they actually raised the, so they created a three minute trailer and they went around showing it like literally door to door to people, and they liked it so much they ended up raising a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. They're in college. They're our age right now, or maybe a little, probably a little bit younger. And they raised a hundred and twenty five thousand. If I would have raised a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars just from a trailer, I wouldn't have made the movie. Mm-hmm. I'd have been like, all right, doses. <laughs> I'm going to fucking Italy. <laughs> I'm gonna go travel Europe. I'm gonna get so many escorts. Christmas. I would have pulled the DB Cooper and just fucking jumped out of an airplane yeah. and shit. <laughs> Which is why you haven't gone around and made 125 grand yet. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's also why I'm not Trey Parker, Matt Stone, uh, and their fame and how much money they're worth now. I think it's like 300 million or something. They're worth a lot of fucking money, but. So they raised that money, they made this independent film, and then they, they took it to, I think they took it to Sundance, I can't remember quite, but um, uh, a lot of like 
production companies were like they didn't like it at first until they became famous and then it was like no good you know jerking their fucking dicks like no good job let's let's get this back out there let's push it but it actually <laughs> got on broadway they actually brought it on broadway uh fucking cannibal the musical so then trey directed a short film called uh your studio and you which was a parody of a 1950 corporate industrial film now the zucker brothers were originally hired to write and direct this short the Zucker Brothers created Basketball, which is one of my fucking favorite movies, even though it's... Dude, that um, movie holds up. I love Basketball. They hate that movie, but it's a great film. We even watched it so many times, we wrote down all the rules, and we started playing tournaments with all of our we friends, We actually dude. did. What? We actually started playing Basketball. Dude, I wasn't there for this. We and got pretty mad. good, and we actually kind of want to restart this, and I want to get all our podcast listeners to make their own teams. We could do these... T- dude, we can have a lot of fucking fun. This game is amazing because you don't need to be athletic. That's the, whole, <laughs> that's the whole point of the movie is any average schmo could be a sports hero. Average Joe. <laughs> average I don't need to, I don't need to blow out my knees... Playing in basketball. Yeah. So, like I was saying, the uh, Zucker Brothers were hired to uh, write and direct this, but they didn't do it. So they offered it to uh, Trey Parker. And it wasn't until the first fucking day of filming that Trey found out that there was no script. There was no <laughs> fucking script. The Zuckers had assumed that he would write something. So Trey and Matt ended up coming up with the ideas for each scene less than an hour before filming them. That just gives show to their fucking creativity. Less than an hour before them filming this fucking That was scene. almost foreshadowing. 30, minute, 30 minutes. That was Less almost foreshadowing to the future of the fact that they only, they don't, like every other show will do all their episodes in a huge period Six of time. Six months prior and then, or something like that. then air them all one week at a time. But South Park goes, I'm going to spend five days making each episode the week of. Can you have... Trey without Matt, and can you have Matt without Trey? No, no, this is why I'm going to, this is perfect question. Perfect question. Now, this will explain it. So, according to Trey, okay, so this is, um, so yeah, the one-hour filming thing. So now, according to Trey Parker, this is an actual quote. So, James Cameron, who was in the short, along with many other famous actors like Michael J. Fox, Lucy Lawless, Steven Spielberg. Mind you, this was, uh, this was 19, what's up? For people who don't know who James Cameron is, let them know. Are you people are dumb, okay? People are dumb. People are dumb. He made fucking Titanic. He made Avatar. Avatar. The two high school movies of all time. Most importantly, Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless. Shut the fuck up. Steven Spielberg. Zena, if you don't know, she's one people, of the greatest people ever. Yes. Zena, Warrior Princess. Okay, Lucy Lawless should have been Wonder Woman. That's all I'm gonna say. So let me reiterate. Mind you, this is That's nineteen. This is nineteen ninety fucking five. Trey and Matt are nobodies. Nobody knows them. And yet they get to make these they make this movie with Michael J. Fox, who's one of the most fucking influential actors of all time in the nineteen fucking eighties. Like everyone knows Michael J. Fox. Everything he does everything he did holds up. <laughs> so holds up. now during this film, so like like I said, the Zucker, the Zucker brothers basically gave threw this on Trey's lap and said, Hey, we don't have anything written. Good luck. So James Cameron disliked how fast Trey was filming the scenes and stated that he prefers to take his time when directing. When you got a billion dollar budget, motherfucker. Exactly. Now listen, Matt Stone retorted, that's why your movies cost so damn much fucking money. <laughs> Cameron suggested that Stone should be fired, but Trey... <laughs> what? Cameron suggested Stone should be fired, but Trey fucking refused. 
These are nobodies. Trey is a nobody. Matt is a nobody. And yet, James Cameron, a somebody, said you should fire this Matt Stone. This is after Terminator 2. Yeah, which is one of the greatest movies of all Correct? time. Yes. Right? I don't need to say anything else. Terminator 2 was 1992, right? Stop looking at me. I don't need to say anything else. This is James Cameron. Okay, so I'm looking at you like you're right. Like, my bad. I'm just using you as like a... Uh, imp- like a, 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 you are my allegory for the audience. You're right. 91. Sorry, I said 92. It was 91 right. for Terminator. I'm not saying Christmas. I'm saying I'm looking at you as if you were the audience. And I'm saying, you audience members, shut the fuck up. This is after James Cameron is already James Cameron. And, and this nobody from college is going, no, I'm not starstruck. I don't think you're important be just because you're famous. I'm not going to fire you. my fucking best I'm an friend. artist. This is my fucking brother. Fuck you. He's more important to me. So to answer your question, when this can movie's you get, all so done? So to answer your fucking question, can they have a tray without a mat? Can Matt have a mat without a tray? No. They will not be who they were if they work together. Just like we would not be this podcast the Van Halen. The Van Halen metaphor of um, when they asked, like, they asked because Trey, Trey, Trey is seen as doing most of the work. About. He's the more creative when people say. Matt always goes, I'm just, I feel lucky just to be part of this, dude. I feel always. lucky that my Every best interview. friend, I feel lucky my best friend Trey even lets me be part of his process, dude. I just, I'm glad to be with him because you're not offended that it's Trey and Matt and I'm Matt and Trey and Matt's always all, Fuck that, dude. He does all the work. <laughs> like, I'm just his friend. He lets me do part of this, and I'm having a great time. But if you ask Trey why Matt is so important, he goes, well, it's like Van Halen. You know, you could look at – you could listen to Van Halen and say, hey, it's all Eddie Van Halen. But as soon as David Lee Roth leaves, you're like, fuck that band. <laughs> That's something that he said on the documentary – Six Days to South Park, which is also a documentary that inspired me to start collecting Legos again. Yeah, because Trey's a huge Lego fanatic. Star Wars Legos fanatic, too. But, um, so there you go. You can't have Trey without Matt. You can't have Matt without Trey. That that brings it to your question. That much of a best friend that after college, even James Cameron. It's not Steven just a, it's Spielberg. Not, it's not Michael that. J. Fox, Lucy Lawless. These fucking crazy actors. These guys are nobodies. And he said, fuck you. I'm not doing shit without my fucking best friend. And it's not brother. it's not just a friend thing I'm carrying my friend. It's not that. It's that he knows he knows 100% that he gets his best creativity, he gets his best jokes, he gets he bounces off his best friend the best. He knows he's going to get his best material not from being alone because he talks about he hates being alone. It sucks. It when he has to write a script on himself, he fucking hates it. But when he's with his best friend, they bounce off each other so fucking well. This podcast would not work if it was just two of us. It was just me and Chris. It was just Chris and Stevie. It was just Stevie and me. This podcast would be shit. Which, it's not great. But <laughs> the fact that it's the three of us bouncing off each other, we bounce off so much. I think this podcast is pretty okay because of that. Yeah, and I will touch on the, uh, like, Trey, I will touch on the Trey and Matt thing with I'm Adney go- and myself because growing up with Adney... We, I am we the, the Matt same, to your tray. We have the same sense of humor. I'm going to say that. It's I'm always, the Matt to his tray. It's always the fact Steve that... Steve is not as... No, it's always the fact that I can't be as funny unless Adney's around. If I'm making Adney laugh, it doesn't matter if anybody else is laughing around me. Everybody else could fuck <laughs> off. When I make a joke, I look to Adney. 
I think part of that is the fact when you do make a lame joke, I give you the look. You do. <laughs> and I you say, do. Well, I feel like I can. You can do. Yeah, you tell point. me I can do better. But I mean, I look to you like I want. I'm always there to make Adney laugh. Adney's always there to make me laugh. We have such a connection from growing up together our whole lives. That's the thing. It's the Trey and Matt thing. You can't be one without the other. I'm not as funny without Adney, and you know it goes back and forth. I can't be me. I can't be this comedy fucking relief sort of clown guy that I am. That we've been doing this our whole life. I thought you were gonna Andy be like, can't be Andy this. without you. Yeah, I and thought you were gonna be I sit here this. and I watch it every fucking day. Every <laughs> I, time we I go thought, through this fucking podcast. On. I like, thought Stevie it. was gonna be like, I can't be this comedy god without Andy. I comedy, thought you were I said comedy clown, not god. I know. I thought you were gonna go that way. I should have went narcissistic. I was so ready. I should have went narcissistic. an asshole. I should have went. I can't be this. This is literally the first time we've even said this. I can't be this comedy like. God, this, you know, everyone, <laughs> get out of here. everyone just looks on me like, man, you're the funniest guy in the world. But listen, I can't you're, the do fu- that. you're the you're the funniest part of the that. podcast, Steve. Oh, you got to bring it. Oh, you're the dishbag. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, so like I said with Trey Matt, this right there shows you the kind of person Trey is. He was a nobody, and he basically told a famous director, uh, slash, my slash writer, to fuck off. Seeing as he refused to fire his best friend. But Trey not only did that, but he also directed some of the greatest movies of all time. South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Fucking one of the best comedies holds of all up. time. It's Team a musical. America. And it holds it's up. It's a musical. A musical. Team, most of his stuff, actually almost all his stuff is musicals. Team America, World Police, musical. Fucking okay, great. Team America. Was time Warped music. in Color, a TV show about evolution and religion. Uh, they pitched the Fox. It didn't get taken up. But... The other one? Uh, it, was, uh, it was like fucking musical. Cannibal the Musical was a musical. Orgasmo. He did okay. the music behind Orgasmo as well. Now you're We haven't even touched on Orgasmo. Dude, even, even fucking Joe Rogan. Fuck hey, listen. Orgasmo. Listen. Oh, my Joe God. Rogan, Stevie, in no, the beginning of Joe out. Rogan's... No, sh- okay, sorry. You need to tell the people... Because uh, no one knows about Orgasmo. Very few, very few people. You 12 minutes. Stevie, please, you... Time. You need to tell them yeah. why they need to see Orgasmo. So Orgasmo was going to be pitched to uh, the M- the MPA, Motion um, Picture Association of America, denied them to be on the big screen. It was an independent film. No, promise. What's the promise? What no, the premise. is the premise. Orga- You're right. The premise. premise. I fucked up. No, no, Chris no. is drunk. Premise. premise. Chris is spilling beer on me. Um... Premise. No, the, I, the, the movie is a Mormon, a Mormon kid, which Trey Parker, he's your protagonist. <laughs> he's going around pitching the Book of Mormon to these people door to door. He, they're, now, second scene, there's a fucking porn being filmed. They get a knock on the door. Like it's Trey, porn. like straight up porn, like real porn. Knock on the door. The director says, go find who that is and whoop their fucking ass, basically. And he goes, the guy goes to the door and he says... Hi, well, would you like to talk about Jesus or, you know... It's Trey Park at the door. He's a Mormon. And he's like, would you like to talk about the Church of Latter-day Saints? Yeah. And, and the, the guy's guy like, goes, nah. Hold on. No, he goes, hold on. And he shuts the door. And he goes back to the director. And he goes, there's some kids here about Jesus. And he goes, kill them or whoop their asses or something like that. I can't remember the exact thing he says. And then it's he goes back out to the door. He goes, cut their fucking balls off or something. He goes, and he comes out, opens the door. I gotta oh, cut your balls switch off. Blade. <laughs> hey, man, I gotta cut your balls off now. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> And then Trey Parker whoops everybody's fucking ass like straight up ninja style. The most cartoonish karate style ever. He goes, he goes, oh! (laughs) 
whips her ass. <laughs> then he gets like hired. A little sound yeah, he face. gets hired as Orgasmo and becomes a fucking famous porn star. But he has a stunt cock, so he doesn't need to fuck anybody because of his religion. But that's the basis of the story. It's is a Mormon starring in porn movies because he's a badass. It's one of the best idea. movies. Of that, all that idea. <laughs> great... No, that idea is fucking phenomenal. But not only that, but he so yeah, he also did um that's my that's my bush. But the biggest fucking of all was the Book of Mormon, which they got nine Tony Awards, which you touched on last week in the Oscar episode. And it's seriously every comedian that has ever seen that play has said nothing but the greatest things ever. Jimmy Fallon, John Stewart, Bill they Burr. said this is the funniest thing I've which, okay, ever Jimmy, seen okay, in my so life. So Jimmy Fallon saying a good thing, that's all he ever does. I feel like but, I can feel that. But John Stewart. I have so much re- like I talked about before. One of the greatest journalists of all time. Yeah, I talked John about in my last podcast. I have a huge respect for for anyone who's a true journal, not just oh, I, I went to journalism. We're and talking about not journal. like yeah, dude. I have like that started like 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 because I attribute my love for boxing to two men, one of which was a journalist, and it was that started my love affair with journalism. Bert, Bert Sugar was he a journalist? Bert or? Randolph Sugar. Bert Randolph Sugar. And that's why I love guys who I got men and women of course. I'm not. I, I said guys accidentally, but people who put themselves out there for the sake of the story, and you go out there and do just. Colonist reporters, both of them combined, and when I John Stewart, I have so much respect for. Even though he's super fucking biased to the left, I still have huge respect for him because he acknowledges that, and he is true to to what he's doing. And when he says That's something is amazing, I'm going to take time out of my day, no matter what I'm doing. If my girlfriend says she wants to have sex with me, I'm going to say, "Yeah, I get it." But John Stewart <laughs> told me I need to watch this right now. But we could fuck any time. Like, okay, play with yourself for a minute. I'll be there in a minute. This is important to That's me. And great, so when John Stewart showers so much respect on both Matt and Trey, it's like you have to take note. Exactly. Even Pendulette, like Pendulette was on um what uh, I think it was Hardball, and Seth MacFarlane was on there. It was right after the controversy of Trey and Matt putting uh, Mohammed on uh, as a character on their show, and there was they see they got death threats. They got fucking death threats, and they didn't give a fuck about the death threats, and they pushed against the death threats. And Seth MacFarlane was sitting next to Pendulette, and Seth MacFarlane basically said, "I think they went a little too far with it." Blah blah blah. And the Pen- Family Guy and Pendulette, yeah, the Family Guy creator, and then Pendulette said. Well, you know what? I think they did, they're doing exactly what they need to do as an atheist. As, you know, he is an atheist. He didn't say that, but um, he's like, I think they are the greatest comedic minds of our generation, of, uh, of what we know today as comedy. They are the greatest. And he said that in front of Seth MacFarlane as a fuck you to the Family Guy writer. Seth MacFarlane does not even come close to touching. He is Anna. funny sometimes. There's some funny things that he I will done. say he this. Also, he has a couple. He has on a behalf couple. on behalf of MacFarlane, the first few seasons. Three of, seasons, yep. The first Family few Guy. seasons of Family Guy, absolutely some of the funniest TV you will ever see. I always say that to everybody. Shh, not done. Not done. The Cleveland Show, shit. American Dad. 
I think is his masterpiece. Yep. I think American Dad is his best work. I agree the same fucking thing. And it's I only agree writing wise. I, I think it's agree. I think it's under I think American Dad is incredibly underrated because that show has consistently made me laugh my ass off. I think that is a great fucking show and it doesn't get its due at all. But even though as much as I love American Dad, dude well, you fucked me up with the American Dad because I didn't think you were gonna be bringing up the great things that they've done because I was focused on. That's what I'm about. This this whole last hour has been about of me finding the great in shit, dude. Because that's I don't want to talk shit. But I really good, don't want to talk shit. To, to me, good luck. I want to see the so good things. Okay, good. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say good luck finding the shit that Trey, Matt, uh, Trey and Matt have done. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Because everything yeah. they've done, maybe I'm being biased. I'm uh, being biased because I'm obsessed with these guys. But are you? Everything though? that they've done have is you seen his fucking <laughs> genius. Yeah. If you don't know my room, name one bad episode of South Park. I can. I could. There's, I could. There's I bad episodes. I can't have a bad episode. In comparison to good episodes, uh, I only no, think the it's line. in the recent the episodes. Episode. I only think it's with the within the. I recent. actually really like the zipline episode. I, I don't like, I like the realism it. of the zipline episode. I like it. I hate I, that I, realism of it. I can't name the name of an episode that I hated, but I know there were times where I was like. That Not wasn't that as good. Funny. That didn't make me laugh as the much. The goth episode with the um, emo, I don't. I didn't really like. I like it. Okay, so this is too. obviously a debatable topic so let's we can not spend an entire podcast on south park let's not even go but, down that road so that's all i want to say my favorite director well not my favorite director but a director i really appreciate i have other directors like i said martin scorsese is my favorite but trey parker i have to give him his due because of where he started where he came from and how much he fucking what he's raised done what and he's, what he's doing and for comedy what and i'm a i'm a Andy and i or and you as well we're huge comedy buffs so i gotta give it to a comedian and i you have serious? to also give it to as but i'm gonna go i'm gonna back you man like um without trey <laughs> without trey and matt you man, said like, you i don't know, said, i don't know where we would be just within tv comedy that's all we're that's all I'm they raised the, they right lowered now. the bar <laughs> But even Chris said they like, pushed like, the envelope so fucking far that it fell off the table, and they had to pick <laughs> it up, put it back on the table, and they said, "Oh, your envelope!" Bam! Smack it back on the floor again. They said, "What are you gonna do now? Are you gonna fight me? Go ahead, cause everyone loves me." When Chris first came up to me to say, "Let's start doing something together," he said, "Who are the train? Who are the next train match? Four years ago. Who the ago, fuck are the next train match? No one." He's all when they move on. Why don't? Who's gonna pick up that torch? He goes, "Why don't we give it a shot?" Which is uh, obviously we're not that good, but I mean, he he basically said, "Why don't we just whatever, dude? They why had to scared? start from somewhere. No, why I be think, scared? No, hold on, hold scared. on. I think that is it seems arrogant and dumb, but I love the fact that he was willing to shoot for it because that is so that's that that task that mission is so easy to fail, but the fact that Chris was willing to say it, to willing to say. We should at least shoot for it. Let's try. I want you, Stevie, you and me, we can work together. We can do something. We can try. The fact that he was willing to push you, to push him, so you both can go together and try for this amazing and I goal. I put him off for a couple of years until you came up here. So yeah. That shows you it wasn't you until you came It wasn't around. until you came here that I had any balls to say, okay, let's do something. I can't be in this by myself. I'm sorry. I, I write on my own. Yes, I write on my own. I fucking write horror, but I can't. And I do comedy on Facebook, but I can't be this guy unless I have influence around me. 
you can't be funny without the your favorite person to be funny with is around you. And so your favorite person to be around it's with Adney, is he's Adney. my brother. I do it's everything. It's amazing. But the, to be fair, I'm everyone's favorite person <laughs> to be funny around. And we'll end on that. Because no, no, we're no, already no. tooting our own horn. I haven't, we, are, we are stroking, but I want I Adney to, to explain his director. director. Let's get to your director, Adney. Okay. You're right. You're right. <laughs> the director I chose, like I said, my favorite. Adney just had to drink a little bit of his rocks. That is no, straight whiskey. Yeah, whiskey. I drink. I drink. Adney's the only one on the podcast that drinks straight whiskey. The I whole drink time. beer. <laughs> I drink beer. Stevie drinks beer. And we drink beer. Adney's a man though, and Adney. I'm trying man to watch. The, I'm trying to watch the LBs. How Adney can be super articulate and I'm like on a with diet. more whiskey makes Adney more articulate because he's like <laughs> sounds super suave and intelligent. It's called like the whiskey, my friend. It's, it's called writing juice. <laughs> It's no, I call it liquid fucking uh, liquid influence, or you could say liquid, liquid articulation. Yeah, liquid articulation. <laughs> I just make it sound fancier by adding more syllables. <laughs> That's the key. That's the key to all writing, homeboy. Add more syllables. Add more synonyms. You add more you syllables. Like, you got more pussy. Uh, all right, get more out syllables. Of here. Go. More okay, syllables. so shut up, Steve. <laughs> I said before my favorite director that I think is the best is Marty Scorsese. But I didn't want to talk about it. I want to talk about. I wanted to bring attention to someone who everyone shits on. I read the critic, dude. I like reading critic reviews because the point of a critic is basically to give you information about something you weren't there to witness. That's what a critic is supposed to do. But so many critics love to be snarky and assholes. They talk a lot of shit. Some of them talk too much shit. And this director, this movie maker, this director writer, he writes all of his fucking movies, he gets so much shit lately. And I want to defend him with all my fucking heart and soul. The man I'm talking about is Kevin Smith. Oh, shit. I'm not going to be able to argue. Oh, my God. I'm I thought you were going to say Christopher argue. Nolan, but, dude, you and Kevin Smith, and that makes nah, me very happy. I can, talk, I can talk a lot of shit about Christopher Nolan, but I will never not defend Kevin Smith. You can, you can talk for days about his stupid stoner comedy. And, as you guys will attest, I'm not a fucking stoner. I stopped smoking weed when I was 15. 10 years ago. I don't like it. Personally, I don't. I just fall asleep immediately. I don't like doing it. And I'm not a big fan of dick and fart jokes. I think it's a low level of comedy. I think hanging it's, fruit. Yeah, it's low hanging fruit. fruit. It's too yeah. easy. But, that's not all he does. People see that and they label him as just that. He is so much more in my mind. And I have to bring it, I have to rewind it a little bit and bring it back to the beginning. Um, I think Kevin Smith is one of the most inspiring movie makers of all time. I'm not saying he's the greatest underdog ever. What you just explained with Trey is incredible. That's a very inspiring story. But what I. I really do believe Kevin Smith has a great story. This is a kid from New Jersey. He grew up in a poor family. He didn't really have shit. He got his way in. He was working at, just like in that first movie he made, Clerks. He was work. He was working convenience store at right? a movie store that was oh, connected to a Quick Stop. He's working this shitty family-owned video store. He went to fucking Canada for. A, he went to Canada for film school. For a little while, and he dropped out. He couldn't even finish film school, and he left. He came back to Jersey and worked in that same fucking video store. But 
The thing is, he had something to say. He wanted to tell the world, this is my perspective. I don't see a movie made about a guy like me or my friends. This message isn't being told. No one's telling it. I think I could probably tell it. So he did everything he could to do that. Credit card companies would call that movie store every day to try and sell credit cards. And he would pretend to be an employee, a lower employee, and say, Oh, well, the manager, Kevin Smith, he makes this much money a year. He kept doing that. He kept lying to these credit card companies about how much he made a year. So they would offer him a credit card with a huge limit. Eventually, he said, yeah, this is uh, the manager, Kevin Smith. He wasn't the manager. But I'm the manager, Kevin Smith. Yeah, I make this much money a year. <laughs> like a moron. But he got the credit card. With that credit card, he no got way. thousands he of dollars of debt. And he only casted his friends who he thought could be in his movie. His movie, his first movie, was, of course, Clerks, filmed in black and white. Those were all his friends? I knew, I knew that uh, Jason... Uh... It was all about... It was all about like the fucking plight of someone who works in a convenience store, someone who deals with that shit. Which is why Kevin Smith is one of the best directors because this motherfucker didn't take actors. Not like, oh, you're not well known, so I'm going to take you because you don't have any credits, but I know you're a great actor. No. He went and said, oh, you're my friend. You're my friend, and you're my friend. And he cast all of his friends in his fucking movie, and he literally said, action. And then he went in front of his fucking movie, and he acted in front of it with his actors. Yes, And that is the main reason why Clerks was so well done, is because Kevin Smith went out and acted with his actors. I don't think that you would have that same movie if Kevin Smith didn't go out there and be like, okay, this is what I want, and this is how you motherfuckers need to know how to act. And he had an all-star cast! Exactly. And I think, like, here's the thing is, he talks about all the time, because he loves to talk shit about himself and downplay himself, his success, everything he's done. He's amazing! Sell yourself short, my So he wrote, the two main characters of Clerks are Dante and Randall. He talks about how he wrote Randall for himself. That's why Randall has all the best jokes. But he saw his friend play Randall. He's like, wow, you do this a lot better than me, so I'm going to, I'm a shitty actor. So I'm going to play a character that literally doesn't speak. Silent Bob. His character is Silent Bob. That's his whole thing is he doesn't speak. He has one sentence, a movie. He puts a point in real quick, and that's it. Like in that first movie, Clorks, he's like, hey, man, you know, it's really hard to find a good girl out there. You know, most girls will just cheat on you. It's really hard to find a chick who will just bring you lasagna. <laughs> That's like basically all he says. It's so funny though. And it's incredibly context. it's incredibly impactful. It impacts you. And he made fun of that a few movies later on. He's had the character Jay talk about, yeah, this motherfucker hates to speak. He doesn't speak that much, but that's because he loves it when he does speak. It has all his fucking gravity to it. He likes to think that what he when he does talk, it's important. He's a fucking asshole. But yeah, but that's what he does. Jay inside the box. He makes fun of himself. That. And that's the thing. That's the so fr- good. He wrote that dialogue for himself. Talking Hold on. Like, <laughs> he fucking basically stole money to make Clerks. And he took that fucking film to Sundance with little fucking to no hope. And he's like, look, like I said like a second ago, I alluded to. Tell me how it was filmed. I, how was it filmed? I have something to say. 
He went to like the video store he worked at. He asked those owners, "Please, can I film in our films in our in in your store?" They said okay because they liked him. This fucking fat loser. They liked him. He had all his friends play these parts. But my point is he had something to fucking say. And it wasn't the fact that he went to film school for four years. He didn't. He dropped out. He didn't have all this education. He didn't have all this funding. He didn't have all this backing. He had basically nothing. But he felt, as a human being, I've been through a certain experience. This hasn't been told on the silver screen. I think I can tell it on the screen. It's all about the story of someone. His life story is... I'm going to be the underdog, yeah, but I'm telling a perspective no one has seen before. I'm going at it a way no one has gone at it before. I'm going to bring that to the screen, and I'm going to put it the best I can. That's what it's all about is not saying this movie is going to um, hit the widest audience. This movie is going to hit the Oscar uh, uh, voters. It's yeah. I want my message to be felt by the few people who are going to feel the same Devil way. Devil makes three, like you said. It's and he like did that. Message. He yeah. had that message. And it hit anyone who's ever worked in retail, that hit them fucking hard because they've dealt with that. Hardcore. And that launched a huge career. And whatever you can say about some of his movies now, Tusk was weird. Yeah. Tusk was weird. Who I has loved the, it. But I who loved else it. has the balls to make that movie? Name one other director who has the fucking balls to make a movie about a guy who puts another guy into a fucking walrus suit. I'll tell you one that we already fucking talked about tonight that would never do that. Scorsese. Scorsese would never fucking... No. I mean, my favorite director wouldn't do that. And that... Is why I love Kevin Smith is that he's this guy who came. He is a great underdog story, and he has these. He is a natural storyteller, and he takes these movies. And Dogma, I will defend until the day oh, I die. Day, Dogma. Listen to me. I gotta say this. Like I've said before, I've been an atheist a very long time. I didn't claim the title until I was a teenager. Until I was like 14, 15. But. I always had my question. I always doubted God existed for a very fucking long time, and I remember, I remember doubting. Like, I don't think this is real. I don't, I don't like. I think this all seems silly to me. And then I remember seeing, a, it was at fucking Target too. Dogma for sale, the DDD. It said dog. All I saw was James and the Bob on the cover. And I was like, I like James Bobstrack back. You know, I liked Mallrats. I like Chasing Amy. I'm gonna buy this flick. Boom, That's... fucking ten bucks. Bought it. Watched it, and I was like, this is like, that movie is made by, Kevin Smith It still believes in God. Honestly, that's Kevin Smith is not an okay, atheist. He's a Christian, and his wife is an atheist. We can his go wife this whole spiel. is a fucking you know, just, atheist. Yeah. Finish. yeah, he still believes in God, but that was basically affirmed. Like I was like, that was one of the first times in my life where I'm like, I have all these questions about this stupid supernatural stuff. But no one is affirming it to me. No one is backing me. I feel alone, so I don't want to talk about it. That was like probably the first time I had something, someone else who agreed with that. This was a major movie. This was a huge impact on my life. This fuck. I'm not going to call it a movie. It's a fucking film, Chris. It's a film that reassured my doubts in a fucking belief system that I thought was dumb. And it reaffirmed that to me. And that's not that wasn't his goal, but that's what 
it did affect it did affect me in a profound way and that helped me further fall in love with Kevin Smith and then later on I watched all of his films and yeah they do get dumb they do get silly they do just ridiculous bullshit they're not as artistic now but fuck you because there is a beauty to everything he makes Zack and Miri make a porno that does not get its due that's a fantastic the fucking, fucking film dude. <laughs> first of all I have let Adney go off on every I didn't say anything bad about Seth. I like Seth. I like Seth. Seth's fucking uh, great. You don't like Seth? Seth Brogan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't like him or what, Chris? No, I love him. I'm yeah, him. I think he's a great writer. I think he's fucking hilarious. But no, so let's bring it back to Clerks. So Clerks was, was filmed. And also Kevin Smith. Yeah. I'm literally... I, I understand what you were saying. And I understand why you even directed it at me, because that makes sense, because I am the generalist population. That makes complete sense to me. I love Kevin Smith. Love him. So, unfortunately, your argument doesn't go to me, because I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So, yeah, The Clerks was filmed in black and white, by the way. For people who don't know that, there's a reason he actually filmed it in black and white, correct? Is because the store owners said to him that we... Can't you can't film during the day because mm-hmm. we're open. You have to film at night when we are when the store is closed. So he made the movie in black and white, not only for it to be cheaper for him to make hide the color too. But also to hide the color of and when he's furthermore, was filming. beginning of the film, the character Dante goes up and he says, These fucking assholes jump gum in the lock, so we can't move up that metal sheet. So I have to write a big sign. That was a huge character arc, but the, the reason for that was because you have to direct at night, so they had to have that sheet, that metal sheet down. The owners told Kevin Smith that, and he took that restriction. That is the mark of any great writer. Innovation. To take a restriction. Yeah. To take a restriction, like I will, like I've talked about the uh, uh, the Batman animated series, and was like that's a show for kids. Those restrictions made that the Batman animated series one of the greatest iterations. Probably the greatest iteration of Batman ever made because those restrictions forced them to be especially creative. They had to make these crazy things, and Kevin Smith took that restriction. Oh, we have to have this metal sheet down. What? Oh, it's reason. The reason is some kids made uh, put gum in the locks. Not only am I gonna have that, but I'm also gonna have the fucking main protagonist Dante have to fucking write a sign with shoe polish. That said, I assure you we are open, which is not only now iconic, but he smelt like shoe polish the rest of the movie, and it was brought up over and over and over again. That's a fucking... That is good it's writing. Hilarious. It's hilarious. That's it's good writing to me. It's great writing. So Definitely great good. writing. And I still don't understand. No, you can't. No. You're done. It's okay. That's the reason why I... Like, these so many reasons why I love Kevin Smith, and, like, the fact... And, like... To the to the core is the fact that I relate to him as a fucking nerd. This is a guy who loved Star Wars, who loved Batman as a kid. When he got a certain age, he had to pretend like he didn't like those things in order to get girls. That's his. You listen to him. He says, "I wanted I wanted pussy, so I said I hated Star Wars. I hated Batman." He says that like I pre- in order to get girls. Then what happened to him? His boy, a uh, Flanagan showed him the dark knight returns this is when frank miller first wrote it he's all he's like yeah you know i know you like the batman but what you know about the batman is based off the 1960s show with adam west hand him the comic this is batman you need to read this 
changed Kevin Smith's perspective and he stopped faking like he didn't like that shit and he started acknowledging that he liked that stuff and every one of his movies has him talking about it openly Clerks is one of the first times when you have somebody op- openly talking about like breaking down pop culture talked about like you know what like Randall says I was watching you know Return of the Jedi I didn't feel quite right about it you know first time Death Star got created it was fully functional all you had was Imperials bad guys in it Return of the Jedi Death Star wasn't finished. You had contractors in there, regular people, and it was still destroyed. So innocent people got murdered because these fucking left-wing militants felt they were doing the right thing. I don't think that's right. That argument got brought up in Clerks 1. That analyzation of... That's deconstructing pop culture. That's what crack does. That analyzation of fucking pop culture was so new at the time. No one... Everyone was blown fucking away. that. That was fucking Kevin Smith talking about this is what i talked about with my friends and i'm gonna put it in a movie that was so new and so incredible that he fucking does that because now that's what like that's one of the reasons and that's because of cracks and yeah that's what i feel pop culture is that is something we're so passionate about that's what i felt so connected about like i feel the same way about all these same things and like kevin smith at a certain point in my life, I was like, I have to pretend like I do not like comics. I do not like sci-fi. I do not like fantasy. I had to suppress all those things I loved in order to be accepted as like the cool kid or for girls to like me. And for a long fuck for years, I pretend like I didn't like this shit. And that was changed in 2008 when Christopher Nolan made the fucking Dark Knight. And that changed the game, and people were all of a sudden, it was cool to like the Batman, it was cool to like comic characters, and I was like, oh, this is acceptable? I can... Now I can come out. I can talk about this? But let me say that Adney's been fucking doing (laughs) Legos and shit, Star Wars obsessed Legos since we were kids, so him coming out for, like, saying, like, yes, I, I like this stuff, he's not just some fucking new age fan, since we were children, he's been the, the nerdism, kind of pushed me in my perspective of, like, we both love certain things. Like we said, we like to like things. And if you come to our house, you will literally walk into a house that's filled with movies, filled with books like you've never seen, filled with fucking Legos everywhere, fucking posters of Star Wars, of Batman, of South Park, of every nerdist thing that you can think of that we are obsessed with. Our house, like if you just go around, you'd be like, damn, there's some straight up nerds that, that live here. And Adney are, are very handsome guys. So uh, it's, not, it's, it's not beautiful. the idea of you have to be, in, you have to look like that, you know, the perception, that caricature of a fucking nerd. No, we love these things. We love, we appreciate everything that we do as, that, that makes us us. And everybody else could fuck off because your opinion doesn't matter. My thesis of this episode is basically very, just bare, bo- bare bones. You need to love Kevin Smith. <laughs> and you need to listen to everything he says. Go on YouTube and listen to any, like, The Evening with Kevin Smith. His stories about Prince, oh about God. Hollywood, about the fact that he wrote a Superman movie. Yes. Like, dude, oh, he Superman has the most too. interesting stories ever, dude. This guy is fantastic. I don't understand why he doesn't get respect. He needs that respect. He deserves that respect, Definitely. Dude. I can definitely Fucking love that. this. I look up to him a lot. Even though I'm not a stoner and I'm never going to be a stoner. And this is, I a, love this is an Kevin atheist Smith. looking up to a love Kevin so there Smith. You go. And like I am a stoner. stoner. And he does stuff that I could not even comprehend. Because it's not just stoner comedy, dude. It's so much more. And like like I said, Zach Avery make a porno. That, I think that, that works on so many fucking levels. Like the Justin Long 
character being like he's gay and he's with Brandon Roth. He's like the hottest guy in high school, but turns out he was gay and he has this gay lover who they do porno. So fucking and, funny, dude. And like that whole thing, and like just Elizabeth Banks, of course, is amazing in that show. And she's like she's, obsessed with she's the amazing fucking and main, everything. Like, she's obsessed with the popular guy, but that he's with whole, Jason. Like, uh, he Justin took Long. the entire. Judd Apatow crew and put him in a Kevin Smith movie and that movie works amazingly I don't understand why that movie wasn't a hit it makes me so mad it makes me just want to cry for society because we're going the wrong way <laughs> Jason what is it Jason uh, what's his last name <laughs> Muse? Jason Muse, yeah. Dude, Jason Muse in that movie is fucking hilarious. So yeah, Jason Muse. Jay and John Silent Bob is definitely... Oh, I, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is definitely one of my favorite comedies, man. Uh, the cast that he was able to bring together, the dynamic of Will Jason Ferrell? and fucking Kevin. Dude, he got together. John Stewart to be in that fucking oh, yeah. movie, dude. Oh my <laughs> god. So many and Will fucking Ferrell like, as the fucking... Chris Rock came I gotta back. clap. Like, that's just such a great... Kevin Smith. Like, dude, right on. Look, Chris Rock's movie. character in that, in that movie, though, the, like the angry... I'm the director, Shackle the King. Who the fuck I am? Like, Come give me some coffee, like you fucking the white guy. Your book is in it. It was Jamie uh, Kennedy. Jamie you. Kennedy Jamie had a bit roll in that fucking. Movie. By the way, Jamie Kennedy was at Brew Brothers last night, hanging out. What? Yeah, at Adney's work, uh, kicking it, hanging out, looking for Adney. Right I, I have a fan around here. The so only yeah. person that watched my documentary. <laughs> Those are our directors. I think that was our quick. director talk. We didn't get to, Steve, we never asked you um, your favorite movie by Trey and your least favorite movie by Trey. Ooh, well, I didn't ask you either. All of his movies. He went first. That's so difficult, man, because I fucking love. I'm, I know word for word every song and every movie that he's ever done. You had to pick one. I had to pick one. Dick? Fuck. <laughs> um, favorite, favorite, I I mean, I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll go, go least favorite. I, I guess it would be Cannibal the Musical. I love, truly love all the songs. But it would probably be my least favorite because I love Orgasmo. I love all the other ones. My favorite, as much as I want to say South Park, Bigger, Long, and Uncut, I would have to say Team America. I knew it. Because, yeah, I was because, because, America. Of, the message, because of the message That's behind it, man. It. And just like, thing, the, yeah. just what they have to say, it, it fucking it kicks America in the nutsack. Not just I that, like they, they do the same thing they always do is they shit on celebrities and the fact that celebrities think that they're the fucking know-all be-all. I'm, on, I'm on I'm on TV so I'm fucking right. Uh, I I was in Iraq and it was a man. It was a it was a beautiful place with gun drop smiles and fucking rainbows and yeah. Oh dude, it's so funny. But I'll fuck you no, you're all stupid. Burn it down. Burn it all down. It's, like, it's basically like you guys are all focusing on like uh, Arabs as being the worst thing, but what about this crazy ass guy in North Korea no one's talking about at the time? Like, you know that guy, right? <laughs> Oh, dude, yeah, it's funny. Um, that, yeah, I kind of I have to agree with, like, that being also my favorite. It is it is a, a close one between that and South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Oh, your favorite for... I'm just saying, I'm saying, I, oh, I, think that's a, I think those are good picks, I thought. <laughs> yeah, they, give us your uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, my Kevin Smith ones, for least favorite, I'm going to have to say Cop Out. Oh, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> of course, dude. That's Kevin's, I never that's finished Kevin's it. Fucking worst. You never finished it. Like I just kind of, I only watched parts because I just couldn't get into it. I thought it was, and I thought that's because Bruce Willis is just a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> he is. He's a whore. He's a nightmare. But also, like, I actually did like Tusk, <laughs> and that's a wonderful thing that he's doing right now. He's like, you know what? People don't like a lot of. I'm getting shit for my movies, but fuck it. I'm doing this for fun because I think it's be interesting because no one else is gonna do this. So I'm gonna make fucking. <laughs> Tusk, Yoga Hosers, and then Moose Jaws. That's the movie that he's in, like he's making right now. It's called Moose Jaws, and he says, "Yeah, it's just Jaws, but with a moose in Canada." It's like my Canada trilogy. These three movies are taking place in Canada. But. 
I love it, dude. I love it. <laughs> My favorite movie. It's a. It's really close because uh, it's gonna got to be like between Red State, which is really inspired by the fact that like he got a lot of hate mail and stuff for dogma from religious groups, and his brother is gay, and he's dealt with that fucking homophobia for so much, and that what that movie delves into, and that's what it's all about. I Definitely love to see that movie, so, and you you suggested it to me before. Like Red State. Uh, Dogma and the first Clerks movie are all really tied, but if I had to pick one, it's Dogma. Nice. Dogma so I love nice. it. It's because Ben Affleck's your favorite actor, right? <laughs> <laughs> all and you got to see is Batman. Batman's going to be amazing. <laughs> Adney loves Affleck, dude. Oh, man. Adney, dude. Adney loves Affleck yeah, so that. much. Affleck! More than Cuba Gooden Jr., Adney loves Affleck. <laughs> what? Yeah, oh. yeah, you know? yeah, I don't get that reference. I don't... God damn it, you guys need to watch You need to watch Team America, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. I get it. That flew over everybody's head. Oh, like, are you trying to be Mitch no, Like that did the joke. I understand, like, <laughs> the kind of, but it doesn't, the joke wasn't really well done. <laughs> okay. Over to Adney's uh, gay ass. Both, both, both those Adney's, Stevie's gay Both those people me? are mentioned up. in a song, but they're not even connected in the song. <laughs> That's what he's making the joke about. Yeah, whatever. Um, so it brings me over to uh, Stevie's book suggestion. Fuck your book suggestion. Go me, take my body hand. We're gonna open the door and walk right into the library. <laughs> to library. Go meet take me by the hand. We're gonna open the door and walk right into the library. To the library. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this week for Stevie's book suggestions, I have chosen Header by my favorite yeah. horror author. <laughs> <laughs> That's one I kind of want to read. Yeah, no one's gonna want to read this, but I will suggest I'm it. Welcome, broken It's my. <laughs> Adney. Hey, Adney, what are you, what are you chewing on? Adney's eating, guys. Oh, it's just a thing. Adney's, <laughs> Adney's always eating, guys. Yeah, because um, I'm, I'm the Brad Pitt of this Ocean's Eleven group. He's <laughs> the only one that looks handsome while he eats. You know what we're heisting? <laughs> I had a joke and lost it. Lost the joke. <laughs> I had a joke about I was waiting for nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> But, uh, well, we're not kind of stealing time from all these good <laughs> listeners, so there's a joke somewhere. Uh, you make it, audience. So <laughs> Mad lips. <laughs> so, Header is by Edward Lee. Edward Lee is the most horrific and most extreme horror writer of all time. Nobody comes close. He puts other people on that pedestal. He suggests other authors, but no. Edward Lee is the most brutal author in the world right now. The book is about your main protagonist, a guy named Tucker who, um, tra- or Travis Tuxton, or Tucker, they call him Tuck, but uh, he basically goes to prison as a kid and then gets out and he starts living with his grandfather who has no legs. And he always heard him say, <laughs> he, he always heard him say, like, he would always hear his grandfather and dad. Sorry, dude, dude, it's just the way you said yeah, it, sorry. He'd always hear his grandfather and dad talk about giving giving headers, or we gotta go get a header, boy, eye for eye. So it's a backwoods country folk who get revenge on each other, and the revenge gets deeper and deeper and deeper, to, or more brutal and more brutal. It used to be like, you fight me, or you know, you fight my brother, I beat your dad's ass, stuff like that. But they, they say, in the Bible, son, it says eye for an eye. So we gonna get, they gonna get at us. We gonna get right back at them, boy. And they were, they kidnap females in the book of other family members in the backwoods hick town, uh, and they basically knock them out, 
bring him to the house, tie him down to a bench, and the grandfather has to show his son or his grandson what it is. So he's telling him because he has no fucking legs. Um, they tie him down to the bench, and while they're awake, they take a hole saw and they drill it on the top of their skull, take a knife, puncture the spinal fluid, and when the spinal fluid leaks out of the skull, they fuck the skull and come inside it while the girl's still alive. And it's funny because the, after the grandson gets his nut, he goes, you know what, Grandpa? Grandpa's like jacking it. And he goes, you know what, Grandpa? He picks up his grandpa, no legs, and he fucking holds him up and let his grandpa puts his dick in the girl's head. And he fucking helps his grandpa fuck the skull. And it's just, it's a lovely story. Um, it's, I, you like make them, you give them this accent that makes them funny, but they're not funny people. They're Those funny are... in the book. It's hilarious. <laughs> this this does sound like a comedy. Yeah, you really Yo, Harry, this is his grandpa with no legs. <laughs> but so that's that's your like main character. But there's also a, uh, an ATI oh, agent named Stuart Cummings and his story, which is side Stuart by Cummings side. is a little on the nose. Yeah. Um, so his story is his girlfriend's sick. She's extremely sick and he needs to make money for her. But he, so he's an AT, uh, ATF agent and he starts going. Didn't they fuck up Waco? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was that girl's name that did it? Fucking, she was part of the government at the time. I don't know. Oh, God damn it. She's like, the, uh, whatever. But so the ATF agent, okay. he needs to pay for his girl's <laughs> medical bills. His girl's all fucked up constantly, like sick. He needs to pay for her medical bills. So he starts selling drugs and driving drugs to like certain locations to get more money. The book is pretty fucking crazy. How it ends, you, you're going to be so fucking shocked. It's only like a hundred and something pages. It's a very short story. Oh. But you will, the ending will make you fucking, you pretty like, much spoiled the whole book. Shit. No, 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 no. That's no, by no. far the shortest story that he's suggested. <laughs> but I feel like no one's going to read it because like, that's disgusting. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm not read about people fucking heads. All, all those short <laughs> stories that I like. Talk about getting head well, yeah, that's no, some Illuminati all the, shit all the extreme horror books and bizarre books and macabre books my favorite genre of literature they're all short stories novellas they're all small as hell mm. but they're super exciting they get right to the point and they're extremely imaginative and I fucking love them um, but I think that we went on a little long uh, that's yeah, gonna we went on a little long who gives a fuck Chris yeah, it's our yeah, funnest yeah 45 um, minutes extra <laughs> uh, but that's that's gonna what be were gonna, really what were they gonna do with that 45 minutes last fucking yeah week, whatever like, what were they gonna do with that 45 minutes though seriously what are they gonna do um, what are you guys doing so everyone who has tuned in and who has Facebook feed. who has <laughs> no one liked your stupid selfie get over it no one wants to see you post oh, salads talking either. about selfies we got a surprise coming for you okay so I wanted to start doing this now. So I'm, we're telling you guys, if you have listened to this this long, that means you are fans. You have built yourself into becoming a fan. We want to start giving alcoholic ass advice. So we want you to write into us. Please write into us at thealcoholicast at gmail.com. No hyphen. No hyphen. The alcoholicast. You write us in. Say, hey, Chris, Stevie, Adney. Uh, I have a problem I'm going through or anything like that. And you, you don't ask have us to for be specific. Advice. You don't have to use your name, but we do need at least the context. You can. We will even. Um, I want. Actually, I do. I would appreciate names. your real name yeah, and everything, too. but like we will not use it. We. If, we I mean, if it doesn't. Like, if we know you, it helps okay, to be you like. You could always be like, "Hey, this is just this is one of your alkies, and um, that's unless, fine." Unless you say it's okay for us to use your name, but um, we just. We think it'd be funny. We want to give you like funny advice or try to help you out. Adney, if it's serious advice, we'll go throw it over to or Adney. Or a blowjob. Dr. Dadney's or, got you. Or send us stories of 
if if you have de- if you have Ooh, done give us your best and worst blowjobs. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, email us your vagina eating skills. <laughs> but please email us your best and worst blowjob story, and if the we'll tell them on we air. Will, <laughs> we will share your story on the air. We will do a segment. We will, and Latvia will hear your story. Story, story cuz you know we're storytellers. Yeah, so we will tell <laughs> yeah, your story. You <laughs> again, you write us in, you have any questions, you want you want to get any of your information just out on the air for, like we want to give you advice or we just want to hear funny yeah. stories air from your you. Dirty laundry. Yeah. Talk shit about your boyfriend. <laughs> we we want to hear funny stories from you. So please, again, email us. Email us at the at gmail or the at gmail.com. No hyphen, please. We want to get your stories out there because we know they're going to be fucking hilarious. Uh, and again, you could find me on Instagram at The Last Bibliophile, as well as all of us at The Alcoholicast on Instagram. Uh, you could find yeah, me. Please follow our group page, The Alcoholicast. Yeah. It's our podcast Instagram Is page. Is there a hyphen or no hyphen? There's no hyphen. Um, the Alcoholicast on iTunes or um, Instagram. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at Stevie August Borghese. Uh, go ahead, Adam. You got any plugs? Well, yeah, at Facebook as well as. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have plugs. I'm not Adney gonna give them Bruno. to them, but I have plugs. <laughs> I guess you can do that, but yeah. But main thing is follow our fucking inst- our main Instagram page. Find me and fucking, house, I'm waiting on. <laughs> waiting <laughs> review for us. Just review us on iTunes. Yeah, give us a review on, on iTunes, iTunes so people can actually review us on listen. iTunes. And um, something I noticed last night is when you're trying to review us through iTunes, you need to go through the App Store, not the iTunes Store. Or you know what? I can't remember. You might have to go to the iTunes Store, not the App Store. But that was a problem that I kept running into is that I would go into either the iTunes Store or the App Store. I went through and iTunes one of them and it, kept, it wouldn't you. let me review. One of them doesn't let you and the other one will allow you it's to. It's probably review. the App Store then. Yeah, so go to the App Store and find our podcast. And please rate us. Even if you give us one star. Hey, guess what? But no, pre- I think there's no such thing as bad press. Bad press no is still press. going to come up on... There's no way we're going to come up on the App Store. It's got to be during the well, iTunes Well, whatever store. it is, either iTunes Store <laughs> or app, <laughs> find us. Please rate us. We'd appreciate that. Chris, you want to... Uh... Actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll plug something. Um, It's going to be something that's completely non-related to uh, the podcast. Then nobody wants to hear it. kind of fuck around with what I do on a day-to-day basis, because I weld and I do like all this industrial type of shit and big machinery, you can follow me on Instagram. At Topher12, that's T-O-P-H-3-R-1-2. That's all I got, buddy. All right. Well, then, uh, again, you are you are our Alkies. And it's getting hard to say that. Um, <laughs> Trunker, I get it. Like, you are Alkies. It's hard. It is. It's yeah. very hard. Um, <laughs> but we love you. And uh, have a sweet, sweet vagina-eating night. And we love you. Rate us on iTunes. <laughs> rate us on iTunes, guys. Rate us, rate us, rate us on rate iTunes. Rate us on iTunes <laughs> and <laughs> give you balloons. I don't know why we're emailing you. We'll give you a free puppy if you just fucking give us a good review. Free <laughs> puppies. Rate us. <laughs> free puppies.